Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I am Todd Dandruff. With Telus is being broadcast live and recorded live on May 23rd, 2020. The time right now, 8.47 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. We have a lot of interesting stuff to talk about tonight. We had so much on the show tonight that I actually bumped a very good guest that I think a lot of you are going to like, but we're going to do it next week. That's Dutch Boyd is going to be on the show a week from today, so don't miss that. A lot of people enjoy the Houston Curtis interview last week, and I think we're going to have an equally good interview with Dutch a week from now. A lot to talk about with him, both about the past and present. But this week, we have a lot of different things to discuss, and one of the things I want to discuss with you is something coming up very, very shortly, and that's the free roll. Believe it or not, for once, I actually moved the free roll to be earlier rather than later. I didn't have faith in myself to start the show early enough to have the free roll go any earlier than 9.30 Pacific, but uh, here we are at 8.47 and we started, so I said, okay, well, no point to make the people on the East Coast wait longer than they have to, so I moved the free roll to 9 o'clock, which means it starts in 12 minutes, you still have 25 minutes after that to get in with late registration and a full stack. It's a $70 free roll this week, three people gave money for it, Eric Benzamokin was one, thank you to him, $30.00. $30 came from Daily and 10 came from Beer and Poker. So thank you to the three of you. $70, that'll be 35 for first, 22 for second, 13 for third. 35, 22, and 13. So thank you very much to the three of you who donated. And uh, if you need to understand the rules of the free roll, the rules to qualify for the free money, go to pokerfraudalert.com slash free roll, pokerfraudalert.com slash free roll, all lowercase. You need a separate account on the No Fraud Online Poker Room where it takes place that you can find near the top of the screen, the Poker Room, but you also need a separate account. Try, don't try to log in there with your forum account. It will not work. You also need to wait for that account to be verified and validated or else others you can't, you can't play. You just won't be able to get in. But there's other rules you need to adhere to, so make sure you understand the rules on PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll. If you want to call the show tonight, the number... 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355 is how that breaks out to be. You can also call the Mount Charleston line, 702-430-1808. It's a separate line into the show. It's an old 70s rotary phone, which forwards to me wherever I go. It's located in a cabin on the top of Mount Charleston. 702-430-1808 is the Mount Charleston line. The call-to-listen line, I have a very important thing to tell some of you. If you have T-Mobile... I have some bad news for you, or some potential bad news, because I've been informed by some people with T-Mobile that if you attempt to call any of the call-to-listen lines, you get a notification that it will be one cent a minute to listen to. Oh, my goodness. That back-breaking sum of money, 60 cents an hour, is going to be charged by T-Mobile, at least to some customers, I'm still looking into how many are affected, but uh, T-Mobile has banned the call-to-listen line as part of their unlimited calling plans. Why? Because they have noticed that the call-to-listen line is popular. They have noticed that there are many, many long calls into the call-to-listen line, and they occur throughout the week, and people sit on there for a long time, which I don't blame you. I told you to do, and it's fine if you keep doing it. But T-Mobile said... We're not going to carry these calls at our expense. We're not going to subsidize the call-to-listen line, which they really aren't, but they don't want to subsidize the connections to the call-to-listen line because they don't get any money when you call it. 
So they have actually softly blacklisted it, this T-Mobile, to where you have to defray some of the costs by paying one cent a minute to them. Not to me. I wish I would get the one cent a minute, but I get nothing. T-Mobile. Now, they're giving you the warning beforehand. So if you don't get that warning, you won't get charged. And this is only T-Mobile. But if you get that warning, then it's up to you if you want to pay one cent a minute. I thought maybe the alternate call to listen lines would possibly get around that, but I guess not. I guess they've nailed all three of them. I'll give you all three numbers just in case, though, to the call to listen line. That's a number you can call to listen to the show. Does not require a data plan, does not require a smartphone, does not require the internet, does not require a computer, and it never buffers, never freezes up. It's a great thing, unless you have T-Mobile, then it's not quite so great because it costs you one cent a minute. Everybody else is free, though. The phone number is 605-313-0736, 605-313-0736. And then we also have the alternate call to listen line number, 641-741-1095, 641-741-1095. And then we have the original call to listen line, which it's not quite as reliable as the others. That's why I don't promote it much. But hey, if you can't get through to the other two, you can always try. That's 712-775-8162, They're all identical, but sometimes one works and the others don't. So you might as well note all three. If you go to the radio tab on PokerFraudAlert.com, it will show you all these numbers, except the old uh, 712-775 number that I don't have posted anymore, but you may just want to note that down because that usually works as well. Three different call-to-listen lines. 24 hours a day, seven days a week it runs because when I'm not live on the air, it plays a streaming rerun that it selects at random and just plays it as if it's live and then picks another and another and another till we come back live on the air and then it plays the live show. So like if you're listening live right now, you can actually do so on the call to listen line. Other ways to listen live, you can go to the radio tab and click one of the links there. If it doesn't automatically start up, then click the link according to the device you have and you can listen live there. You can also use the TuneIn app to listen live. That's another way you can do so. And uh, to listen in the archives, which is how most of you listen, you can use iTunes. You can use Google Play. You can use Stitcher. You can use TuneIn. These are all different apps. You can use Bullhorn. That's another app. You can download or click on the MP3 in the radio archives forum on PokerFraudAlert.com. By the way, I think we have some new listeners tonight. I'm not pronouncing archives incorrectly because I'm in- ignorant is because uh, it's an inside joke going back many years. So I usually say archives when I can. But those are ways to listen to the show. Even Amazon Alexa. Just say, Alexa, play Poker Fraud Alert Radio. Make sure you say it slowly and clearly. Alexa, play Poker Fraud Alert Radio, and it will play the last episode in the archives. And if you say next, it'll go to the previous episode. So many ways to listen. So little time. And I try to provide these to you as long as they don't cost me too much Jew gold and as long as they're not too difficult or too cumbersome. Like, I'd love to put the show on YouTube, but it's just kind of cumbersome to do, so I I don't do it. Besides, it's an audio show, not a video show, so it just kind of feels weird to put it on YouTube with, like, a black screen or just frozen images because all you do is hear me. Sometimes I wish there's a visual element of this show, but I prefer to have audio. I'm an old-time 1970s and 80s radio fan, and for that reason... I like doing the style of show that's audio rather than video. Also, this way, I don't have to worry about how I look or if I pick my nose during the show or make any weird face. All of that can completely leave my mind. I can sit here with no pants on and you will never know. Okay, 
So we have an interview tonight with multiple people at once. Hopefully it's not too chaotic. Let me tell you what's going on here. We're also going to get Trader Ruski and Vintage one on if we can, which will be even more multiple people. We're going to have a lot of people on at the same time, and I hope it's not too crazy. But tonight we are going to have Poker Fraud Alert listener A. Hoosier A. We're going to have Kevin Davis back. Remember, he was the YouTube scam exposer, the guy who's been going after Christopher Mitchell and now other scammers that he sees on YouTube related to gambling. We're going to have him back on, all for a reason. We're going to have Rick Lee who was one of Christopher Mitchell's former customers, and not a very happy one. We're going to hear from him. We've talked about him before. We're going to have some friend of Kevin Davis's on, who's a blackjack expert who wants to be on for some reason. And uh, But that's fine. If he has something to add, he can add. And uh, we're going to talk to all those at once about an incident that occurred. Well, we're going to talk about two things. An incident that occurred where Christopher Mitchell thinks that A. Hoosier A. is Kevin Davis, which he's not. I've met A. Hoosier A. I didn't know Kevin Davis until a few weeks ago. They're two completely different people. They're not even close to the same age. But Christopher Mitchell thought that he discovered who Kevin Davis is. I'll tell you how this happened. Thought it was A. Hoosier A. And doxed A. Hoosier A. to get him back, believing it was his enemy Kevin Davis. What a screw-up on Christopher's part. An idiotic screw-up, too. So we're going to talk all about that. We're going to have them on at the same time, so you'll be able to tell that it's two different people. I know Christopher Mitchell is going to listen, so hopefully this will finally make him realize the error of his ways. So we're going to have that. We're going to also talk to Rick Lee, who was a Christopher Mitchell customer, wanted to have him on here. After we do that, we're going to talk about the big story that just broke about an hour ago. Very good timing for this show. Sometimes it just works out where a major story hits right before we start the show. Now, sometimes it's too soon before we start the show because I don't have time to research it or the topic doesn't have time to flesh out to where I can tell what's really going on. The latter is a little bit of the case here. We may not know much when we are doing this segment, and maybe by the time you hear this tomorrow or the next day, a lot more will be known and a lot of the speculation will sound stupid, but we've got to run with what we have. I have people who've told me they're going to text me any updates as they occur. But basically what's happening is that Bill Perkins, you know, that rich guy who lives, uh, I think the Virgin Islands or somewhere like that, he is alleging that a major cheating scandal involving major names in poker, including some he calls poker heroes, have been cheating and that the whole thing is going to make the Mike Possel scandal look like it's nothing. And that's all I know right now. But more information is being extracted out of Bill. I offered to Bill to call into the show. He probably won't. But I, I will keep that in mind. If I see a Virgin Islands number or somewhere in that area coming through, I will drop everything and take the call because I'd love to be the one to break the full details on this story. Really interesting. So we'll discuss that. I have my theories of what it could or could not be. You probably do too. But what I say may surprise you in some ways. But we'll do that after we do the whole Kevin Davis, A. Hoosier, A. story. And that's because we have that scheduled for about 9 o'clock Pacific, which we're just about at. So we're going to have to make that interview first. Some of these people are in the East Coast, and they don't want to stay up super late like I do, so I understand. In fact, that gives us an extra hour to maybe have Bill Perkins tweet more rather than those two cryptic tweets that he's made thus far. 
Another story I'm going to cover tonight is a pretty big story that has been completely ignored by everybody until I brought it out. I don't know why it has been ignored. Now, it's been in the Las Vegas News. It's been in the Las Vegas Review-Journal. It's a month-old story. But for whatever reason, the poker and gambling world did not take very much interest in this at all. In fact, I really can't find it covered anywhere in the poker or gambling world. I can find mainstream news covering it. I just can't find it in the poker world. And that is the story of World Series main event Bobby Baldwin and casino executive Bobby Baldwin, same guy. His son, BJ Baldwin, shot a man dead in the In-N-Out parking lot in Las Vegas in April. He really did this? He had admitted he did this? I will tell you how the rest of it fleshed out. And what happened there and what he claims happened and what some witnesses claim happened and why there's still some doubt and mystery surrounding the story. This by itself would be interesting, maybe not quite interesting enough to bring up on this show because it just wouldn't be topical. But since it's uh, Bobby Baldwin's son, I would think that's very interesting. But uh, for some reason, until I brought it out, nobody seemed to be talking about it. I actually meant to bring this out a few weeks ago and then forgot. And then I noticed it last night. I go, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I forgot to talk about this. So that's going to be the topic tonight. Doyle Brunson claims he's won 64 out of 65 years in poker. He made this claim to a former occasional poker fraudler's co-host, China Maniac. He made this claim on Twitter. I will read the claim Doyle made, and we will analyze whether Doyle has really won 64 out of 65 years when he's been playing poker. I have an update on that party robbery by two NFL players in Florida. Remember, we had our theories as to what that really was. I'll tell you how close we were. A bet online low stakes poker player thought that uh, he had something really big, or at least he thought he should have had something really big, and then realized he might get screwed. He should have won a $52,000 bad beat jackpot. It was actually a $349,000 jackpot, but his share was 52000 by being the winning hand with straight flush over quads. The problem was when the turn hit and he hit the straight flush and it turned out his opponent hit quads, it turned out that he disconnected or the software disconnected him, which on uh, bet online wouldn't be surprising. So uh, he got disconnected. Can you imagine getting disconnected at that moment when you have a straight flush on the turn and it's possible jackpot hand? Can you imagine how frustrating that was to be disconnected at that moment? So, of course, he didn't win the jackpot because he wasn't technically connected and his hand folded on the turn despite having a straight flush. So and it ended up being a jackpot hand, but it didn't get awarded. So he's he's going at it right now with bet online customer service. We will see what happens. But I'm going to play you the video he took of the hand replay just in case they deny him. And I offered to have him come on the show, which he said he might, but doesn't want to do it yet because he wants to see if BetOnline makes it right first before coming on and saying anything potentially bad about them. So I said, okay, that's fine. I will say things that could be potentially bad about them. (laughs) Raymond Davis is attempting to get released from jail due to the coronavirus, just like many criminals are. Now, uh, Raymond Davis has not been convicted of anything. He is currently in jail awaiting trial. And this has been dragging out a long time. He has been in jail since September of 2019. We update his case every so often. So I will tell you, if it worked, he tried this back in April. I think April 20th, he tried to get released from jail, maybe like on an ankle monitor or something, because of the coronavirus danger. And there's been 
many criminals who've been released, so why not Ray Davis? Well, I will tell you how that worked. Speaking of the coronavirus, we will have uh, five different coronavirus topics tonight. We've been having them every week. Final two topics tonight. The Towers Casino in Northern California was raided by the California Department of Justice after reopening without permission. And finally, Caesars is not daunted by all the closures and all the money they're losing right now and the possibility that we will have the coronavirus to deal with forever and that casinos may not be as good of an investment as they used to be. They're going full speed ahead. They have won a bid to build their first Virginia casino. There will be a casino owned by Caesars that's part of Total Rewards in Virginia around 2023. I will tell you about that property and what that does for Caesars' presence in that area of the country. That'll be our final topic. And look how fast I got through the intro. I'm going to go find Trader Ruski. We'll get Trader, we'll get Trader Ruski on. Hello. How you doing? Trader Ruski, it sounds like your connection may not be that good. It kind of sounds like it cuts out a little bit as you talk. It's going be my headphones. Is that any better? That has improved some, yes. I want to tell you what happened here with a Hoosier A. I felt very bad for him. He was trying to do something that was nice. He saw a commenter on one of Christopher Mitchell's videos. Remember, Christopher Mitchell is the guy we've talked about for the last month or so who does those uh, scam blackjack and Baccarat videos where he's selling a system which you can either buy from him like on paper or in a file or he can personally coach you for some more money. And the problem is his system is crap. His system is just very simply a martingale betting system, which has been proven many times mathematically not to work. It's a negative EV system. It's a system that is going to decimate your bankroll if you do it for any length of time. And and he has, a, has some idiotic modifications to his game, like especially with blackjack. Just total idiotic modifications that will just really make you lose badly. And he's selling this as if it's an incredible system that always wins. He, in, and just in case you think, well, maybe he really believes it wins, no, he's making outrageous claims that every time he goes in the casino, he averages a $5,000 win, that he wins almost every single session, just things that are absolutely impossible. So obviously this is a scam, and we've talked about this for the last few weeks. I won't rehash the whole thing. You can go through those segments we've done over the last month about Christopher Mitchell if you want to learn more about him and you haven't heard about him before. But – there's a guy named Kevin Davis. We had him on here for a lengthy interview, I believe, three weeks ago. And Kevin Davis has been relentlessly exposing Christopher Mitchell. Like, relentlessly. Almost every day, Kevin Davis puts out a new video exposing something about Christopher Mitchell, whether it's a current claim Christopher's making or debunking some claim about being a winner or debunking Christopher Mitchell's systems or uh, – Stories about Christopher Mitchell's past, such as when he was in gay porn, or stories about Christopher Mitchell's wife and stuff she was involved with. Like, like Kevin Davis has been relentlessly exposing him. Christopher Mitchell calls Kevin Davis a stalker. I don't agree. Kevin Davis has been very relentless in what he's been doing, and he has been researching tons of info on Christopher Mitchell, but he's been doing it for a good reason. He's been doing this to expose the scam and to hopefully prevent victims from falling prey to this. He's trying to save people money. He's doing something similar to what we do on this show with scammers everywhere. We try to alert you what to avoid. So Kevin Davis is doing that, except where we do this with a whole lot of different people and sites, and we, we don't focus on one thing here. 
Kevin Davis was hyper-focused on Christopher Mitchell. Uh, in the last week or so, he's actually branched out to talk about some other YouTube scammers. And he has a channel called YouTube Scam Exposers. YouTube Scam Exposers is Kevin Davis's channel. And it's kind of funny. He does this in an entertaining manner. And then Christopher Mitchell gets really frustrated by it and sometimes responds to it. And they, they kind of go back and forth. And then Christopher will think better of it and delete the videos. Uh, Kevin never deletes his videos, so those are always up there. So the whole thing's entertaining, too. And I've been following it. It's been an interesting thing to watch. And I don't watch that many YouTube channels, but I've been watching this. Well, it was all fun and games until this past Sunday. Because one of our listeners, who I've met in person, he goes by A. Hoosier A. His real name is Lee. And as I said, he is someone I've met. I met him once at the World Series of Poker. He moved from across the country to live in Las Vegas last year. And a nice guy. In fact, uh, he and I had some tentative plans to go hike at Mount Charleston last year during the World Series because it's like 30 degrees cooler up there. It's not like it is in the rest of Vegas in the summer. But it didn't happen because I was so busy at the World Series because I was making it deep in like every event I was playing, at least deep into the day I was playing. So I had very little free time there, so I never got to take that hike with him. But anyway, uh, he tried to do something nice, and he found a commenter named Robert Helsley on Christopher Mitchell's videos. And on one of them, Robert Helsley had talked about how he's going to meet up with Christopher for coaching in July. And Robert indicated he's an older man. So A. Hoosier A. felt bad for him and decided to see if he could find Robert Helsley on Facebook and com- and contact him and say, hey, just want to let you know you shouldn't come out to Vegas in July because the guy coaching you is a scammer. The guy's going to sell you a crap system that doesn't work and charge you for it, and you're going to lose a lot of money both in the casino and to Christopher himself paying for useless coaching that is actually inaccurate. So he tried to warn him. He tried to warn what seemed like a nice but gullible older man that Christopher is scamming him. Well, the problem... And this is why it's so easy to scam a lot of people who are elderly, and it's very sad. But scammers love the elderly, and the reason they love the elderly is, number one, the elderly are not quite as sharp as they used to be. Even very sharp elderly people are still not quite as sharp as they were when they were, say, 40 years old, even if you can't tell by talking to them. Very few people will have the exact same mental ability when they're 75, 80 that they did when they were 40. Even if the degradation is slight, there's always a degradation. But then for some people, the degradation is a lot more than slight. For some some elderly people are really out of it. I'm sure you've known many. You probably had some in your family, maybe some grandparents at some point. They were really out of it and barely knew what was going on. Or maybe they were functional enough to live by themselves, but they were very gullible and easy to trick because they just couldn't think critically anymore with uh, their mind changing as their body ages. So uh, for that reason, scammers love the elderly, and elderly the elderly have been, for as long as scammers have been around, the most common victims. So when you think someone who's older is getting scammed, uh, you, you feel very bad for them and you want to help them. You want to say, hey, watch out. But the problem is when you do this, sometimes it still doesn't work because there's something else that is common to many older people, and that is they are stubborn. Why are they stubborn? Well, it's part of something that just kind of happens with age. It's also that they're aware that people think they don't know what they're doing because they're older, 
even if the people are right, they still think, oh, they just think I'm an old person. They don't respect my judgment. So they don't like anyone telling them what to do. They don't like anyone treating them like they're stupid or treating them like they're not capable anymore because they remember when they were 45 years old and they're very capable and very successful in many cases. So they don't like when they're 75 years old and they're being told, you can't do this anymore or this person's tricking you, this person's bamboozling you. You're, you're the sucker here. They, they don't like hearing that because they still want to see themselves as capable and, and just as good mentally as they were when they were younger. So they will get very stubborn about it and say, no, 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 I know what I'm doing. This is fine. You don't have to take care of me. I can take care of myself. I got to this age and nothing happened to me. Look how well I've done. So you, know, you, you can't tell me this. There, there, and there's also a matter of just being told what to do by someone a lot younger than you. And it's hard for me to picture that one day, like people my son's age, you know, not, not actually at that age, but people who are currently my son's age, like him, will be telling me what to do when I get very old. I, I'm used to it being the other way around, that, that I feel like I know more than kids do, and I'm a lot wiser than kids are, and I'm the one who has to tell them what to watch out for. It would feel weird to have them tell me what to watch out for. So, so for all these reasons, the elderly are good scam victims for scammers, and it's very sad. You really have to lack any kind of moral foundation to want to scam the elderly because often you're taking their bottom dollar. They don't have a way to make the money back. Any kind of scam is bad, but to target the elderly, it's just uh, like to target the elderly or to target children. It's just, uh, of course, people don't target children for scams. because They don't have any money to be scammed. But anything like that where you're victimizing people who uh, are very vulnerable because of their age is just so heartless, and, and I hate seeing that. And I know A. Hoosier A. hated seeing that too. So he contacted Robert Helsley and tried to tell him, and then what did Robert Helsley do? He went and told Christopher Mitchell and sent him a copy of everything that A. Hoosier A. sent, including links to this site with, with my name mentioned, which is fine. I don't mind that A. Hoosier A. mentioned me. It's not like I've made a secret out of my segments about Christopher Mitchell or what I think about him. But that was in there too. Now, there's been some theories that maybe it wasn't really Robert Helsley, that while Robert Helsley really is uh, a customer, potential customer of Christopher Mitchell's, that the account may be a duplicate account that Christopher Mitchell made in Robert Helsley's name and that it was actually Christopher Mitchell that Ehujere was talking to. I don't know. Uh, I did see some suspicious things that, Kevin Davis showed on his video there were like three different Bob Helsley accounts that were clearly all the same guy and like why would he have three Facebook accounts but who knows it, it doesn't really matter the bottom line is it is true that there is a Robert Helsley an older guy who is potentially a customer of Christopher Mitchell and that uh, when A. Hoosier A. tried to contact him that somehow either because it was Christopher himself or because Robert Helsley contacted him he got a copy of everything that was said and knew that A. Hoosier A. was trying to do this. And A. Hoosier A. did this under his real name. Well, Christopher Mitchell, who really is somewhat delusional, he really believed that he got Kevin Davis here. He thought, oh, so that's Kevin Davis's real name. It's this guy, Lee. Well, I figured it out. He could not wrap his head around the possibility that there could be more than one person who is trying to expose him. He thinks that anyone who's trying to expose him for being a scammer is either Christopher Mitchell, or no, is either Kevin Davis or someone that Kevin Davis has uh, paid or 
browbeat into saying what he wants. He doesn't think anybody like honestly wants to expose him except for Kevin Davis. He really thinks everything is Kevin Davis. So he thinks if somebody's going to contact a potential customer of his and warn him that it has to be Kevin Davis, that nobody else in the world would ever do that for any reason, <laughs> which is which is absurd. It's insane. It's absolutely insane. So uh, Christopher Mitchell thinking that he finally found his nemesis because Kevin Davis has been very uh, mysterious. It's been very hard to find. Uh, there's no pictures of him. Uh, Christopher Mitchell wishes he had the guy's personal information. He hates him with a passion. He probably hates him more than anybody he hates in the world, but, uh, but he can't find him. So he thought he finally found him. So uh, he sprung into action and uh, first of all Googled everything he could find. And actually found some YouTube videos that A. Hoosier A. had made back in 2018, him and his wife. And just, just very, uh, I don't know, harmless stuff. Nothing even about gambling, just about, uh, uh, I, I don't know, just, just some kind of like general videos he did with his wife about the relationship or whatever. As I said, nothing that exciting, probably not even worth watching. Sorry, A. Hoosier A. I actually haven't watched them. When I say not worth watching, I mean like it's nothing that... People are going to find it. Go, oh my god, this is amazing! Like it's just, you know, it's just pe- someone making a personal video about his life with his wife. Uh, but he found these by googling him. He heard a Hoosier A's voice, and right there, that should have been the end of it. He should have been able to tell that that voice is very different from Kevin Davis's. And Kevin Davis has, has a pretty distinct voice. You've heard him on here, so clearly, it's not the same guy. That should have been it. Okay, well, that was a good theory, but different voices. Okay, instead. He convinced himself that it was the same voice, and then he actually hired a private investigator to look up all the information that this PI could find on A. Hoosier A. And he lied to the PI. He told the PI that he's at the police station, but in order to file a report, he needs a lot of information. Otherwise, the police aren't going to take this seriously. So the PI thought they were sending information to Christopher Mitchell while he's at the police station to give to the police. So they sent him a confidential report, including a lot of things, including A. Hoosier A's social security number. <laughs> Oops, that's a, I'm sorry. <laughs> I had my sound effects switched. That's not what I meant to play. Sorry, it's not funny your SSN got taken, A. Hoosier A. I meant this. There we go. Well, I'm really throwing him under the bus. I, I laughed at his social security number being exposed, and I also said his YouTube channel is not worth watching. I'm really sorry. I, it's totally unintentional, I swear. Yeah, it exposed his social security number and his address and his date of birth and his wife's name. And a whole bunch of other information. He held up the confidential report on camera where everyone could pause and see it if they wanted. This remained up for about six hours and got about 700 views. Kevin Davis saw this and quickly called the number that was up there of A. Hoosier A and warned him. And then A. Hoosier A immediately called the detective agency and yelled at them about this. How could you send my social to some random who wanted to use it to harass me? And they were very uh, nervous about this. Here's the call Kevin Davis made to the investigator that he posted up on his YouTube channel. Yeah, Kevin, you know, we're really busy. I'm, I'm happy to help in any way I can regarding this uh, Mitchell guy. You just have to kind of let me know what, what it is. What, how can I help you? What do you need? Uh, what grounds did you have to uh, uh, have him investigate 
uh, a William Bradbury, who he thought was he was investigating. And you said, per his video, that you said William Bradbury was impersonating me. That's this Ke is all, uh, Kevin. I I just had uh, almost a, a twenty minute conversation with William Bradbury earlier. Uh -huh. So did I. Have you? Okay, so. What 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 else can I help you with? I mean, I, I explained to him the situation, and you know, if you guys need to go after Christopher Mitchell, I, I totally understand. But what else can I help you with? Well, because he brought up my name in this video that you, in his investigation, that you told him. So I want to know what grounds did you have to to run. William Bradbury's. Now you can't speak to him. I, I don't even. Yeah. Kevin, I don't even. I don't know who you are. Who are you? How are you part of this? This uh, the situation between Chris Mitchell and William Bradbury. Because I've never heard your name before. Well, that's funny because in his video, he said that you guys said William Bradbury because I make videos reporting that Christopher Mitchell is a scammer. He's been. He's a Right. A, I I got that part. Yeah, so yeah. he, in his video, he said that he hired you because William Bradbury was pretending to be me. I, again, I this is the first I've heard of this. I, I I never I don't recall him ever saying the name or telling me a name Kevin someone. So I, I it sounds like your guys you guys with Christopher Mitchell. What's that? Well, you. You, you, you guys took it's, his money. It you sounds guys... like you, the issue. The pro... Go ahead. Listen, Kevin. I'm not, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you what I told William. Okay, we are a licensed professional private investigation firm. I was contacted by Chris Mitchell. He was at the, the Las Vegas Police Department. He was filing a police report. He needed additional information on the person he was filing the police report on. He hired my firm to, to provide him with a background report, which we provided. That, that's, that's all my involvement. That's it. That, that's all we did. So, so William Bradbury contacted me this morning, told me that Christopher Mitchell put up a video showing our confidential report. I immediately contacted Mitchell, and Mitchell took the video offline. But not before 700 people viewed it. Kevin, again, it, how can I help you? What, what do you need? To, what information do you need? Again, I've, this ain't my first rodeo dealing with private investigators because of my YouTube videos exposing scammers. I want to know how it is that came about that this person, that you guys all of a sudden ran this guy's per, you know, because again, the video, the video said my name in it, that you guys private investigator that he hired said that you guys told him that William Bradbury was trying to be me. It's all no, on no. video. It's all on video. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say it again. Christopher Mitchell contacted my firm, explained that he was being harassed by a William Lee Bradbury, that he was at the police department filing a police report and needed additional information for the report. Okay, so so I don't know who Kevin is. I don't know who Kevin is. I was given a name. We conducted a background investigation on the client, and that is the end of it.
Uh, I don't know who Kevin is. Well, that would be me. That's who I told the receptionist, and that's who you're speaking with. I understand, but I don't. I never heard of you before. Well, that's not what the video said. Kevin, what do you want me to do? I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you more information than I even should, right? So I'm trying to be helpful with you and William because I understand that you guys have an issue with this guy, but I don't know what to tell you. I've never met the guy. It was, it was, it was a request. We provided the service, and that's the end of it. I'm, I'm sorry that you guys are spending so much of your time dealing with this guy, but I, I don't know what else to tell you. I guess, like, I guess uh, me and William will be taking this to litigation, I guess, because I, like he said. I, I understand. That's, I know. That's what William told me, and that's fine. You guys do whatever you need to do. I'm telling you the truth. There's nothing more that I can well, tell like you. William, like, I'm sure William said, why, why was this social security number? Well, what was so important about that being put on, on a, on a background check? Again, that is part of the background investigation. I, I, you know, it's very unfortunate that, that this Christopher Mitchell guy posted it on YouTube. Uh, and, and I'm probably going to have sessions with him uh, later on as well. Um, again, I, 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 that's really all I can I can tell you. All right. Well, I guess, uh, like I said, I got the video. Willing to I understand. The video. You got, I know and you guys need to do what you got to do. I understand. We'll be doing what we got to do. So. I get. I understand. I completely understand. I'm sure we'll be meeting each other probably in court someday. Kevin, you know, if if that's what's going to happen, I, I I like I said, I understand. You gave, I you get gave a well-known scammer that I somebody's social security number all because he's he said he was in the police department jesus christ man i mean do you guys need money that bad you didn't have to give the social security number to this guy and he puts it on blast and don't don't sit there and say well you know i'm giving you more information than i should you guys screwed up you gave the guy you you, you have no bit you should have done a background check on christopher mitchell first before you ran you guys took this guy's money all because he said he was in a police department. So don't sit there and say, well, you know, if that's what we got to do, that that's what's going to happen. So Kevin claimed they hung up on him at that point, And he brought up some good points. Like, why was the Social Security number provided at all if the reason to find out this information on William Lee Bradbury, a.k.a. A. Hoosier A., that he thought was Kevin Davis, if the reason for that was to give to the police, then why is the Social Security number even necessary? And if they were going to give the Social Security number, why not do at least a little bit of a check on who Christopher Mitchell is and why he might really need this? Because it's not trivial to just hand out someone's Social Security number because they give you some crazy story about needing to go to the police. So that... That was some questionable behavior on the detective's part, and you could tell they were a bit nervous. And then uh, finally they hung up when Kevin really gave them the business at the end. Kind of a funny phone call in a way. And is it illegal for a licensed PI to do that? Like, well, is he in jeopardy? Well, okay, so we were looking into that, and uh, it looks like it is only if they know why they're doing it. In fact, this was often a plot in the Rockford Files. <laughs> if any of you watched that show, I was back just in about the 70s. to ask if Jim Rockford could do it. Yeah, Jim Rockford. This happened to him all the time, where he would be hired for something, and then it would turn out that uh, he was actually hired to find out something for the mob, so they could kill someone. Or and like a lot of times, he was 
brought into research information, which was supposedly for a noble purpose, and then it turns out that he was hired by criminals, and then he then he tries to fix the situation because he feels bad about what he's caused here. So that there's a number of plots in the show about that. So the, the truth is this does happen to PIs all the time where people go to the PI and say, oh, I need the info for this reason because uh, I'm being victimized in this way or that way. And then it turns out that these are actually criminals who are usually – are going to use the information for nefarious purposes. So for that reason, the PI probably isn't – Exposed that much, maybe for not doing a little bit of due diligence, like he claimed it is at the police station. Why didn't they call up and uh, speak to a police officer and make sure this is really happening? They just took his word for it that he's at the police station. Here it is. But uh, they, they can probably warm their way out of this one. Uh, Christopher Mitchell, uh, it's a different story, but uh, the video did come down after about six hours because the PI yelled at him. The PI said, uh, 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 You just, you really screwed us. You were furious about this. And, uh, and they yelled, and Christopher's like, okay, okay, I'll take it down. But later on, Christopher made a video still saying that Lee was actually Kevin Davis. So he didn't even take back. He didn't say, hey, that was a mistake. The PI believed it was a mistake by the time he talked to Lee and, and uh, Kevin Davis. But Christopher so delusional that he still believed, and I don't know if he still believes it, but he believed like a day later that he still got it right. And he thought he said he only took the video down because the PI yelled at him about it because they were harassing the PI. This is crazy stuff here. I feel really bad for A Hoosier A because he's not Kevin Davis. Now, yes, he was trying to warn one of Christopher Mitchell's victims, and the problem is Christopher Mitchell knows that. So even if Christopher Mitchell realizes that it's not Kevin Davis, he may still be angry, going, "Well, sure, okay, it's not Kevin Davis, but it's still some asshole trying to ruin my business here." But the truth is. He wasn't trying to ruin his business. A. Hoosier A. was trying to do something very noble and was trying to contact an elderly potential victim. And everything he said was true. Every, I, saw, I saw what A. Hoosier A. said, and it was basically linking to the poker fraud alert thread about Christopher Mitchell and was explaining that the Martingale system doesn't work. It's been proven not to work, and it's an old scheme going back decades that has been proven many times mathematically to be BS and negative expectation, and that Christopher Mitchell doesn't really know how to teach you to win in gambling, and that you're going to lose all your money if you follow it. I mean, that's basically what he said. And he said, look, if you, if you want to see uh, on Poker Fraud Alert, this is where they break the whole thing down, and, it, and this is a site run by uh, professional poker player Todd Wittellis, who uh, who always calls out scams and is very knowledgeable about gambling. So it's, it's really too bad that I mean, it's, it's one thing if Christopher Mitchell found this out and said, hey, this jerk Lee has been trying to get in the way of my business because at least like Lee knew that risk. Lee knew there was a chance when he went to this Bob Helsley guy that Bob Helsley would go back to Christopher and that he would be called out for it. I, I It's not like I wouldn't still feel bad for Lee because he's trying to do the right thing, but at least there he knew he was risking maybe a getting back to Christopher. But if he's being blamed for like relentlessly going after Christopher as Kevin has, which he hasn't. So, so that he's getting blamed for things he didn't do. And even though I don't think what Kevin Davis has been doing is wrong, because again, it's, it's to expose what's going on here. Um, the bottom line is Lee has not been relentlessly going after Christopher. It was just that one thing. It has been Kevin Davis going after him. They're two different people. So with all that said, we're going to connect on these various people involved. Hello, I'm sleeping. All right. Good night.
All right, Kevin Davis, welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. Sorry, we've got a little uh, late here. I, I, I wanted to get everybody up to speed with a story. And, and uh, Not here. we're going to get Lee on the phone here. Uh, I know you're the one who first noticed this was happening. I was sleeping. See, I, th- this occurred on Sunday morning last week. And I had just gone to bed because I had just done a very long Poker Fraud Alert show about uh, seven and something hours, and I was sleeping. And then you noticed the uh, Christopher Mitchell uh, video. It, it was a, a live program, right? He was doing it live? Yeah. Yeah, he was doing it live. But, uh, yeah, somebody tipped me off and said, hey, man, this guy thinks he's you. Or, yeah, and uh, he's, he's doxing the wrong guy. So at first I got on. I was just laughing. We were kind of laughing in our, in our form, but then I'm like, you know, the joke's over. Like, you know, like I found out, you know, a social security number and all that shit. So yeah, that was then I bad. went yeah. back and I saw the report and that's when I saw the number and reached out to him and warned him. Yeah, that's, I'm glad you warned him. This, and I, I heard you played the call, you recorded the call and then played it with his permission on, on uh, your channel. And, and you can tell yeah. it, it was very authentic. You called him up. See, Christopher thinks this is all set up, that it was either you changing yeah. your voice or, or having a friend do it or some, some BS like that where you're just like staging this call, uh, telling him you discovered it. And that's, that's part of the reason we're doing this segment. I know Christopher's going to listen. It's part of the reason why we're doing this segment so he can hear on this show. Yeah, he's listening now. Yeah. Hi, Christopher. <laughs> Now, Christopher, you can call in, or or Stacy, his wife, she she can call in if she wants. I think she's texted me before. She won't say it's her, but I think it's her. Well, Christopher gave me a personal invite to his house, thinking yeah. I'm fat and out of shape. So, hey, I got that in my back pocket. We're going to use that one day, maybe. All right, uh, Lee. Hello. Hey, Todd. How's it going? Good. So, so that's that's hey, Lee. Wait, who, hey, who is that? I, I'm Lee. Th- 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 is I, that Kevin? Hey. I think that's you, producer. All right, now that I got his voice, I have to tune in my voice changer. <laughs> <laughs> got to make sure. Got to make sure my voice changes proper, the, the, proper tone. Yeah, the sad thing so is, every every time, every time you say something like this, it's going to convince Christopher. Ah, I knew it. See, Kevin's admitting to it. I knew it. He's going to say. This yeah. retard. He'll do a live stream. And they're like, yeah, that was a setup call. He did. You're right. He did voice changer. And Christopher's like, yeah. See, I told. It's like the blind leading the blind. The re, the retard brain. You know, leading the brain dead. So well, well, what, the thing is, he's a professional scammer. So. What is he going to do? He's he's never admitted to anything wrong or any lies. He ain't going to start now. Yeah, I know, and that and that's because, a, that's a problem is that that he's never going to admit that he got this wrong. So uh, mm-hmm. at best, he's just going to let it go and pretend it never happened. He's not going to say, "Folks, I realize I got this one incorrect." Uh, Lee did try to contact a guy who I'm going to coach with, but it is not Kevin Davis. I'm sorry, I put a social security number out there, folks, folks. Uh, this Kevin Davis guy has really gotten me frustrated, and it just it just made me jump on the wrong guy, folks. So I'm sorry, people make mistakes, folks. Like he's not going to do that. It's it's going to either never mentioned again, or he just sticks to this. Got himself in some hot water, and all that. So we'll 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 talk about that. Yeah, I heard you got a lot lot of uh, listeners, a lot a lot of traffic tonight. That's cool. Yeah, tonight we got extra people. I, it, it could be from you, or it could be also from the the fact that I. People were knew we were going to be on and talk about the Bill Perkins situation that's ongoing tonight. So, okay, so I'm going to call Rick Lee's number. I know you gave this to me before. We've got to scroll up and get it. Okay, so we'll put him on here. Hello, Rick Lee. Hello. Hey, how you doing, Todd? 
Yeah, hi. So good to have you on the show. We're definitely going to talk about your situation after we talk about Lee's situation. All right, so we got a lot of people on. It's probably, it's probably better we didn't get Vintage One to co-host tonight because uh, we have a million people on this phone. It's like a party line. Okay. Uh, well, I told, I told all my friends and family, so. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm talking about just like on the, on the phone here. We have a million people on. Okay. So, uh, Lee, are you back? Yeah, is this that uh, the asshole that laughs at people having my social security number and makes fun <laughs> of my YouTube channel? <laughs> <laughs> That's who it would be. Listen, Kevin, I've had enough of your lip over this past week. <laughs> I, I was thinking. Hey, Lee. I was thinking the stuff I said about Lee here accidentally. I was thinking maybe I should edit this, this out in the archives. And I go, no, nah, let's just leave it. First of all, I'm going to have you guys each say the same sentence so Christopher Mitchell can hear it and hear if it's the same person or not. So uh, uh, you, you can go first, uh, Kevin. Uh, Kevin, say. I don't believe in the Martingale strategy. Christopher, go fuck yourself because I don't believe in the Martingale strategy. Okay. Now, because uh, it doesn't work. Okay, Lee, go ahead. You say it. I don't believe in the Martingale strategy. Okay. So, see, it's, it's two different guys, clearly. I mean, it, these are not the same person. And here, I, I'm going to do one more thing. You guys can both talk at once when I say three. The, the fact that. I know, but the fact that we're even entertaining this is ridiculous. I know, I mean, but I, 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 I fuck him. It's, it's, it's almost like it's almost like we're stooping to his retard level to try to make them believe it. And the thing is, if the sky's blue and, and Christopher tells these retards it's purple, they're going to believe it's retard. I know, but here, here's 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 the on. here's the thing: is that first of all, I I want there to be like no doubt this way. If if any of his followers listen to this, that they know he's full of crap and that he victimized an innocent man by by putting up his social up there, stupidly thinking it was you. So here, uh, on when I say three, both of you at the same time say Baccarat. Okay, one. Two, three. Fuck off. There we go. This guy's clearly a fucking idiot, though. I, <laughs> I can't. I can't. I cannot uh, believe we're doing this. No, I can't either. Okay. I feel, it feels weird. Yeah, I, it's I, pretty I ridiculous. I, I agree it's weird. But, but this his, is... His, the only people that believe him now are one, are a 220 vote or whatever the vote that plugs into life, life uh, support. They're they're li- literally on breathing on electricity. That's that's about as much... Uh, his viewers or believers left. Yeah, and it's it's you know, Christopher. I know you're listening to this. Please just come out and clarify it. And, and look, if you want to say that Lee contacted one of your customers to try to convince him not to work for you, at least that's telling the truth. At least Lee really did that. But uh, but don't say he was Kevin Davis. He wasn't. Lee didn't know anything about you until hearing about you from my show. So it was through this show he learned about well, it. Let's get- I guess let's get this over. Christopher, I know you're listening. I got a police report because I got friends here in sunny South Florida. And I did file a FBI because I've been down this road. I'm not my first rodeo. Now, whether they do something or not, it's up to them. But because you got Bob Hesley involved and I spoke to his son and all kinds of shit now, whether Bob Hesley is in on you or not in your with his three Facebook accounts, you're fucked, my man. You're fucked. You can you can go around thinking I'm Lee and he's me or whatever. But you know what? Law enforcement is going to get involved there now. Well, let's so, talk. Let's talk about Bob Hesley. Thanks so, a lot for that. So, so Kevin, you you contacted 
Bob Hesley's son. Of course, Bob Hesley is an older man. I think I think I looked it up. I think he's like yeah. seventy five. So uh, so his son is probably around my age. He's probably in his forties or early fifties, something like that. And uh, so you contacted his son and and informed yeah. him of what's going on with his dad. And what did his son have to say? Uh, he kind of was like resistance, kind of you know, wasn't admitting to things and and stuff like that. And I'm like, well, I'm coming to you like a man, dude. And uh, you know, either because I, I, I reached out to Bob, his real account, not the not the fake Christopher account that Lee got in contact. And I didn't. And supposedly, if this guy's on uh, internet all the time, con, con, continent, con, making ridiculous comments on Christopher's live stream, the same thing. I'm gonna meet you. I'm gonna meet you. Well, he's in his Facebook group, so why would he have to reiterate? every live stream every day i'm coming i'm co- you know he's saying the same thing so i reached out to him after four days went by contacted us i did a background check legally to find out uh what's going on so i contacted uh his son and his son was kind of resistant kind of was like what the hell are you talking about um and i was just trying to be like hey you know i gave him everything to look at i'm like look you know your your dad's got got three facebook accounts one created in 2009 which i know is his another created in 2019 which is when he i i think he met christopher and then christopher made another one which is the one lee contacted that christopher created in february of this year so um so basically i was telling him i'm like look this is what's going to happen you know there's gonna we're gonna take legal action um we just wanted your dad to know if he's involved with it or not if he's involved with Christopher, meaning is he really going to meet him? And is, is he really a believer? And is he helping uh, Christopher make these fake accounts and in on the Facebook group to hype himself up? Um, so basically, you know, he's like, all right, let me, let me check this out. So I'm thinking, all right, the next day, you know, I said, well, let me know what's going on. I think I figured the next day he would uh, contact me back. Didn't hear from him, left him a message. Um, then I text him. I said, look, if I don't hear back from you guys, I'm, I'm following through. I'm going, following the motions, going to get a police report, going to get, going, contact the FBI, put it all because I could have this might first earlier. And then after I text him, he texts me back saying, the guy is insane. The guy referring to, is referring to Christopher Mitchell? Yeah. He, said, yeah, he said, the guy is insane. And that's, I haven't heard from him back since. And I just told him, I said, fine. I said, well, I'm going to the police report. I'm going to, you know, police and uh, contact the FBI doing the motions and, you know, we'll let them sort it out and you don't have to worry about me contacting again. But I did contact I said, Hey, you might want to tune into this podcast tonight because, uh, you know, we're going to blast that shit. So, yeah, well, so I don't think you see, I don't think that Bob Hesley, whatever his role is, I, I think that he's been tricked in some way, whatever it is. So even if he's sharing accounts of Christopher Mitchell or, 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 or making Facebook comments that Christopher asked him to post or, or, or even gave Chris to post as him, whatever's happening, or if none of this, even if he's just a staunch supporter and, and this is all legitimate, uh, legitimately him, it, it doesn't, whatever it is, uh, he's an old guy, he's 75 years old, and he, uh, clearly he has some association with Christopher, and, and I believe he was probably tricked. He was probably bamboozled into this, and I think uh, if his son is listening right now, or if Bob is listening, it's just important to know that your dad is being sold uh, a system that does not work, and is mathematically proven not to work, 
and that uh, if you take a look at my site, PokerForAlert.com, there's a, a whole thread about this where you can see it all broken down exactly why this doesn't work. Or you could just Google Martingale strategy, and there's a million different videos and articles about why the Martingale strategy has been mathematically proven not to work. So not only shouldn't your dad use that in the casino ever, but he shouldn't pay for coaching on how to learn to use it because that uh, that will just cost him a lot of money. And and so that's important, and it's important to uh, I, I don't ever blame elderly people when they're bamboozled into going along with or helping out with some kind of scam or vouching for some kind of scam. Because I want to say said, helping out, but the guy's seventy five years old. He's lived a long life. He's seen it all and probably done it all. But the fact is, okay, screw the strategies. You know, oh, there goes me saying it wrong. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> screw all that. The fact is. Okay, somebody came to your son and alerted you to something serious. Hey, this guy reached out to a fake account. Christopher got it. Whether you gave him the information or not, I don't believe uh, he gave it to Christopher. Chris, that's Christopher's fake account that Lee accidentally uh, messaged. And this is what's going on. I, I laid it all out. I've, I've done this before. I've, I've, gone, I've got contacts in the FBI. I've gone down this road. I'm letting you guys know. You know, I don't think he's in on it, but if he is, this is what's going on. He's got three fake accounts. He's in his Facebook group, all this stuff. Well, know? okay, I'll say this. And, it's not a bad idea that you contacted him and gave him this information because anything that ultimately results in, like, kind of scaring – when I say scaring, I don't mean, like, physically scaring, like, threatening him, but kind of, like, making him leery about, okay, this is all too weird – I, I'm afraid of the, the FBI getting involved, the police getting involved. I'm afraid that Christopher Mitchell's acting weird. You know what? Before I thought I'm going to just get some good gambling coaching. This whole thing's weird. Now I'm staying away. If the if the end result is he doesn't come in July and doesn't give a penny to Christopher Mitchell, then a good thing has been done, and and then it's actually uh, um, one fewer person has been ripped off by this. Uh, BS gambling coaching that Christopher's selling, and then it's good. And sometimes uh, it is necessary to contact the adult children of elderly scam victims because the elderly scam victim will be too stubborn to listen to a stranger about it. And uh, and it's not like you're harassing the kid. You're, you're, you're letting them know you're, this is what your elderly father's involved in. And while he can probably still make his own decisions – at least the the son has some influence, and and I know if uh, now this wouldn't happen because my dad's still very sharp. But if I was contacted that my dad, who's who's around Bob Helsley's age, if I was contacted and told my dad was being scammed, uh, and then I, I first of all I would really look into it very carefully, and and second if I believed he was, I would be very 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 insistent that he doesn't uh, continue with it. Like you, you guys can imagine what I would do. Now, as I said, this wouldn't happen at least not now because. Uh, uh, even though my dad is around that age, he he's not susceptible to that. He's still very sharp. He still seems uh, just like the same guy I always knew. But um, but many people, uh, you know, people's brains uh, deteriorate at different rates, and uh, um, so so sometimes the the kid, does, the adult child, does need to go and and protect the parents from things happening. And the only way they can protect them is if someone informs them that that something's going on. So so I, I don't see any problem in. The fact that you enforced, let him know this. In fact, it it can it can end up that just even if they can't make a full decision of who's right and who's wrong, they may just throw up their hands and go, "You know what? This whole thing is so weird. This whole thing is just so much drama. Screw it. We're just staying away from all you guys." Which would be great. That would be a great result if that's what happens. Yeah. So so that, that's that's well, good. Well, me and 
yeah, me and you actually talked about this. We kind of agreed to disagree. And the only reason why I went to the FBI uh, with this is because of what I dealt with Morgan Stern. I reached out to, there was two agents, one out of Arkansas and one out of Florida because he committed crimes in both. Um, the one in uh, Florida that I discussed on your podcast, who was really cool. I wish he was involved in, in the very beginning. And I said, hey, you know, this is what's going on. And, you know, I don't want to bother you. But, you know, and basically he said that, you know, he'll see what he can do to, to get on a field officer's desk out there in Vegas and that, and see what, okay. see what they can I, do. I mean, At least can... we'll maybe run some IPs and, you know, go from there, or have Facebook do it, reach out to them. But Believe it or not, because the, of, yeah. the, the, the thing I – now, if you if you're able to actually get through to someone at the FBI and get them interested in this, then, yes, there is some value. But I'll tell you where the real value is. I, I would love to say that the real value is, is in the Facebook fake accounts or in, or, or in what happened to, to Lee here. And, and what happened to Lee was a crime, by the way, but uh, it's a, ma- a matter of actually uh, – uh, Getting the crime prosecuted is uh, sometimes tougher, but uh, but you know there's efforts being made about that. But uh, but I'll tell you where the FBI could have some real interest, and that is in the scam itself, because any FBI yep. agent who actually looks into the claims that are being made, it's one thing to just be selling a system that you believe works and you're just wrong about. So if he if he was just delusional and really believed he had a winning system, but was not actively trying to trick people or lie to them. Uh, that would not be a crime. He could be civilly sued for it, but that would be a crime. Where the crime comes in is where you knowingly misrepresent what you're selling to people and you're knowingly misrepresenting the results when you're selling these systems. And clearly he has. Clearly it could be proven. I'm sure 100% it could be proven in a court of law that he does not average $5,000 a day that he steps into the casino. In fact, I, I would be very shocked if he averages winnings at all in the casino if he averages even a one dollar win in the casino uh so so i'm sure he's averaging a loss there's no way he's averaging five thousand dollars a day if he was he'd be there just every day winning five thousand dollars and he'd make a uh, 1.8 million dollars a year he wouldn't need to coach anybody so uh well that's why we got that's how, that's why we got rick leon too right and we're gonna we're gonna get to him in a second so so the the, the point is here that uh that is misrepresentation that is where he's selling a losing system and selling it under the guise of the fact that it never loses and that ever, that he wins $5,000 a day doing this and just about never walks out without being a winner and that just about no day passes where he's gambling where he doesn't win and that can be proved that can easily be proven in various ways in a criminal case either either he can show that he's really won all this money and then show where where it went and how he got it and the casinos can look at their records and and it can easily be shown if this is true or not which we know of course is not true or he was lying about it in which case he was selling a non-working system that uh, and lying about its results when in reality he was losing and using this to fund his habit and that and since he's trying to do this on a mass scale so he's he's not just selling this to his friend down the street he's selling this on YouTube and trying to get uh, solicit customers around the world this is where an FBI agent could take an interest in it and it would be very easy to prove so if if the, the hardest thing is getting the FBI interested and if you've already made contact with someone who said okay we're going to put this on the desk of a field agent in Las Vegas who knows this could be interesting enough to an FBI agent to where they're interested in pursuing it and that's the, the whole thing is about getting their attention and getting them interested enough in the case because, the, as I mentioned, and I know we went back and forth, we're not going to get into that here, but I was talking about when it's a waste of time to go to the FBI and when it isn't because they get thousands of complaints, especially related to Internet scams, every day. 
And every office gets so, way more complaints than they could ever handle. Even if they had ten times the staff, they couldn't handle them all. So they have to pick and choose yeah, the I, ones I mean, that I go after. Yeah, I agree with that. So, so you, they have to pick and choose the ones that go after. I think the best chance that they will actually go after it would be if they uh, if they take a look and this go, wow, this is kind of interesting. A guy selling a gambling system and claiming he makes five thousand a day and openly selling this on YouTube and claiming he has all these clients. That might be, you know, that that looks like an ongoing massive scam. We're we're gonna go after him, and even if they look into it, I and mean, see we're dealing he, with a guy. We're dealing with a guy that that left left uh, on his uh, Amazon his his fifth grade level uh, books. He he left uh, reviews on his own books, Christopher Mitchell, and he he said, he put great book or something like that. And then you <laughs> can see where there's actual real real people leaving um reviews on it and then there's these anonymous anonymous and they're all great oh great story great oh you know oh great heartache and way to go just you know and it's all anonymous reviews yeah he did this before and that's that's the thing uh was the big thing i got the fbi involved is because he's creating these fake fake accounts whether uh yeah bob hesley gave gave him um the green light too, or he didn't. The fact is, there's two other Bob Hetzley's account, all created after meeting Christopher this year, and uh, and how many other accounts are are did he create to to add them to his Facebook group? Because Bob Hetzley is clearly is, and he's in there, and he's he's under these fake accounts saying, yeah, Christopher's this, or I won money this way. That's where the big scam is, and that's why I got I wanted to get the FBI involved because that's that's what we were talking about. That's the big scam. He's he's probably how many fake accounts is in his Facebook group talking to people where they think they're actually talking to. Oh, that's else. probably tr- yeah, that's Chris probably true. Saying, like, you know, I, I want all this money. You know, no, I, I agree. I'm, I'm sure there's shill accounts there, and I'm sure that's part of it. But but really, the the, the very big basis for this whole thing is the fact that the he, he's claiming false results and then attempting to sell a system for a lot of money to the general public through YouTube, and that's that's what's most likely to attract their attention. And all this other stuff is kind of on the side that they'll discover along the way. Uh, I, I want to ask. Uh, uh, Lee, something here. Lee, have you gotten? I, I know that video was up for six hours. It had your phone number up there and had your social. Uh, aside from Kevin, who called you to warn you, has anybody called you who saw your number in that video and harassed you in any way, or, or have you not gotten any contacts? No, I've actually not received any kind of contact or anything like that. Um, That's good. You know, and, and since that since that time, I've actually I'll, I'll kind of go through with you know actually what I've done. Um, you know, I don't want to maybe discuss everything that I've done. No, don't. Cause I, <laughs> no, no, no. But, but on, uh, you know, on Sunday, the, the, one of the first things I did, um, you know, again, I contacted the uh, private investigator. I actually did record that call. As well, or I, I may have recorded that call as well. Um, you know, he told me not to record it. Whatever. No, it doesn't matter. You're, you're, you're in a state. You're, 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 you're actually allowed to record whatever you want in, in Nevada. It's le- it's legal. So uh, anyway, yeah, yeah. So anyway, this uh, private investigator, I mean, he sounds scared out of his mind. And actually, one of, one of my favorite parts of the call with him is when I told him that the video was still up. He, he lets out a big sign. He goes, this fucking guy. <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, so anyway, I contacted the private investigator, uh, the day after on Monday, uh, I actually 
visited uh, one of the police stations. Um, I asked them if there was any kind of, you know, report taken on me, and they said no. Uh, there was not a police report. Yeah, of course not. Um, but they wouldn't actually let me make a report. They actually referred me to the FBI saying that this is an Internet crime. Now, what I did do um, is as soon as I got back in my car on my phone, I did write up a pretty lengthy report and and, and reported it to the FBI on okay. their Internet reporting thing or whatever. Okay. Um, Internet crime. And I yeah. actually wasn't... Yeah, I wasn't satisfied with the answer, so I, w- I drove to another precinct and, uh, dem- like, I, I kind of got the same pushback there, and I demanded to speak with a supervisor and a, uh, one of the, I don't know, he was a cop, whatever, whatever his rank was. He came out and talked to me, and, uh, he kind of heard me out. Um, he said, unfortunately, though, since I live in, Henderson, I would need to file this in Henderson, and I actually just haven't got around to to actually go in there yet. Just uh, the police station's hours are really weird. What? And... Come on, man! <laughs> oh, by the way, just just let everybody but, know. Uh, just let everybody know. Henderson, for those of you that don't know the Vegas area well, that is right next to Las Vegas. It's in the Las Vegas area, and it, it's just a separate city. So that's what they were saying. You can't report this uh, since you live in Henderson. You got to report it to your own police department in Henderson, even if, even though you're in the Vegas area. So that's that's what he's saying here. I'm shocked to hear that, Lee. I'm shocked to hear that. Well, so so also since then, um, you know, I've actually called, I've probably called at least eight different attorneys uh, over this past week, and all of them try to claim that they don't take these kind of cases. Uh, I actually have a friend of mine who is a prosecuting attorney uh, for the Indianapolis Police Department, so I actually had a pretty lengthy phone call. It was about a three-hour-long phone call with him. Oh wow! Uh, I think on on Thursday, and he tried to, you know, he's licensed in Indiana, not Las Vegas or Nevada, but he tried to uh, help me out by looking up some laws and trying to, you know, uh, basically break down the laws for me. And you know, he claimed that without really any kind of financial damages it would really be hard to find a lawyer to really try to take my case, uh, you know, unless I wanted to spend tons and tons of money on this. Um, you can do it. You can do it yourself though. You, you so, can. Right. But, and you're uh, probably better off just like getting, you know, there's those services. Now you may have to have attached your social for 10 years and you can probably get a bill of five grand and zoom in small claims court or something. But he doesn't want to pay, he doesn't uh, want to pay five grand. Up front, though. I don't know. A lot of, a lot of counties and there's always legal aid that people do stuff on pro bono. So. Well, he, he's, he's got, yeah, he's got, uh, he's got a few years to figure I think he probably has two to three years to figure out what he wants to do. Like if he wants to sue in small claims or what he wants to do. Um, it, it may be worth doing. Yeah. It, it is true. He's right. That the, the damage is, thing it's it's hard to quantify because you don't know okay so his his social security number and all his address and all his info his phone number all his info was right up there and anyone who wants it's not there anymore i wouldn't be alerting you guys to it if it was but it, it it's been gone it was up for six hours but it was up and people who wanted to use this to steal his identity or or do other very bad things where otherwise it'd be hard to come by this information can now so even if 
at the moment nothing has happened. Um, he doesn't know if sometime down the line it's going to happen. He could he could even happen down the line uh, after the statute of limitations of Suum runs out. So for that reason, since there 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 were at least seven hundred views of this video, and you don't know who those seven hundred people were, uh, mm-hmm. you could claim there are some damages because of uh, this private information got out and, and Christopher maliciously put it out. It didn't just accidentally slip out. He, he put the paper right up to the camera and held it there so you could all see it. Uh, and, and, and the video set up for six hours. So uh, so that that could be claimed as, as some form of damage. I, I see where there's uh, some hesitation, especially lawyers don't want to take cases on contingency if uh, if they don't think there's a super high chance they're going to win. And if they don't take it on contingency, then you got to waste a lot of your own money. Lawyers are very expensive if you're paying them by the hour, as I'm sure you all know. And, uh, and and to do that when when the case is not a slam dunk, it's a slam dunk that he did it and you could prove he did it. It's not a slam dunk that you would win damages uh, now, if someone had taken this information and, and caused some harm with it by now, then uh, then he would have damages, but that hasn't happened yet, thankfully. But but it could. It, it, I hope it doesn't, and I hope for Lee's sake it doesn't. And I, and well, yeah, because it's not just him involved, his, his wife, too. There's a thing called pain and suffering, and he can't take them to small claim, claims court himself. He doesn't need a lawyer. Yeah. That, but and that's, his, wife too, his wife, too, was involved. And now they're they could be living in fear. I'm not saying yeah. to act like a, a pussy on air, but hey, you know, this <laughs> guy could be living on uh living in fear. His wife could no, be living true. in fear, wondering what the hell is going on. You know, they both were innocently uh attacked and still to this day it's one thing his the the PI called him up and said, Hey, take that down. You got the wrong guy. But he's still telling his viewers that are on videos that are getting fifteen hundred to two k views, that it's still him. Yeah, and that, and that's crazy, and they, right? And, that, that's a good that point. Still has his information or or copied it. It still could believe it's him. And that's a good point. Know? That's a good point that uh, that not only did he do this, but that when it was brought to his attention, even by the PI, that he made a mistake, that uh, he doubled down on it, and the next day continued to claim that the information is real and the only reason he took it down is because they were harassing his PI and the PI was, was tired of being harassed. So again, making him the bad guy. Like he, he actually, yeah, he actually claims that it was taken down by YouTube. Oh, he comes by YouTube. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That, uh, uh, one of our forum members said that one of our forum members caught that. Yeah. Um, she said, uh, she's like, she's like, yeah, he, he said it that he goes, uh, YouTube took it down. When it when here's when the funny thing: see, so if YouTube you took it down, video, the channel would says, be down right now. Huh? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, YouTube, yeah. right. Yep. Exactly. That's a great point that uh, Lee just brought up here. That he he violated a massive, massive YouTube rule. And I, I want to send out a plea here to everybody who's listening: if you have any connection to anyone who works at YouTube, please let me know because all we want is for someone who works at YouTube, and I'm I'm still looking for this: someone who works at YouTube to go watch that video. Because they can't. Just because Christopher deletes it doesn't mean it's gone off YouTube. It's just gone to where it can't be accessed by the public. But YouTube is still on their servers, and employees of YouTube can access it. So it's, Now, the problem is reporting it. You can't report a video that doesn't exist anymore if you're just a regular person. But anybody who works at YouTube is listening or who knows someone who works at YouTube, please get a hold of me or A. Hoosier A. or even Kevin and, and let us know because we want them to go watch this video. Don't and by the way, we're not looking to lie or or exaggerate. We want them to just go watch the video itself that Kevin deleted, not Kevin, that uh, that uh, that Christopher deleted, 
and 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 see the social security number and other information that was put up about Lee in in strict violation of YouTube rules, and I have a feeling his channel is going to be gone. I, if if YouTube caught that before he deleted it, uh, the channel would very likely be gone because it's a huge no-no. You cannot dox people, especially with social security numbers, on YouTube. That's that's in, in fact in California well, it's illegal. Unfortunately, unfortunately, because I keep saying this, uh, so I'll be beat a dead horse in the ground. This isn't my first rodeo. Um, because I went through the shit with Morgan Stern, <laughs> he did a hundred times worse, and it took forever, forever to get his video, his uh, channel taken down. The thing is with Christopher, he had, he has, you know, twenty times less uh, subscribers. He has twenty times less views than Morgan Stern because Morgan Stern had a viral video from when he caught Bet Online cheating. But the fact is, it it takes forever. And now, so if anybody is listening, this is what you need to do. My video showed the cha- like shows how to do it. You go to his actual channel. Uh, there's a, an about. You don't go to a certain video. You just go to the channel. Oh, and really? The channel? Okay. Exactly how, why it's a scam. Let's get into Rick, though. Let's let's we can t- talk about Rick. Let's lead into that one. Yeah. Okay. So we so, got him so, on so Rick Lee is uh, a former customer of. Uh, Christopher Mitchell's, and uh, th- this has always fascinated me. I always love when, when, when former customers come forward of things like this so, so we can understand uh, how it all came. And it, basically, it's, it's a look into what was really going on because the rest of us can only see this from the outside. We're never going to be in his Facebook group. We're never going to really be involved in any uh, real intimate time with him. Uh, so, uh, Rick, how did you get to know yeah. Christopher Mitchell? How did you find him in the first place? Well, so first, when I was um, gambling, um, I was losing some money, and then I basically told myself that I need a, you know, a strategy or a system if I really wanted to gamble. So I just went to YouTube, and um, I saw him, and I started watching him, and keep, you know, and then I haven't even bought his strategy until probably late of uh, December after Christmas, and um, I bought it, and. Um, I was kind of shocked because of the PDF. It was really simple. It's just Martingale and hop tables. I didn't even <laughs> use it. I didn't even use it until probably I started losing some more money, and that I decided let me let me you know try it. And I tried it, and then still wasn't working. So that's when I decided to contact him and said, "Hey, I need some help. I need a game plan, and um, what can we do?" Okay, so how so much did, how much did he charge you for this huh? uh, this PDF that was very simple, just saying to Martingale and 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 uh, jump tables. Um, first of all, we, you can choose to buy the backlight or the blackjack. If you buy both, it's 750. If you buy only one, it's, I think, 500. So I pay him 500. And if you still want the blackjack, you're supposed to pay him 250, but he had a, I guess, a Christmas special, what do you call it? And then Christmas special. He basically charged me, <laughs> yeah. He charged, charged $100. So I just Venmo him, uh, 100 bucks. So I got both. Okay. So you got oh, both. And, and so now I, I am wondering this here. Well, here. Because he, 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 you know, he reaches out. To, he wants to be nice to people. He gave him a Christmas bonus. Yeah. Hey, from yeah. 750 to 500 So, so okay, I, I want to ask, uh, when you saw these systems weren't quite what you were expecting, that they, they were too simple, it was just Martingale and, and jump tables every, every so often, um, what, why did you think that uh, – and I'm asking this seriously. I'm not trying to be judgmental. Uh, why, why, did you, why did you think that – meeting him in person was going to be any different than what was on those papers? Well, keep in mind, you know, background was a, a new game to me. Uh, I mean, I just stopped playing probably in, within two weeks. 
Uh, before, I was playing roulette for like five, six years, and that wasn't working well either. So um, I said, well, seeing his videos and, you know, he's showing the money and keep winning, winning, and I said, maybe he's doing something that I'm not doing. Or maybe I'm still new to the game, so maybe there's something else to it. So uh, I decided to just, hey, I mean, I already lost $40,000 in, Janu- in January. So, you know, as well, go ahead and go to meet him up and maybe he can teach me more or, you know, maybe I'll buy luck or maybe I'm doing something wrong. So that's when I decided to contact him. And um, I guess he said, well, that's a good idea. And then he basically said, okay, I, I would charge you $2,500. Um, for coaching for one day, and uh, basically I told him, you know, I'm already lost forty grand. I can't, all, I can't um, afford twenty five hundred. Uh, is there another plan or another you can work work with me? And then we we end up, you know, saying okay, a thousand. So I said, okay, that will work. So that's when I went to Vegas and gave him a thousand dollar. But when I got there, he basically okay, this is what I'm gonna do. Since I already, um, told everybody on YouTube that I'd coaching for twenty five hundred. When I made you um, ten grand, and you gave me the other fifteen hundred dollars, and that's why I, I mean we didn't make we didn't make ten grand. We right. made uh, I think eight nine thousand two days. Okay, so so let me uh, go back just a tiny bit. Uh, how did you initially find him at all? What what, what led you to him in the first place? Uh, I was just going online to, trying to see what kind of game is the best uh, uh, edge, uh, and then back when I came and I started watching it you know watching the game and then i his, his, his um youtube started coming up okay, and I so, watching okay it. so you just kind of found his youtube That's channel it. and then and then went from there yeah, by accident by Even accident by okay accident. okay so right. so so getting back to the vegas trip so you you went to vegas and and you won with mm-hmm. him and uh and so basically his uh what was it like you, you were basically going from casino to casino spending a small time in each and martingaling yeah pretty much i mean bottom line um he never hopped tables. Uh, we've been there. I, I went with him, I believe, 12 casino in two days or something like that. Something like that. And then um, basically he just bet banker. And then basically if he loses, he just, you know, double up in Martingale until he wins. And if he if we get lucky, uh, we win between five. You know, we uh, use a black chip, a hundred dollar, and then we just basically win between five hundred to fifteen hundred, and we leave. And let me let me cut you off. Did. Let me let me cut yeah. you off real second, Lee. So right. let's get this straight, everyone. Lee, you were with him for two days, now, and is that, all it, he did is it wrong was you, Beth you, Banker you, and Martindale. Rick, That's it. Rick, that, Rick, Rick you, you mean Rick, Rickley? So we have Rick, <laughs> we have Lee, and we have what, what did Rickley. I say? You, you said Lee. Hey, I'm on my sixth fighter. I'm on my. Hey, I'm buzzing right now. I'm. <laughs> no, it's understandable because it's it's similar. We have we have Rick Lee, and then we have Lee. It's very confusing. So okay, um, so Rick, yeah. So just uh, Kevin is just clarifying that that really all he was doing is Martin Galing and then leaving after a short time. If you're successful enough of the Martin Galing to, to win win between like fifteen five hundred to fifteen hundred, right? Right. I mean, we have a lot, of, a lot of maybe four, three to four uh, table. We have problem. Um, you know, basically almost lost everything, but luckily we got it back. I mean, it, it was a stra- struggle. That's what I was going to ask table. next. That's what I was going to ask next uh, about how many times you came close to ruin. So, for those of you who don't know, and I, I've I've gone over this a lot of times on the show. I'm not going to do a long uh, description here, but with a Martin Galing, you're you're betting if you lose you double your bet if you lose you double that bet if you lose you double that bet and so the the theory behind that strategy is once you win once 
that you've made back everything you lost previously on the on the losing streak plus one small bet plus the original bet back. So if so, if, let's say you start with one hundred, you go one hundred, two hundred, four hundred, eight hundred, sixteen hundred, thirty-two hundred. Let's say you win the one is thirty-two hundred. Then you've wiped out the first losses of the one hundred, two hundred, four hundred, eight hundred, sixteen hundred. That wipes all that out, and you end up with a hundred dollar profit, and then you go back to a hundred. That's that's the way that system is. It's called Martingale, and and uh, and most of the time, because it, it would take uh, a number of consecutive losses in a row to wipe out your bankroll. Most of the time, you walk away a winner. But the problem is, the few times you walk away a loser, you've lost a fortune because you've you've basically uh, kept doubling until your bankroll couldn't stand it anymore, and then you're broke. So that's why eventually it eats you. And that's why it's negative expectation and with super high variance. But it's, it's deceptively uh, something that people use. They think it's profitable because most of the time they walk away a small winner. And once in a while they walk away a gigantic loser, which wipes out all the previous wins and more. So, so, you're, so what I wanted to know here, and you were starting to say it, um, you said a few times it came close to wiping out the bankroll you had with you. How many losses in a row was that when it, when it was very close? I believe it was it was our second casino in uh, Caesars, and basically he had to put out another. I think he buy in, if I remember correctly, now like twelve thousand dollar, and then he had to buy in another ten. So, and I didn't really, I already lost like seven thousand, and then I bought I bought my um about ten grand I think, and then I got only three thousand left. Wow! And, but he went in, yeah, and then he basically. Progressive the Martingale. Uh, I believe he bet six thousand and he won, and then he he bet again, and basically he got his money back. And I got I didn't bet the same because I didn't have the money. Um, I had only three thousand, but I won some back. So we got up. Um, uh, I think he I, I made five hundred. I think he made maybe eleven hundred. I can't. So so, so you were like you were like a hair away from getting uh, completely decimated, but you guys yeah, got lucky yeah, on the final one and one. Yep, that's yeah, that happens. Risking yeah, that your happens. entire bankroll to just get that one bet you lost back. Yeah, and that's and that's what happens. So so let me and I mentioned this on a previous show. If you play just fifty hands of baccarat, uh, you are likely not. It may happen once in a while. In just fifty hands, it is likely at some point you will lose six in a row. Likely, that is the that is the likely result is that at some point you will lose six in a row. When you play just fifty hands, so can you imagine if you play a uh, hundred hands, a thousand hands? Obviously, that goes up way, way up, and and you're you are going to have some big losing streak like that on a game that's essentially fifty fifty like baccarat. So, uh, so that's I, I was wondering how close that was. So even though you got you walked away a winner, even though that that trip was successful by the dollar amount that ended up in your pocket, you you won what, like eight grand or something. Uh, you were very close to decimating the bankroll. You just uh, at the last second. Won that huge bet when when it almost didn't happen. Right. So, okay, so so I mean, what what was what was the next trip you went on with him? Um, after I came back from Vegas, I mean that was up twelve thousand. Um, you know, with my play also by myself, and then um, went to Bluxy, and that uh, trip was a disaster because when I got there on Hot Rock, and there was a I believe nine player streak came down. And basically, I followed his bet, and I have fifteen thousand dollar bankroll. I lost that in twenty minutes or so, and I believe he lost about twenty or twenty five thousand. And then um, after that, he didn't want us to follow him. You know, it was a mess. But um, <laughs> he decided not to. Um, yeah, he, his, his excuses that he wanted to try something new, 
is BS because the only thing he does is basically Beckham Banker 95% of the time and Montegale. So yeah. That's how he lost 36000 after after he won't allow us to follow him. And, and then he made that uh, video admitting he lost 36000 Is it because you and, and some other people were there to see it and he's afraid the word would get out? Well, not no, other people were uh, there to see it. They, they lost, too. Get, clarify that, Rick. Yeah. Yeah, um, Kirk, Kirk lost and uh, Tommy lost. Everybody lost uh, at that session right there. Everybody lost. Um, and then I guess we played by ourselves pretty much. And then uh, the next day he said, let's meet up at the coffee shop. And then he said, okay, uh, because I don't like group coach no more. I'm not going to do it no more because it distract him and he can't think. And there's a lot of people, you know, distracting <laughs> Yeah, and all that stuff. And then, you know, we just kind of, okay, that's fine. I'm distracted. Uh, and, uh, I'm distracted. I can't bet Banker and Martingale with all these people watching. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, that's what happened. And then um, he and then he lost some more. And then he basically saying that he used some different strategy. He, he, he didn't use no other strategy. I mean, that's what he did. I mean, that's all I've been seeing, Banker and Martingale. That's it. Yeah, and... So there is... Uh, so there is witnesses of him lying. Oops. So, so and, and uh, he, he was saying in his video where he was bashing you because after after you uh, posted some comments yeah. on Kevin's video about what had gone on, he got very uh, upset. No, no, wait, 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 Todd, you're getting. I know uh, you're getting. Uh, you're getting out. Uh, there's there's more. Wait, there's more. <laughs> Before you get off the track, wait, there's more. He, Rick met him in I, I Vegas. I never say nothing. Okay, I never say nothing. Um, negative or trash about CM. I, I mean, I, you know, gambling, we lose, we lose. I don't know. Suddenly he just kicked me out. Of his group, uh, of his, his fa- Facebook. Facebook group, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, Rick, you're, no you're getting off track. Did did or did okay, you not, a week, late, a week later, did you, did or did you not meet him in Vegas again? Yeah, second time. I, uh, basically, I met CM three times, three trips. I went back to Vegas and met, met him. And that's when he lost thirty thousand, and I lost another roughly ten thousand, and then wow. my other money five thousand. So yeah, it was a it was another disaster. Yeah, it was a disaster. So 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 then right after that, he he kicked you out of the Facebook. Did he did he kick you out of the Facebook? Uh, what did you say that got him angry, or did he just kick you out for no reason? Well, after I lost that second Vegas, I didn't really want to follow him. Um, he even texted me. I still have his text saying that um, if you want to. Um, you know, gamble tomorrow, but I don't want your girlfriend or your friend or my wife to follow us. We just me and you. Basically, that's another excuse of him saying that, you know, I don't know, it's bad luck or, mm. or did he distract it again? But anyway, I didn't, I didn't answer him. And then for about a week, week and a half, I never post anything. I never write anything on the Facebook. And then suddenly one day I was, I was kicked out. I text him and he basically said that, um, I, I never post anything. And I never, you know, um, comment <laughs> anything on his Facebook. And then um, I talked trash behind him. And I never did. I mean, I basically, oh, I tell the truth. I just said, we lost, we win, we lost. I mean, that's it. Now, now <laughs> I, I, I'm curious, what goes on inside that Facebook group? What, what is it like in there? What, what are the discussions? What, what are people saying there? Like, uh, what, what happens the in that? Was, I mean, at the beginning, it was great. I mean, um, you know, and he wasn't, he didn't have the big head. Like, you know, before he was telling us, you know, manage your money. Uh, bet small and then gradually if you feel comfortable, you know, learn how to learn this, the, the, his strategy and get comfortable with it. But to, uh, within a month, a month and a half, two months, 
he's starting to tell people, you know, you need a big bank role, and if you don't have a big bank role, you're not going to win. You're not going to have enough money to put back up, you know, for Martingale to six, stuff like that. And, um, you know, I mean, it wasn't okay at the beginning, but now uh, to, I believe a lot, a lot, a lot of my friends and all that is not there no more because what he did to me and also, you know, it's how, just that he's just dishonest and he tell those white lies, you know. How many members were example. in that? Yeah, how many members were in that group? Do you know? Uh, when I left, it was what, between one hundred eight, one hundred nine. Hmm. I wonder yeah. how. And I also, wonder, I want yeah. I want to tell you uh, one of his video. He always said uh, he was feeding me, my fiance, and my friend with nice five star uh, dinner and all that, and and he make it sound like. I didn't pay for dinner. I gave him $300 to pay our second dinner. <laughs> and he's the one that tried to act rich, okay? I, w- I was really pissed about that. I gave him $300 cause we went to a $700, uh, you know, dinner. I mean, we didn't really want, we just want to, you know, get, get something simple, you know, and, but he just want to, you know, show people that he's rich and all that stuff. And Rick, I, Rick, I, well, that's Rick, part of the scam. Hey, hey, yeah. Rick, uh, this I is uh, Lee, Lee Bradbury here. I actually got a question for you. So yeah. during the three trips that you went with him, was he giving uh, the pit boss and stuff his player card? Yeah, we do. We do. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah. how he's getting and all those free rooms. Well, well, that's well, <laughs> yeah, you know what that can do. that can be his undoing because, and this is what I thought might be the case. This could be his undoing because since he's giving the player card, they have a record of what he's winning and losing. Whereas his only possible defense of, about that he's doing better than the casino thinks he is, is that he doesn't give cards. But if they're showing that he's, he's a loser overall, which I'm sure he is, uh, then, yes. then there's no way he could be claiming I'm making $5,000 uh, every day. And if he tries to say, well, that I, I, that's the times when I don't give my card, first of all, that's very hard to believe. Second, the burden of proof would be on him to say that, he, he, like to show that. He couldn't just say, oh, I'm making this one and not showing the card. The fact that they do have record of him there and he is losing and he can't show that he has a record any of what he claims in his videos, that's the biggest scammy element of this whole thing. If he just said, I have a system here and it works and it's just because he's an idiot and thinks it works when it doesn't, that that could just be a delusional person rather than a scammer. It's when they lie about their results to get customers, that's when it becomes a scam. And, and that really appears to be what he's doing. Well, listen to this, Todd. Here's two things I wanted to point out. One, it's props. It could be props. Who's, who's, maybe they said, we'll give you this room and then you, you can upgrade for a few dollars. Because think about it this way. He'd say he's given his player's card and all this shit. Here's another thing he says. All these casinos fly him out there. All right. But he, but I, but I, uh, tried to get him to say, hey, show us the plane tickets. He keeps saying every casino flies him out to Vegas, flies, which is bullshit. Second of all, yeah, that's a, he says that's a he lie. says that, that they offer him penthouse suites and all this shit. Who would offer penthouse suite? You know, you know just as well as I do, Todd. Who offers somebody penthouse suites when they're admitting that they're only betting fifteen minutes and and leaving your casino and going somewhere else? Well, yeah, so who, who offers somebody a pet penthouse suite? Bullshit. That's a good point. Um, I, I will say, yeah, so either he's buying these or it's possible he comes on some dead days, like on a Wednesday during a non-holiday period. And they, they so they, not the penthouse suite, but maybe he'll get some kind of suite. Like I've seen pictures of him in the suites. I believe he's really getting them. He might be paying for them. He might be paying for an upgrade. Uh, he might be, 
um, he, he might he might be getting comped because it's because he's lost a lot of money there and because it's an off night and they can they have it exactly. open anyway. So or once in a while you get a suite because there's a problem with your room. I, I've been put in some great suites. I remember like a New New Orleans. I don't want to get into a long story about myself, but New Year's I was in New Orleans as I went from 2013 to 2014. January first, 2014, my very first view, of my first morning of the new year was this nasty sewage bubbling up from the shower that uh, not just a little bit. I mean, it was full of this black sludge. It bubbled up over the bathtub. We had some clothes hanging in the bathtub. It got on the clothes. It was a disaster. And it was because they, they were doing some plumbing work and screwed up. So I was so upset about this. So they, they as a peace offering to me, put me in one of the best suites in Harris, New Orleans. Now, it wasn't for my play. It was because uh, a bunch of crap bubbled up from the uh, – a bunch of sewage bubbled up into my room. That's why they did it. So I could have made a video then said, folks, this is where they're putting me because I'm winning so much money and I'm betting so big. And, I, you know, they would have been, that wouldn't folks, have been true. But folks, the, folks, folks. So, so it could be stuff like that, that he'll record these videos in these hotel rooms where he has a suite when he gets one in some way that uh, isn't related to his gaming. It could be either he bought it or, or, or he gets it in some way because there is a, a problem. Yeah. Folks, 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 I think, I think you guys are missing one of the possible angles. Maybe he has a gay host and he's doing some favors. <laughs> Kyle, Kyle Prescott's coming out. Yep. Well, uh, Rickley, I got one more question for you. Uh, sure. During the three trips that you met with him, how many times did he say "folks" in real life? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he he video his day while he's walking. I mean, I don't even pay attention, honestly. Well, do, but does he does he act different? In, does, does he act different in person so Rick, than he does in the video? Let's clarify this, Rick. Let's clarify this. You met you played five days with him. Two, two your first night you met him, another night in Biloxi, and then two in Vegas. That's five nights, right? Um, I'm getting this correctly. Five, five, um, four, five four nights. But the second, the second um, Vegas trip, um, only one, well, one and a half. Yeah, yeah, you can say it's five nights. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, go exactly. Ahead. Okay, and just to clarify for everybody, in those five nights, you what you witnessed him lose fifty six thousand dollars. Yes, roughly. Yes. Wow. Okay. Ooh. So there. I wonder but where that money that came he, from. He like, won twenty thousand dollar back the next day. You know so what? I don't know if that's a lie or not. It may be, but I. I mean, it's it's interesting. He even had fifty six thousand dollars to bet there. He must. I wonder where he accumulated that. Though it could have been. You know what? Well, it could have actually been from. Of, it could have been a Martinelle streak that just didn't go bad for a while. That he got lucky for a while, and then it it eventually yeah, comes. And the, and the seven fifty. The seven fifty that everybody gave him. Right, right. So that's that too. It's, it's probably a combination of both, and and that's what happens with the Martingale. You can you can get lucky for some time. You just never know when it's going to come. It right. could come the next one. It could come. Uh, um, it, it's almost like like take a, a gun with. Uh, let's say it's, instead of having six, uh, like you know, you know, Russian roulette where you're spinning the gun and, and pull it. Let's say there was a giant chamber there where you, you could load um, you know, fifty bullets. Uh, you could probably pull the, the trigger on that ten times. And you're not going to kill yourself, but but if you keep pulling the trigger over and over, one of the times that one in fifty chance is going to come through, and the bullet's going to go in your head, head and you're going to be dead. It's like that. It's that uh, it, that bullet of the martingale going bad is always waiting there to hit you, and it's not so unlikely to where it is going to happen eventually. It's not. It's not like one of these chances that's so tiny it won't happen. It it will happen, 
And the only way that the chance could be so tiny that it wouldn't is if you're betting something meaningless. So if you're a billionaire and if they would let you keep doubling your bet all the way up to a billion dollars, which they wouldn't, but if they did, if you started with a dollar, you probably would never lo- – you probably never end up losing. But you know what the problem is? You'd be a billionaire making a dollar every time. So that wouldn't be worth your time. So that's the problem. Well, you, 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 could, well, you were talking about that earlier. You're not, not even mentioning all the juice this guy's charging. Right. You guys said they should go look at the Martindale on the internet. That's not even counting how much money he's charging. Them. Well, that well that was when he was charging the flat the flat rate. Uh, we're talking about just for the coaching. Then the newer idea he had was that he's going to charge everybody fifty percent of whatever their profits are, which is especially insane. So, uh, wow. So the, the, Rick Rick wasn't with him when that was happening. That came later, and he I don't think he's seen anyone under the circumstances yet because he came up with that idea while the casinos were shut down, and they're just starting to reopen. It will be interesting to see if he if he returns to the casinos with new customers or even returning old customers. Once no, no, we got we got a little plan for that. We got a little plan for that. Okay, once he's in, the, we're going to put him in. Uh, we're going to try to get him in the uh, OSN. So, okay. and, uh, that should be not a problem because no, no casino is going to want to be having, having their, uh, having them have a platform, uh, giving them a platform for a scam. So, and I got a buddy that, um, you actually, have you ever heard, heard of small cap growth? Yes. Yep. Yeah. He's, uh, small cap growth actually posts, he posts on my uh, Vegas casino talk forum. That's how I know him. I don't really yeah, know. Yeah. I don't really yeah. know him, but I've seen I've seen him post there. So that's uh, that's where I know yeah. the name. For those that are listening, small cap growth won two point six million dollars. Uh, car counting. Interesting. Well, so. um, well, uh, that is uh, that's an interesting story there, Rick. And uh, uh, you know, I'm sorry you you ran into all that. If if I can give you any advice here. It's uh, number one. If you do want to learn any kind of uh, systems or anything, it's to learn from a, like a, a very reputable uh, card counter or someone. And Baccarat, you're not going to ever get over on them there. Uh, but if you want to like like learn blackjack card counting, the good thing is you have some cover already because you've already lost so much money, and they clearly don't think you're a negative, you're a positive expectation gambler. You could actually go a while before they catch on to the fact that you've figured it out, that you've switched and learned uh, positive expectation strategies like card counting. Uh, so, so either learn how to do that or advantage play or just, or just quit casino gambling because otherwise it's, it's going to get you like it, it already has, you know, but it's, right. it, it, that's, that's what happens is eventually anyone who gambles in the casino without an, a, an actual mathematical edge and a bank. And if you, even if you gamble with a mathematical edge, you have to have the bankroll to sustain it. You have to bet the right amounts to where you're not risking. But, but, uh, especially if you're not gambling with positive expectation, uh, it will get you, and and you're going to go broke. I've known so many people. I've known poker. You know, I'm a poker player. That's mainly what I I do. Is I'm a professional poker player, and mm-hmm. I've been for many years. I have a World Series of Poker bracelet, uh, but I'm mainly I'm actually mainly a cash player. I'm not even a tournament player that much. But uh, I've known a lot of people in poker. Great players made millions in poker, made m- more money than I did in poker, and yet they're broke because they they lost it all in the casino. Or, or betting sports, not knowing what they're doing. Like, there's a lot of ways gambling right. can, and I'm sure you've heard it many times before. I'm just telling you, as someone who, who is a professional gambler and has done all this for many years, and uh, yeah, that, that's that's what I would suggest from this point forward. Because you seem like a nice guy. I don't want to see you lose uh, any further money than you already have. And uh, it sounds like it hasn't been a very good year for gambling for you so far. So uh, that that would be my advice to you. And I'm, I'm glad you've at least seen the light, and that uh, you're 
that you're willing to come forward here on a show like this. And, and I, and I believe, I believe Rick, he sounds very sincere. He sounds like he's telling us the truth. And, uh, you know, in fact, I wanted to, I wanted to get Rick on record because, uh, this is another Rick left a comment. And this is another thing that, uh, uh, Christopher Mitchell took the ball and ran with it. Rick left a comment saying the money, uh, that, that CM has is real. And Chris, and then Christopher Mitchell, of course said, you know, Rick talked all this shit or whatever, and then he held up his stack of fake prop money and said, well, at least Rick said one thing, that my money is real. Let's get it on record, Rick. When you when said that his money is real, you meant the money that he was gambling with in the casino right. and lost. Right. Exactly. Not that, right. not that the, you're not vouching for that fake, that fake stack that he's holding up, right? Yeah, the one on the video, I don't know. I'm talking about the one I saw and I touched. Or, or when I saw him play on the table, that was real. Well, yeah, probably. I, yeah, I doubt. Not, I doubt he'd be dumb enough to bring funny. counterfeit money to to the casino. So probably at the time he lost the fifty six thousand, um, he probably uh, really did lose a real fifty six thousand dollars in the casino then. And Rick probably saw real money. I, I agree with Kevin. It's very the, the current money he's holding up is very suspicious because all the different time he tries to respond to Kevin's accusations about the money being fake. And says he'll prove it, but then he never does it, or he'll partially do it for like a few thousand dollars, and then stop. And then he'll 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 be like right at a bank and not show it there, not not deposit it there to show it's real. Like he he always stops short of ever really proving it. Yet he's done multiple videos insisting he's going to prove it. So it's not like he's not responding. Ten, ten, ten days ago, he said on camera when he was walking with his wife, you know, and his wife wheels the stroller out in oncoming traffic. He said that one of his his believers, one of his followers and subscribers, sent him, sent him the counterfeit pen. And he said that he was going to go and do that video and prove it. And then once he did it, he was going to deposit all that money into a bank to prove it once and for all. Has he done it? Hell no. Yeah. So, uh, And to point out one thing, I don't think I actually posted this in the thread, but I know that I messaged this to Kevin and Todd. Uh, in one of his last videos with his uh, money counter, I got the brand name off of it, and I actually emailed the company. It's uh, Casita. I asked them, I said, hey, is there any way, you know, I said the, I came across a video where it looked like some people was using Hollywood money and running it through your cash counting machine. I said, is there a way uh, to do that without showing counterfeit bills? And I got a response back from the business development manager at Casita Sales, he said, sure, just turn off all the counterfeit detection. So <laughs> when he's running this money through the machine, it means absolutely fucking nothing. Yeah, that's right. That's, that's a prop he's using recently. He keeps running the money through a, uh, a bill counter and, and, and to imply that, that it has to be real. And, and as Lee just mentioned, he, he actually contacted the, the manufacturer of the machine that said, oh, yeah, you can just turn off the counterfeit detection and then uh, you can run whatever you want. It'll, it'll count it. I mean, I, I could probably make uh, fake $100 bills uh, with crayons and, and run it through that. It would, it would count if I turn off the detection. So well, that's, uh, that's why he's not doing he's not he's not doing the you know the counterfeit pen detector. He's not depositing money in his account. He's not going to the ATM and showing you his balance because the money is not real. Yeah, it's, it, I, I think that's what it is, and that's what's. Uh, otherwise, he would have proven it by now. It was like when I heard the stories about Rick, I actually thought, well, you know, maybe it is real because uh, he had enough to lose in Biloxi all that money and, and in Vegas all that money shortly after. But but then he's gone through such lengths to avoid proving it and yet keep saying he will so he's acknowledging 
that he wants to prove it, and then just never does. And that's uh, whenever I've seen that. If I'm holding up Marty multiple times saying it's real, and some some guys calling me out saying it's it's bullshit, and I know it's real. I'm definitely going to prove to somebody that it's real, especially when it's uh, interfering with my business. And has he? Hell no. Yeah. So, so Mike I, Morgenstern I, did the same exact shit, except Christopher Mike Morgenstern's stack was like really bullshit. Like he never held it up; he'd always hold it on his side. Christopher got has fake Chinese uh, counterfeit. Uh, I don't say counterfeit because it sounds like it's fake. It's actually you can make it as close to counterfeit as possible over in China, and, and you know, like you can get like fifty thousand dollars for. Um, Literally only like forty bucks, you know. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I, I have to say that's a likely uh, that that is a likely thing here. And uh, well, I I, th- I think we've said everything we need to say. I thank you guys for all appearing on here, uh, Lee. I hope uh, nothing further happens here. And of course, you've got some time to decide exactly what you want to do about uh, the situation with being doxxed here. I'm sorry that had to happen to you. And Rick Lee, thank you for coming on. And Kevin, thank thank you for uh, once again coming on the show and uh, discussing yeah, I wanted to give better. a Yeah, I wanted to give a shout out to uh, to one of my main, the main guy, my re- main researchers who's been with me through thick and thin from the Morgenstern days and now Christopher Mitchell. And now we exposed, sent Brunson FX to the hills. Uh, we're going, we're going up and, uh, he goes by the name of Trapper Joe on my YouTube and without him, this wouldn't all be possible. So I got to give a big shout out to him. Okay. Well, thank, thank you. And, uh, YouTube scam exposers is the name of Kevin Davis's channel. He releases new comment, almost content almost every day. So check that out and, uh, thank you to all of you. Yeah, Druff, I actually want to just, uh, I mean, I do want to move on from talking about this fucking idiot, but I just want to go on record and say that, you know, this guy, like, he, he fucks me, and, you know, the the social security number is, you know, is concerning. Um, you know, I've taken steps as far as, you know, contacting credit bureaus and locking down my credit in regards to that, but, you know, I... I had t- planned on talking about the video, but actually I-, I think that probably only three of us in this conversation and listening to the radio, uh, maybe four if you include Christopher Mitchell, because we know that he's listening or going to be listening, but nobody else saw it. But, you know, like, my name's Lee Bradbury. I've, even prior to this uh, Christopher Mitchell thing, uh, in in the forum itself, like, it's not been hard to figure out who I am. I mean, I've said hey i got 41st place in this tournament before like you could go to you know the venetian records and look to see who got 41st place if you really wanted to know my name like i don't care you know that's why i was contacting uh bob hesley which i'm actually mad at myself about because uh you know one of my former careers i was a skip tracer and i you know one of the things i've always looked at just is to see, you know, if accounts are real or anything like that. And that's one of the things that I'm actually mad about myself because when I messaged this Bob Hesley guy, I honestly just didn't look at, like, how many friends he had or if he posted or anything like that. I didn't see that there was three other Bob Hesley accounts out there. I really just did a quick search, found the same picture that was on his YouTube page, sent him a quick message, and never really thought anything of it. I've... You know, other before last Sunday, I thought about Christopher Mitchell on three different occasions. 
Two, I've trolled him on his videos asking him about the gay porn. And one, I sent this Bob Hesley guy a message. Uh, to be honest, like, I mean, I understand that Kevin is pretty relentless and he's very passionate about this. Um, I've never played Baccarat in my life. I don't play bl- Blackjack very often. Like, I don't give a shit about this guy. I don't give a, uh, give a shit about his scams. I mean, if people were dumb enough to, to buy it and I'm not trying to talk shit about, like, Rick Lee or anything, like, that's their issue. Like, if this guy would scam people, like, I don't like scammers. Uh, but, you know, like, I would never go out of my way to, like, call this guy out or anything like that. I'm not trolling, but, like, you know, I, I don't give a shit about this guy. Yeah, and, so, I, can t- and I can tell no, you guys. But, he, he... but you're an innocent victim. I mean, you you didn't know who you were just trying to be, like like Todd said in the very, uh, before we even got on, leading up to this, is you were reaching out doing the right thing you know this isn't some well is he really a scam i don't know he's definitely a hundred one thousand percent scam and you were trying to do the right thing and you just said you know you didn't expect it there's there would be no reason for somebody like you to think oh you got the fake account of christopher mitchell you know unless well, you you know unless well, you've it, already it gone down this road it doesn't matter you know, you know the, the truth is it's it's uh um, yeah, he had no idea that, that this would be coming, obviously, and, and Christopher shouldn't have done this. And Christopher was a moron to think it was you. I mean, it's, it's, especially he, he had the two voices. He had, he had two videos he could bring up one right after the other. He had one of Lee and one of you, Kevin. He could play one, play the other, and go, wait, that's a different guy. Like, that's all he had to do. It's a, that, that's what I would have done. If I suspected, if I, if I were in his shoes and I suspected that was really, Kevin under under this name Lee, I would have said, okay, let me see if I can find this Lee guy. Okay, I found him. Oh, look, here's a video of him. Perfect. I'm going to play his voice, play Kevin's voice. Up, oh, sorry, different voices against two different guys. That's what a, a normal person would do. An idiot would say, oh, no, it's the same guy. He even tried to laughably claim that they had a voice analysis and they ran it through an advanced program. <laughs> it, it, it said they were two the, the, the same person. It, it's, it's so insane the lies he will tell. So, uh, yeah, what, what he's saying is true. I, I've talked with Lee uh, on and off for a while. I met him at the World Series. He's telling the truth. This is something he just kind of finds amusing. He's not uh, he's not dedicated to this like, like Kevin has been. So, uh, so Christopher, uh, you're, you're after the wrong guy here. No. But don't get me wrong. Now that he's actually doxed me, like he's—I don't—I don't want to say pissed me off, but he's got my attention. I'm not gonna—I'm not gonna like dedicate my life to getting back at Christopher Mitchell. But there are avenues that I'm gonna take to. Yeah, but try. As I was saying, when you when you're off the air, man, you should have took him already. You should have went to the, immediately went to Henderson and all this stuff because you're not. Just doing it for yourself. You're doing it for other people because he he tipped his hand. He screwed up. If he really, really wanted to try to find me or whatever, he he went about it. He just totally screwed himself he, because he, he keeps saying I'm I'm threatening to kill him. He he's thinking I'm he's basically saying I've done all kinds of avenues to for him to justify trying to find me, and I I'm not that stupid. Well, I'm also, not done even, even if he claimed it was out of the realm. Even if he claimed it was justified, you can't go after the wrong person and say, "Well, even yeah. if you had done bad bad things to him, which you ha- I don't think you have. I've just you've just been exposing him. But no. even if you had done bad things, you can't just go after the wrong guy and 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 harass him without knowing it really is the one who is giving you the hard time. So so you, this is not an excuse to uh, harass an innocent person. So that I, I when 
I woke up to this. I was sleeping when this happened. I woke up to all these texts, and then when I I was so <laughs> I, I was so mad about this when I, I was like, oh my god, this is like I, it, it it bothered me a lot to see this, even though it had nothing to do with me. Oh, and it was funny. I, I should have had this prepared for radio. He was reading. Uh, he was reading the stuff that was sent to Bob Hesley, and he mentioned me. This is the first time Christopher's ever mentioned me. He's like, uh, he's reading. Okay, so so go to over to Todd Whittle's forum and read all about it. Todd Whittle's? I don't know any Todd Whittle's. I have no idea who that is. That's another lie. There's no chance he doesn't know who I am. He's read every post on the thread here. He's heard the shows I've done about him, at least the parts that were about he's him. He's done all his homework. Hey. He, that's all he does is sit home and do, do all his homework. I, I want to point out another thing that's funny because I know that both of you guys have actually watched the video. Um, so, where you just mentioned, he uh, obviously misses, mispronounces your last name, but he says your name. But then at the end of that video, and I don't know if you watched the whole thing, when he's trying to look up my Hendon Mob information, he looks up my Hendon Mob, he starts making fun of, you know, my Hendon Mob only has like $27,000, $28,000 in winnings. But then when he goes to look up Todd, he looks up Lee Wittellis. <laughs> and he does not look up Todd Wittellis because Todd Wittellis would come up with hundreds of thousands well, actually, of dollars actually, of winning. I, I'm actually and just... it would go and, and go and actually prove that Todd is, you know... Oh, a, so he, I didn't see that. So he, he actually claimed he claimed that I had zero winnings in tournaments? He, he claimed that he couldn't find you <laughs> because he was looking <laughs> under Lee Wittellis. Well, okay, Kevin, look up Todd Wittellis. You'll see I have $953,000. It's a little short of a million. I'm sure it would have exceeded. Uh, it probably would have exceeded a million I this year exactly, if I could play. Yeah, I know your background. I want to be on your show if I didn't. <laughs> yeah, so, so uh, and, and by the way, I'm not even I'm not even mainly a tournament player. That's, that's just about what I play at the World Series. That Mostly I play cash poker. Everybody knows in poker that I've been uh, supporting myself with poker and been a, a winning poker player. And, and uh, it, people have seen it. People used to watch me online. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a known fact. So it's, I got 128th in the main event last year and cashing 59,000. So, uh, so Christopher, uh, if you're trying to prove I don't have any poker results, that's going to be, uh, that's not going to work well, no, out. No, no, no. I, I guarantee you, he knew that you had poker results. I think that in that video, he, like, oh, in he that video, on purpose. he pulls up Todd would tell us and, and his viewers see that Todd would tell us has almost a million dollars in, you know, qu- he's quote, a cocaine addicted retard, man. Then he, they're going to think, oh, well, Todd Wattellis knows what he's talking yeah, about because point. he's got almost that's a, a good million point. dollars in winning. Right, that's a good point. So maybe he didn't want to show it because they go, wait a minute, the guy who has a million dollars in, in the cashes is saying Chris is a scammer? Oh, he may have a point here. <laughs> so, so. Exactly. Well, here's, exactly. here's another thing. And who was on 60 Minutes? That's right. On, that on 60 Minutes, on 60 yeah. Minutes in 2008 exposing a, a, another scam. Yeah. So well, I, he... Uh, he literally played the podcast, you know, our, the, when he was doing that, when he was making the Lee Bradbury, and he put he he had everything all time stamped, you know, for a guy that says, "Oh, I never watch his videos and I don't pay no attention." He knew exactly the times that he did. So basically, he played a, a clip from our podcast where it said he showed a video where I said my resume, I I've been gambling for twenty eight years and I played poker against. Some of the best of the world, Chad Brown, Vanessa Russo, to name just a couple. They're some of the best in the world. And I said I made good money back in the day. I never said I, I made all kinds. Of, I, I said I made good money. You know, to me, $15,000 part-time a year, that's, that's not bad money, you know, that I made in 2006, 7, and 8. But he goes and plays that clip where I said I played 
some of the best in the world and I made good money. He, in the minute he plays the clip from our podcast, he's like, see, he said he played against Phil Ivey and he played against Doyle Brunson and, and he made great money all. He made millions of dollars. I'm like, holy shit. If anybody did, like literally he played the clip on what I said, I said, I played some of the, against some of the best in the world and I made good money. Yeah. He adds, and he, the minute he shuts the clip off, then he's like, he adds Bill Ivy into my, he puts Bill Ivy into my, my words. He puts Doyle Brunson into my words. He said, I made millions of dollars when I never did. And I'm like, that's just how he is. That's how he thinks. He, you know, yeah. so. Well, uh, well um, anyway, it, it, it's a lot of stupidity. So, okay. Well, thanks guys. We're going to move on. I got a million other topics to do tonight. And uh, thank you for coming on here. And, yeah, uh, you got Bill well, I appreciate you, it. You, I, I'm on a, I didn't know what's going on there. You know, Todd, before tonight, I really appreciated your show, but after you making fun of my social security number issue, I don't know if I can get past that, man. Yeah, I know. That's, uh, the, sound, the sound effects, they just they have the mind of their own. They, the, the sound effects wanted to laugh at you about it, not me. Well, that's why. Right, you like got I said, night, have I mean, a good night, Yeah, I just wanted to get out. That's the, again, that's why we just agreed. But, uh, I mean, who knows? Like the, the reason why I got the FBI involved, because who knows who's going to be the next Libre? Lee, Lee Bradbury. And he can, oh, I, somebody else. I, one other thing that has been driving me nuts that I want to correct everybody on. Lee Bradbury, not Barry. Okay. Burry. Burry. Okay. Well, well, <laughs> well, I can't say tragedy, right? So. Yeah, that's right. He's, he's, but anyway, that's that's the only reason why I went to the FBI because who's next? It could be. It could be. He could do this to a bunch of people. He might not post the, their information, but if somebody else bad talks him and he gets their name. He could hire a private investigator, get their information, and go after them, and they they could be like, "What the hell's going on?" You know? Yeah, that's true. Well, okay, th- thanks for coming out, uh, Rick. Or uh, thank you for coming coming on here too. And, thank you, uh, and sure. thank you to all of you. And we will uh, move on to our our next topic. Have all right, thanks, night, Todd. Yeah, and great pro- have props to Rick Lee forward. That's you know tough to do, and you saved a lot of people money. I'm sure. Yeah, he did. That's that's true. All right, good night, everybody. So that's a good point, though, Trader Ruski, that uh, by a former customer coming forward, it's a lot more, probably even more powerful than just uh, critics like us talking about it. Hey, there's a hundred of there's a hundred of him for every that didn't come forward, embarrassment or whatever, you know. That's the way that shit's going to stop eventually. Yeah, that's it's, it's always good when that happens. It's that's and that's why he actually made a video back bashing Rick Lee because he he knew that's bad news for him. Okay, uh, we will move on. To I, I know I told people okay we're not going to spend a lot of time on the Christopher Mitchell topic again for a while but this I didn't expect that he was going to dox a listener of this show <laughs> I didn't expect that was going to happen is me posting his social I mean that's the fact that he posted Lee's social is not a laughing matter <laughs> oh, wait a minute no come on that's not supposed to happen okay so I want to talk about what's going on with Bill Perkins this is. This was not a scheduled topic at first, and then just before the show, and when I say just before the show, I mean like within the final hour before the show started, something happened that wasn't expected, and that was uh, Bill Perkins tweeted something and has been shaking the poker world, and everybody is up in arms about this, and they don't quite know yet unless some stuff has come out while we've been talking to Kevin Davis and Lee Bradbury. I don't want to say that wrong. Unless some more has come out, it's still somewhat of a mystery, but we're going to speculate. Uh, at 
6.49 p.m. today, May 23rd, this is Pacific Time, Bill Perkins, who is at BP, like Bill Perkins, BP22, he is a rich guy who lives, I think, in the Virgin Islands, somewhere in that area, and I think around 50 years old, plays poker recreationally, has been part of the Galfon Challenge, where he's playing Phil Galfond uh, in, in the freeze out there for money. And this is a guy who does not claim he's a top poker player, but because he has the money to play top poker players, he enjoys it. He enjoys playing high stakes poker recreationally. And, and he also ran this, uh, some kind of thing from his house there where people were, were invited to come there and have some kind of competition to win the most money. I forgot what it was called. Uh, that catrific woman was uh, one of the people who was there. We talked about her on this show of some scandal she got into later, not related to him. But anyway, people have gotten to know him in recent years, and he's generally looked upon in a positive fashion. As I said, he doesn't try to portray himself as a winning poker pro. He, he portrays himself as a uh, wealthy businessman who did very well for himself that enjoys poker and likes the poker community. And uh, he's kind of inserted himself into it, and, and people generally like him. I've never talked to the guy, never met him. I had a little bit of debating with him back and forth on Twitter on one particular day about a, a political issue, about the inheritance tax. He He's actually a big believer in the inheritance tax. He actually wrote a book called Die With Zero. We actually uh, discussed this on the show at one point where he, he's a big advocate of timing your life to where you've spent just about all your money by the time you die. He's saying, don't just spend your whole life earning, 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 never enjoying the money you made, and then die with a bunch of money, and then your kids will inherit it who don't really deserve it. So he's basically saying, let, let the kids make their own money, let them take care of themselves, and it, enjoy what the money you make, and try to actually die with zero. So we had a debate back and forth, and he was he's, he's an advocate of the inheritance tax because he feels that uh, people should not just be hoarding their money. So we, we had a debate back and forth, which I won't get into. We've discussed this in a different show. But other than that, I have not had any interaction with him whatsoever, and I don't have really much of an opinion of him. Just I see him as like a rich guy who enjoys poker. Nothing bad, I just that's how I see him. So this is what he put out tonight. Cheating scandal in poker going on that would make the Mike Possel scandal look like a church service. Wow, that's a pretty strong statement. Really hard to wrap my head around. I'm very disappointed in many people. Some you would call poker heroes. One person slash pro showed integrity. Others failed miserably. Wow. The beginning of that really sets the stage. Cheating scandal and poker going on that would make the Mike Possel scandal look like a church service. That's pretty big to say because, honestly, the Mike Possel scandal is one of the biggest stories in poker ever. Not just in the past year, ever. Think about it. What, what was a bigger story in poker than the Mike Possel thing? The only ones that could compare to it would be the Absolute Poker and Ultimate Bet scandals and Black Friday. Maybe the UIGEA passing at the end of uh, 2006. Other than that, what's, what's a bigger story? Maybe Chris Moneymaker winning the World Series in 2003. 
I mean, that was a huge story more in what it led to, the poker boom, but I guess that was a pretty big story. But it, it's really one of the top all-time stories in poker, the Mike Postle thing. So for this to make it look like, quote, a church service, I can't picture under any circumstances that would be true. It would really have to be something huge. Something that could dwarf the Mike Postle scandal is if well-known and respected poker pros, as he calls poker heroes, were engaged in some sort of very surprising systematic cheating scam, and the people doing it were ones that you would never expect were behind it. So it's not like finding out that Chino Ream was cheating, but uh, finding out that uh, very respected pros who you'd never see it coming from were cheating. I'm not going to name names because I don't want to even go into that and start just throwing names out who have nothing to do with this. But just think of poker pros, well-known poker pros, not just people in poker, but very well-known poker pros who you respect and couldn't picture cheating. If they were caught red-handed in a very nasty cheating scandal, okay, that might be something on the level of the Mike Postle thing. Mike Postle was not a big name in poker, of course, but the, the fact that he was cheating on a live stream over such a long period of time, right on video, and got away with it for so long, and the amount of money he took out of a 1-2 game, that was uh, pretty amazing. And that was something that people hadn't really considered very much, the cheating through a live stream. It was a very, very big story. It's one of the, really one of the biggest live poker-related stories ever. So could this make that look like nothing? I don't think so, but could it be something very, very big if it's what he's claiming it is? Yes. Now, Let's think about Bill Perkins and what he's doing and what he's involved with and what this could be. Well, I know where a lot of people's minds went. Bill Perkins has been playing Phil Galfond, and he's been playing him in this Galfond challenge. And there have been accusations, especially after the Veni Vidi match where Phil Galfond got down 900,000 euros only to come back and barely win at the end. There have been some accusations from the... Uh, people who are either not very trusting or conspiracy-minded or just ones who are throwing it out there as a possibility that maybe something wasn't right there. And when I say something wasn't right, it could be one of various things. It could be that the whole thing was staged. It could be that Veni Vidi was cheated. It could be that Veni Vidi was cheated without Phil's knowledge that somebody else in the background was doing it. There's a lot of ways that something could have been going down that wasn't the way it appeared to be. So some people have been suspicious. Sorry, Jeff. There's an updated tweet. Okay, so uh, on his on Bill's account, you may want to read. Yeah, I will. Thank you for letting me know. So, got it. Of course, the first thing people are going to think is: Is it Galfond? Does it have to do with Galfond? Now, keep in mind, Bill Perkins was not playing Galfond on his own site. He was playing him on Party Poker. So that it would take away that Bill Perkins thinks that Galfond's been cheating him on Run It Once. They haven't been playing on Run It Once. They also haven't played that much yet. Most of Galfon's recent play has been against Action Freak. He plays Bill Perkins only occasionally, basically whenever Perkins has time. But some people thought maybe it was that. Well, uh, people with the theory that it has to do with Phil Galfon, remember they're mentioning poker heroes, and definitely uh, Phil Galfon would qualify for that. A lot of people have Galfon as a poker hero, and justifiably so. I'm not even criticizing if, if, if Phil Galfon is your poker hero, that's, that's totally fine, and that's a reasonable poker hero to have. But uh, what really raised some eyebrows was that Veni Vidi, his first opponent in the Galfon Challenge, 
who I didn't even know how to Twitter, but it turned out he did, and it's one created in early 2018, so it wasn't someone who just created a gimmick Twitter after this match began. Like, very few people knew who Vinny Vitti was in 2018, so it's unlikely that account would go back to that. Now, I guess it is possible that someone could have changed his uh, username to that after the fact. I didn't bother to look into that, but... Uh, here is what was tweeted from the Venny Vidi account, which at the very least has been identifying as Venny Vidi on Twitter and tweeting occasionally for a while now. Venny Vidi 1993 tweeted, It's not good. When I heard about it today, I was completely shocked. I will let others share, not my place. Oh, my. So with Venny Vidi commenting, does this have to be about Phil Galfon? No, actually, that tweet, if you read it carefully, would imply it's not about Phil Galfond, because if it was about Phil Galfond, Venny Vitti wouldn't say, it's not my place. If he was cheated, it would definitely be his place. So it kind of sounds like Venny Vitti just heard about it, but it's something that doesn't involve him, which if it had to do with the Galfond challenge, would involve him. So that would that would lead one to believe that it doesn't have to do with Galfond. Uh, then there is uh, another tweet, which he made after that which uh, I saw just before the show. I mean, like, really just before the show. He said, remember, he said that there's one guy who acted uh, with integrity and the rest didn't. And he didn't name any of them or explain what he was talking about. He said, I have been, I have been permission. He meant to say I've been given permission. I have been permission to say that Jason Kuhn was the pro who was tempted and acted in integrity. I've always liked Jason and now I love him. So you can stop speculating about him. I'm still in investigative mode and not ready to discuss, as I said, hard to wrap my head around. Well, that's kind of cryptic. Like, why would anyone guess Jason Kuhn? Like, where are they, where's that coming from? But that's, so he named Jason Kuhn as the one pro with integrity, but wouldn't explain what kind of integrity Jason Kuhn had. It seemed like it was something where people had uh, the chance to cheat in some way, and that Kuhn said, no, I'm not going to do it. I've chosen not to. Um, Traderuski, is that the one you were talking about? Right, and I think he said he had a chance to do it and didn't. But yeah, that's what I was talking about. You may have seen that already. Yeah. I said two minutes, just two hours. Yeah, so uh, does anybody understand, or was it explained anywhere, why Jason Kuhn like, would have even been suspected by anybody? Like, where where is that coming from? Well, maybe it's like a game he's been playing in regularly or something. You know, where he's been playing with a group of people, and may- maybe Jason was one of them, and, you know, they knew he had been playing with them over the past few months, so, I don't know, maybe that's why. Yeah, so, so this is also what I suspected, and this is going to disappoint some of you, because if, if it's this, then this is going to end up a big nothing. Okay, let's, let's go back a lot further, before Bill Perkins even got on the scene here, to my knowledge. I don't know when he showed up, but I didn't notice him until... I don't know, last uh, year or two. Uh, Back in the late 2000s and early 2010s, a very, very rich guy, much richer than Perkins, a very, very rich guy, super rich guy, named Guy Le Liberté, the owner of Cirque du Soleil, or I guess the former owner of Cirque du Soleil, who had just money coming out everywhere, also liked playing poker. And he played a lot on full tilt. And Guy lost many millions on full tilt. He was a huge whale. He played in the nosebleed stakes. And they chewed him up and spit him out because he was a recreational player and he was playing up against top pros. 
and he kept switching accounts because he thought certain accounts weren't lucky, and he'd switch to a new account, and they let him do it, of course, on full tilt because he was a giant whale and was depositing millions into the site and losing, losing, losing. Well, years later, after full tilt went down, Gee claimed that he was cheated. And he was kind of implying that not so much that they were uh, rigging the cards against him, but that there was collusion against him. That he'd be in these games and all the pros colluded against him. And that's why he lost. Well, I don't believe that. Now, do I believe that the pros playing at super nosebleed stakes wanted to stay away from each other and tried not to get involved in big pots with each other? Probably. But uh, that can be a strategy. It's it's similar to uh, I've been at tournaments before where I'm a big stack. There's one other big stack at the table who's very good. And I don't want to tangle with him, especially no limit. I, th- I think, okay, I, I don't want to lose my stack against him. So I might defend my blind uh, less against that guy. You know, like I, he raises, I have uh, a queen seven uh, offsuit in a big blind. It folds, folds, folds to me. I think, you know, normally I'd probably call this based upon his uh, later position raise, but what if he flops a set, I flop two pair, and I lose my whole stack to him? Like, I, I think things like that, where uh, with, other, with people who have shorter stacks, I, I don't worry about it. So, uh, so, so there is a strategy to, if, they're, if you're playing at very high stakes, like nosebleed stakes, and there's one huge fish, and then there's a lot of top pros at the table, you may say, okay, I, because there's such big variance here, I'm going to try to keep my variance down against the top pros and not get in that much money against them unless we happen to really cooler each other. So it could have been something like that. Uh, that's fine. You, now, now, you shouldn't be soft-playing each other, and you shouldn't be uh, uh, definitely shouldn't be colluding to force others out or, or, or to force Gila Liberté out, but it is possible that they tried to play the bigger pots against him because they knew he was the fish and he was a lot... Uh, easier to handle than everybody else at the table. I don't know if that's what was happening. I'm just guessing here. But he was convinced they were really colluding against him, and that's why he lost. Not just that he was a fish, not just that he could he wasn't as good as, as the rest of them. So what does this have to do with Bill Perkins? Well, Bill Perkins has some similarities here. Bill Perkins is a wealthy guy who plays poker recreationally at high stakes against top players. And he probably is the fish in every game he plays. Now, it's possible Bill Perkins would be a decent player if you put him down at a, a 2-5 no-limit game. But uh, in the games he probably plays in, and the fact that he does like playing with pros, he, he probably is the fish in those games. So it is possible that he has gotten in his head the same thing that Guy Leliberté got, is that... The reason I've been losing so much is because they're colluding against me. And so he may believe, for whatever reason, that Jason Kuhn was the only one of this group of opponents who were playing him that chose not to collude against him. It could be something like that. Which, by the way, even if these opponents really were colluding against him, that still wouldn't dwarf the Apostle story. That would be bad. That would be definitely newsworthy. It would be a scandal, no question, but it would not dwarf the apostle story. The, the apostle story is very hard to dwarf. But but if you're involved in it personally, it's 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 easier to say something like that because to you it's bigger. To Bill, it's a lot bigger to him than than just apostle, which didn't affect him. So, uh, well, it could it could be too dropped, which is why he's saying it was a big story that he found out that they were doing something to him that they had been doing to maybe a lot of the you know, rich businessman over the past several years or something. Maybe he could feel that would be just as a story. 
yeah, that's store. That, that's that's a decent point that that's possible. It's also possible that uh, he thinks because of the names involved, it's a bigger story. That since Possible was not a big name in poker, and these people are, that once he can show that these people have been cheating him or colluding against him in some way, or maybe doing this to other businessmen, as you said, that these great guys in poker that you looked up to were actually uh, cheating pieces of crap, and that that will shatter your image of some of these people. And, and that, that's why it's going to be so big. So I, I do want to give him a chance to put this out there. We are taking a lot of guesses here. I still don't think this has to do with Galfon, especially now that he mentions uh, Jason Kuhn, who had nothing to do with the Galfon challenge. I think it's reasonable to have thought that at first, that it could have something to do with it. My initial belief was, no, it's not about Galfon, because he just hasn't played him that much yet. So I, I just didn't think that could be something that uh, would be that. And then when Venny Vitti said, oh, this is something that isn't my place to disclose, then I said, okay, well, then it has nothing to do with this. Why would Venny Vitti even know? It's possible he and Perkins are friends. It's possible that that's why they're both in the Galfon challenge, that they were friends and one told the other about it, and they both got the arrangement with Galfon. So it's possible that Perkins went and told people privately that he's befriended over the years, and maybe Venny Vitti happens to be one of them. But uh, so far, nothing's come out publicly, and no one has told me anything that uh, is not out publicly. If, if any of you know, don't screw with me here. Don't send me a, a phony thing in text, but you can text me 775-372-8355, 775-372-8355. You can text me at any point if you, if you have any real information about what is going on here. I, I know there's some people who think this is about uh, the Triton games. Because uh, Jason Kuhn plays in those. And uh, we can talk about that. I, see, I didn't know that much about these games. But uh, the, the Triton games, it, it's a series of, uh, of high-stakes poker events that they stream. And Jason Kuhn was in some of those, as was, uh, as, as was uh, Bill Perkins. So perhaps some of the people who are in this... Uh, have something to do with it. Uh, who else plays in the Triton games? Well, the, the Triton player rankings I'm looking on their website, triton-series.com. Uh, Bryn Kenny is uh, number one with uh, 30 million. Uh, Aaron Zhang with almost 17 million. Jason Kuhn with 12.3 million. Paul Fua, who's also uh, suspected of being uh, a, a organized crime figure in China, 12.2 million. Uh, Mikita Badziakuski, I don't know who he is, but uh, some uh, European player, uh, 11.8 million. Uh, also, uh, Dan Smith, uh, Wei King Young, Stephen Chidwick, uh, Rick Howe, and Ike Haxton are among the top 10 winners in this uh, Triton series. So it's, it's very possible it has something to do with that. It couldn't be everybody who's played the Triton series, but maybe there's some people that. Uh, he feels are top pros that play in that that uh, that were colluding in some way. I don't know. There, there's a lot of possibilities here, but I'd be shocked if this has anything to do with something that he doesn't personally get involved with himself. I don't think he just heard through the grapevine that such and such player cheats or such and such people collude with each other, but he wasn't part of it. I think I'm. I would be very, very surprised if he comes out and he's telling stories about third parties. I think he's going to come forward that he was victimized in this or that way 
and these people are the ones who did it to him. If I'm guessing next what he's going to say is he's going to tell people what happened but not name names and then eventually name names. But prepare to possibly be, dis- be disappointed. I don't know where this is going to go. This could be something that really uh, that looks like it's doubtful or questionable. Or it could be something that you go, wow, I, I, this looks very, very bad for these guys. And you, ha- you have to use your best judgment. Like I know we talked about John Raisner last week. John Raisner ran, and I heard still runs, those private illegal blackjack games in Florida, in South Florida. And nobody cared too much about that or even found it worthy of discussion. And, and truthfully, I don't care if he wants to run uh, private blackjack games as long as uh, he's not ripping anyone off. I don't care. Let him do it. It doesn't bother me. But uh, then Mark Klang came out back at the beginning of 2017 and claimed that he won $500,000 in that game and that they couldn't afford to pay him and then tried to find excuses not to and tried to screw him. And only after Klang went very public about it, uh, including on shows like this one, that they decided to settle with him and pay him either all of it or most of it. And then he came out and retracted everything he said, claiming it was a misunderstanding. So the reason I'm bringing this up is that John Raisner had a good reputation. After this, a lot of people thought a lot less of him. That some degenerate gambler, Mark Klang really was the ultimate degenerate gambler, that while totally out of it on drugs, managed to luck box into a $500,000 blackjack win, and then they don't pay him. And if he had never taken it public, they wouldn't have. And that really changed people's minds about him. So maybe we will find out something similar or worse about other names in poker we respected and maybe names that are bigger than John Raisner's. John Raisner, a a main event runner-up, but maybe people who have bigger names than that. So we will have to stay tuned and find out. That's the one reason I kind of wish this happened yesterday instead of today, because I bet 24 hours from now we'll probably know more. I have a feeling Bill's going to be hassled enough to where he's going to finally come out with it. It's very hard to just come out on Twitter and go, I have a scandal that's going to blow away the puzzle thing. It's going to look like nothing. It's going to look like a Sunday afternoon in the park. Are you guys ready? Yeah. Well, okay. I'll tell you later. Like, that pisses people off. They like don't say this if you're not ready to come out with the whole thing. That's why I was funny, you know, when I finally told you guys the story about the Venetians thing that uh, that happened to me where I got banned and unfairly accused of something I didn't do. Uh, I told this story a while back, and I told you you're going to be frustrated because there's some things I won't be able to tell you. And I actually went back this past week just when I was uh, doing something else in the background. I, I actually put that on and listened to my original segment about it, and I go, yeah, that probably frustrated people. Like, I hate doing segments like that where there's a big part of the story missing, and I and I can't tell you. So Perkins should have held off, but maybe there was a strategic reason to do it. Maybe we'll find out that there was a good reason to release this in pieces. And maybe it's possible that these people have screwed him and he's demanding that they pay him back. And if they don't, he's going to come out with their names. So this is kind of like the first step. And then when they don't, he's going to release everything. So I guess we'll see. Trader Risky, were you going to make a comment about this? Um, yeah, I was just going to say that... Uh, oh, fuck, what was I going to say? I lost Uh-oh, it. Uh-oh, I took too long to go to you. That's right. Anyway, no, but I could see. I mean, I think the whole thing is, if he's saying it's that big, it's got, I'll bet somebody told him something was going on. He couldn't believe it. 
you know, I mean, he certainly seems like a very nice, charismatic guy. And some somebody might have been involved, say, hey, I can't do it to you anymore. You shouldn't play in that game or something like that, you know? Yeah, it could be. And then he might have pushed, oh, why, why? Well, let me tell you what they've been doing. Yeah, it, it, you know, that's a good theory. It could be something just like that. And, and it's possible that the person told him, They've all been doing it to you. The only one who hasn't been that's been in the game when this has been happening has been Jason Kuhn. It's because they approached him and said, "Let you know, be involved in this." And Jason said, "No, I refuse to take part in this. I, I won't say anything, but I'm not. I'm not going to take part in it." So they uh, maybe that's the story he was told, and that's why he's praising Jason Kuhn. Now everyone, now everyone's going to be on Jason Kuhn's ass to find out what this is about. Say, okay, Jason, what were you able to possibly do to cheat that you chose not to do? What is that, Jason? <laughs> Like now he's on the hot seat. What I remember, I was just what I was going to say is something big does come out. You know, we could do a Monday, Tuesday, two-hour pop-up show. Yeah, we could. Nothing else to fucking do. <laughs> so, yeah, we can do an emergency show if something comes out. We don't have to wait a whole week. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm very curious now. You guys can text me if or and Trader Rusk if he sees it, he can interrupt me. If something comes out on Twitter as we are doing the show, then I will. Uh, go to that topic but so far um he hasn't said much more now i do see another tweet he made this is also two hours ago a person named lenny who goes by recent poker on twitter said it's phil galfon he started looking at whole cards during the challenge when he went down 900k made an incredible comeback by cheating and bill responded this is not at all what I'm referring to, and I have no knowledge firsthand, secondhand, or any other hand about this. So that's what I thought. It's not about Galfond. So you can you can clear Galfond. He just I suspected it wasn't Galfond, and Perkins confirmed that there. I understand why Lenny thought this, and it popped in my mind for a second too. But uh, yeah, he just said it's not. He's basically saying, get that out of your head. It's not Galfond. It's completely different. So Phil Galfond wins again. Phil Galfond is not this poker hero who's going to be fallen because he ends up being a, a terrible cheater. Phil Galfon's reputation remains intact. But others may not after this gets revealed, which hopefully it does. If he just disappears on us without telling us what happened here or says, sorry, I can't say, that's going to be so frustrating. That's why I can't I can't even like get too excited about covering this until I really know he's going to come forward with it. Part of me still thinks there's a chance this is going to fall by the wayside and he's going to make an excuse why he can't tell us. Oh, I, I, I'm i sorry. I got some bad information. Actually, actually, no one's doing anything bad. Sorry, guys. It could totally be something like that. But we'll have to see. It does seem like he just learned something and is trying to process it, though. Because he, he wrote in his tweet, as I said, hard to wrap my head around. I'm still in investigative mode, not ready to discuss. So it does sound like he heard something from someone he thinks is reliable has a hard time believing it, but at the same time thinks it's probably true and is now trying to sort it all out. So we shall see. Now, is it possible that there was some cheating in games he was in? Yes, it is possible that some poker pros saw him as a sucker, and not just that they thought they were better than him, that they thought he was inexperienced enough to where they could uh, cheat in, in whatever ways. It could it could be by hand signals, it could be by collusion, it could be by soft playing. There's a lot of ways they could have been uh, cheating him, which they've agreed to do beforehand. And that's another thing. If you're just kind of instinctively staying away from other dangerous players at the table, because it's a very high-stakes game and you're nervous to be against them, that's, again, a strategy decision. 
However, if you say to this player, hey, how about when whenever we get in the pot, we just make an agreement to, to bet very small, then that's collusion. So that's there's a big difference there between making a decision in your own head of how you're going to play each person and, and certain ones you're going to really avoid tangling with. That's fine. What's not fine is to make an agreement with them that you're going to both play that way. So once it once it's that, there's that's collusion. Now, I also want to say something, which I have a pet peeve in poker regarding the discussion of cheating. And that's when people say, all cheating's the same, cheating is cheating. And to that I say, no, it's not. There are various levels of cheating. And I'm also curious as to how high of a level of cheating was going on here. Because the very highest level of cheating is being able to know the cards, super using, like what Mike Postle did. That's the very highest level. Another very highest level of cheating that's at least tied with that, maybe even above that, is having no intention to pay the person that you're playing. Where if they lose to you, you're going to take their money. If you beat them, you're going to run off with the money and never pay them, and you know that in advance. That's also terrible. That's what Full Tilt was doing. Uh, Full Tilt was hoping that everything would kind of end up okay, but they were they had stolen your money. They stole the money on deposit, so did UB. That, that's also terrible. Uh, then it goes down from there, like multi-accounting. Well, multi-accounting is cheating if the site doesn't allow it, and there are ways that multi-accounting gives you an edge where you shouldn't have that edge, but uh, and it's it's cheating, and if you get in trouble for multi-accounting and they take your bankroll, then I have no sympathy for you, and you deserve it. However, is multi-accounting anywhere the same as you being a super user against someone you're playing? It's not even close. Because when you're multi-accounting, at least you're still playing a fair game of poker. You just have extra information on your opponent that they don't have on you. But, but the poker being played itself is normal, and there's no special edge you're getting there. There's no fixing of the game, or uh, you have you have no knowledge of your opponent's whole cards. So they're not the same. So multi-accounting is one that's a lower version of cheating. Uh, soft playing is another one. Cheating, but it's a lower version of cheating. Uh, collusion, where you're running people off of hands. That's a higher level of cheating than soft playing, but it's not as bad as super using. Uh, card marking. That's a pretty high level of cheating. That's a little below super using because you can't see everything, but there you, you are seeing some cards that way. So that's also a pretty high level of cheating. Uh, bottom dealing, again, that's similar to card marking. Again, a high level of cheating. So, uh, or, or even uh, like agreements on uh, how you're going to signal what cards you have. That's kind of a middle level of cheating. That one is not quite as bad as card marking. And it's not quite as bad as uh, bottom dealing. Definitely not as bad as super using, but it's much worse than, than soft playing or multi-accounting. Well, Jeff, I mean, what, 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 um, what number, how much are they playing? I mean, that's even makes a difference to Bill Perkins. And maybe the other people in the game are like, look, this guy's a billionaire. It's not going to affect him that much. We, you know, they can't hurt him. Right? I, I don't think, I mean, I I don't think he's, a, I don't other... think he's a, a billionaire. I think he has a whole lot of money. I don't think like, I, like, like, uh, 
See, I thought he was. I thought is, he was a billionaire. Is, yeah, I thought that's I, what they used to say in high stakes poker. Was he? I mean, I, I, I admit I didn't research how much money he has. I always got the impression that he has a whole lot of money, but not a billionaire. Um, that he's not like Gila Liberté, but he's, uh, but he's still very, very wealthy to where he can afford to lose uh, large sums of money in poker that would be a big problem for other players to lose. But uh, but whatever we we know he's a very rich guy at the very least maybe he's a billionaire but you're, I, I see the point you're making that they they may have decided because he's a billionaire that this isn't going to really hurt him he's not going to feel it and to them this is so big so they're willing to bend their morals somewhat on this and and also the more money's at stake and I've said this before the more money's at stake the more people are willing to bend what their morals are and that's important to know. That someone who can be very trustworthy when it comes to a thousand dollars or even ten thousand dollars can be much less trustworthy when it comes to a million dollars because of the tremendous upside to not being trustworthy. And it's sad, but that happens. And when you play at very high stakes, then you always have to be very careful because it's ripping people off at very, very high stakes, at nosebleed stakes, is very, very lucrative. So, yeah, I, I think maybe. Between him knowing that he it's not going to hurt him if he loses a whole lot of money, and also that maybe he won't care that much because it won't hurt him because to him that money is not huge. Maybe they did think they could get away with it. For sure, and I think you know. I mean, I think as far as the different types of cheating, there's one. What did the guy call it? Adjusting the cards. Remember the guy from last week? I forget, I forget the word. He, Houston Curtis. Well, there's the bottom dealing. I don't know what. Uh... Right, the bottom. But he, but he was saying he said he had a word. He said uh, I forgot what word he used. Cooperate, cooperation, or something. I don't know. It was some strange word. I'd never heard it that way. So I think there's either something like that, or there's an agreement amongst the other players. And and I think just the one where they're where they're adjusting, the, doing anything with the cards or marking the cards, you know, that's inexcusable. No, no, that, 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 each I other what they have. I, I agree. And, and it could even right. be something, it could even be something like, like the, he learned that because of the money they were playing for, that they all made an agreement beforehand that they're going to soft play each other or, uh, or, or, or even go in together on a bankroll against him. So whatever they lose against each other is meaningless. And that they're really trying to beat him, so where to where he feels like he felt like he was the target at that table, and then learned he was, and that and that Jason Kuhn was the only one who said, "No, I'm not being part of this. I'm going to play with my own role." Could be something like that, right? Which 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 they used to do with the guy from Australia, right? But or the was did they call it the corporation back then or whatever it was? Well, they, but that with, was for uh, that was for heads up though. They they they, they combined bankrolls. It was to play him heads up though, which is fine. Oh, Robert, oh right, that's right, that's right, that's that right. was Andy Beal. But uh, but but yeah, they. Uh, but it could be something like that, which which is pretty bad because if if the players don't have to worry about each other, it's much easier to be aggressive when you uh, only have to worry about Bill in the hand. And if the third person in the hand you think have you beat, if you know you're going to all split it at the end, that uh, you can you can put a lot of pressure. And then if Bill has a draw, he can be stuck in between. So uh, like I'll give you an example of how frustrating this can be. Remember I talked about that six-handed bot that was at Harrah's, the limit hold'em bot that they had, where you play six-handed and they rake it like horribly, like twenty-five percent, but the bots are awful. 
and I yep. and I played that I played that once and it was fun actually. I, I, it's too bad it's gone. I didn't win with it, but I I was like slowly learning better and better how to do I play optimally against it, and I think I got pretty close. And I wanted to try it more, even though the rake was so high, and then it disappeared. But but getting to the point I was going to make, the bots did collude against you, which I don't even know if it was legal to have it designed that way. But the bots. You remember, it's a five, a six-handed game where it's you against five bots, which, and of course, the bots are playing for the house. So the bots would collude against you, and they were smart enough to learn when you probably had a draw. So let's say you have a spade draw, and the board is uh, jack seven two with two spades. If one bets, if the next raises, and you just call, then the bots have realized you've got a draw. So guess what they do? They will cap every street against you. Provided the flush doesn't hit, so I would, and, and you can always see what the bots have. A feature of that machine was that even if it doesn't get to showdown, you can always see what everybody had. So what I would notice is like in that scenario I just gave, one would have jack three for top pair weak kicker, the other one would have jack six, also top pair weak kicker, and yet they go four bets on the flop and the turn, because it figured out I had a draw by the way I was playing, and that was really annoying because uh, this wouldn't even be legal to do. That uh, um, now, if and and the, and the reason I say this wouldn't be legal is that they're doing this because the bots must act with one mind because they know each other's cards. So even though if they're playing not knowing my cards, knowing each other's cards, figuring I have a draw, they can just both pound it, knowing they're on the same bankroll. So um, that's that's a big problem. So if this is happening in real life, where everybody said, okay, well we're going to split the bankrolls. At the end, no matter how we all do here, we're going to chop this up. Let's say it was a six-handed game. We're going to chop this up five ways, no matter how it ends up for all of us. And the only one we're really playing against is Bill. And then uh, when they sense he's got a draw, if they just keep both pumping it up, um, th- that could be very lucrative against him. That is a big-time collusion. That is very bad. I'm not saying that's what happened, but I'm saying that's that's the type of possibility, and maybe he learned that everybody agreed to do that in the game except for Jason Kuhn. So it's something where Jason Kuhn was tempted to do something to screw him, or to screw someone, I assume him, and chose not to. Jason Kuhn is a high-stakes player. Jason Kuhn has played him in the Triton series. So uh, we will we will find out soon. And how he found out, I don't know. Maybe it was someone who, who felt guilty. Maybe it was someone who said that they uh, – or maybe it was Jason Kuhn who told him. Maybe maybe Jason Kuhn said – Yeah, I was thinking that too. That makes the most sense. <laughs> maybe maybe Jason Kuhn came to him and said, uh, you know what, bro? I, let me tell you something. They wanted me to do this collusion against you. They said everyone's doing it, and I told them I just can't. I told them I can't, and, and the agreement they had, I wasn't part of it when I played you. But I felt so bad afterwards, even though I didn't do it, that I want you to know so you don't come back there. And Bill's like, what? Are those guys? But they're all good guys. Yeah, that's what you think. But uh, if you saw what, they'd be do- what they've been doing to you, you wouldn't think they're very good. But they have such a good reputation. Yeah, I know. But that's what they were doing. They really wanted me to. I And, you know, it was a... It, it was. It would have been a lucrative uh, proposition for me, but I just I couldn't do it to you. I, I have too much integrity. I couldn't do it, and I just want to let you know. So it could be something like that, where he doesn't want to name them yet, just in case Jason wasn't telling him something accurate. I doubt Jason. If it was him, I don't think Jason Kuhn would have just made this up to cause drama. 
Uh, well, and he he could have said something like, "Look, I'm not a thousand percent sure. Don't play in the game anymore." You know, so it could be something where now he just wants to check it out more before he becomes public because maybe he got that type of info. Yeah. Well, it's I, it's I think it's possible that Jason Kuhn just spilled the whole beans, but the, no one's admitted it yet. And it, since he's only hearing it from one person, even though he trusts Jason Kuhn, he's still a little afraid to call out the names yet because uh, he hasn't looked into it himself. But maybe if he uh, if some of these hands are on video or whatever, maybe if after he looks into it more and figures it out, then says, oh, okay, it all it all matches together now. Okay, yeah, I'm, I, I think if it is starting to look to me like if he is fairly certain this happened, that he'll call out the people involved. If he can't be certain enough he may not but now that he's brought it out it's going to be hard for him not to say anything so i guess the best way i guess the way he get out of it is say that he thought he was being cheated but upon further review it turns out he was just uh worried over nothing and he doesn't want to name names because he doesn't want to hurt anybody's reputation unfairly but i, I hope we get names it will be interesting so check out uh, twitter.com slash BP, that's Bill Perkins, BP22. And you can see this. And check out both his tweets and the also the replies. You know, there's the tweets, and you can also click on tweets and replies. Tweets and replies shows what he replies to people. So that's like where I found that reply where he said that it's not Galfon. and has nothing to do with that match. Very interesting. We will see what happens here. But yeah, ne- never put it past people to screw you even ones with good reps when it comes to very massive sums of money a lot of times that's when people will start to suspend their morality the smaller amount of money it is the easier it is to be moral and if you want to think about it on a much uh, smaller scale think about yourself and think about uh, like a matter of a dollar have you ever been tempted to rip anyone off of a dollar? I don't mean when you were a little kid and you, you were trying to you, you shoplift something out of a store that a candy bar is worth a dollar. I, I mean since you've been an adult. H- have you ever even been slightly tempted to rip someone off of a dollar, to be involved in some scheme for a dollar or to cheat someone out of $10? You probably haven't. I'm not asking if you have or haven't. I'm saying even, even finding like the slightest temptation to do. For that amount of money, you probably haven't you know, because it, it isn't worth doing in many ways. The, the greater amount of money, the, the, the more it takes for you to say, even if I can get away with this, it's just not right and I'm not going to do it. That's very simple to say for a dollar. It's a lot harder of that sum of money. Uh, someone pointing out in the chat that Jason Kuhn's last tweet from eight hours ago, this is before that Perkins had tweeted anything about uh, this cheating scandal. Jason Kuhn tweeted out, reading the professor, the banker, and the suicide king reminds me of why I got into poker. The old school poker world is filled with legendary personalities. I highly recommend reading the book if you haven't. I mean, yeah, that's kind of a weird tweet given what came out, but I I think it's a coincidence. So check out Bill Perkins' Twitter, and we will see where that goes. Hopefully we find out more. I'll be very disappointed if this doesn't go anywhere. Okay, so I want to move on to the next topic, one we actually did have on the schedule when I put this together early in the morning, and that is about B.J. Baldwin, who is Bobby Baldwin's son. Bobby Baldwin, the 1979 World Series main event champion and 
a casino executive in more recent years. For many years, he held uh, very high positions at MGM. He left MGM in October 2018 under very mysterious and weird circumstances. There were some suspicions that he had done something wrong or possibly wrong, and they just all came to an agreement to separate. And then about a year later, he took a job with The Drew in Las Vegas, which is an upcoming property that is planned to be completed in 2022, maybe later now because of the coronavirus interrupting things, but that was the original plan is 2022. But it is a little bit weird to resign from a very, very lucrative and influential position at a company like MGM at their Vegas properties to take a position with a hotel that doesn't exist yet and that isn't going to be ready for a few years. Like, How much can the head of gaming do in the few years while they're building the place? So the whole thing – and he also had no job in between for about a year. So the whole thing was very weird. There was some reason he left there. It wasn't just he got tired of it. There was some real reason he left – That was Bobby Baldwin. But he has a son named B.J. Baldwin, who you probably have not heard of before. That's because B.J. Baldwin did not follow in his dad's footsteps to become a poker star. In fact, to my knowledge, B.J. Baldwin does not even play poker. He decided that he wanted to be something different from his dad. Some people, like Todd Brunson, choose to follow in their father's footsteps and uh, attempt to have a similar career to what their dad did. And maybe they also get some advantages along the way being related uh, to someone famous in that profession. But even though uh, Bobby Baldwin is very well known and respected and uh, has a lot of influence in poker and in Las Vegas in general, B.J. Baldwin went a completely different direction and carved out his own niche. B.J. Baldwin decided he's going to get very much into racing big trucks and firearms. And those are the two communities that he really, really got involved in, which, of course, have absolutely nothing to do with poker. Now, there is one other poker player that you probably know of very well who is also very much into firearms, and that would be Dan Bilzerian. You may wonder, are they friends? They're around the same age. B.J. Baldwin's 40 years old. Dan is probably somewhere around there, too. Yes, they are friends. In fact, they appeared in a video together. But B.J. Baldwin, he got some notoriety. He's not someone I'd say is famous, but in the truck racing community, he has some fame. He's featured in some YouTube videos. He has some fans. Uh, There are people who've made videos uh, about him. So... uh, Overall, who's more famous, Bobby Baldwin or B.J. Baldwin? By far, Bobby Baldwin, even though they're totally different industries. But uh, B.J. did manage to find some success in truck racing and uh, and also in the firearms community. Uh, people know him. And he's made videos. There's been videos made about him. Just go on YouTube and type in B.J. Baldwin, and you'll be able to find a lot of videos where he's featured, including watching him uh, driving very large... Uh, Trucks, and when I say large trucks, I mean ones with the huge wheels, kind of like monster trucks. I'm not talking about uh, semis like uh, Mobile's Badly Drives. So he does that large truck racing, and you you see him doing all kinds of stunts with them. So he's very big in that community. So why are we talking about him? I I didn't even know he existed, by the way. I never paid attention if Bobby Baldwin had kids or what they're doing. But I don't even know if he has other kids, but I know that this kid did not get into poker and got into this stuff. So... Why am I talking about BJ now? Well, a big story happened with BJ in April 
that got the attention of Las Vegas News, and there were Las Vegas Review-Journal articles about it. Uh, Even the truck racing websites were covering it. For some reason, the poker and gambling communities were not covering it. I, I could not find any articles about this on any of the usual sites that cover poker and gambling. It seems like I'm the first. Maybe I'm not the very first, but I really couldn't find any in my initial search for it. I actually noticed this story back in late April, meant to cover it on this show, meant to post about it on the forum, and then something distracted me and I forgot about it. And without the constant reminders on uh, my own social media from other poker players mentioning it, I totally forgot it was happening until it popped into my head, oh, wait a minute, whatever happened with BJ Baldwin? And why didn't I ever cover this? And then I looked it up and I got reinterested in the story and have since uh, posted it in various places. So let me tell you what happened. On the night of April 21st slash uh, morning of April 22nd, it was actually on t- April 22nd, but it was at uh, between 1.30 and 2 a.m., BJ and his girlfriend went to an In-N-Out burger located in the western part of Las Vegas. This was not near the Strip. This is kind of like uh, directly west of the Strip, several miles directly west of the Strip. It was on uh, Tropicana and Fort Apache. It is not the In-N-Out that you might know of on Tropicana by the Strip. This is one miles away. This is one aimed at locals. In-N-Out, on, on, this is like a Wednesday night or Tuesday night, something like that. It, it closes at 1.30 a.m. on weekdays. So they got there just before closing, and they got burgers. They stood in the parking lot and were eating in the parking lot. At around 1.45 a.m., 15 minutes after In-N-Out closed, there was nobody left in the parking lot but the two of them. And two black males approached BJ and his girlfriend. And his girlfriend tried to get his attention, uh, that there's something wrong, kind of whispering it to him so the guys don't hear. And then BJ looked over and saw that one of the two black guys had a gun drawn. Well, remember, B.J. Baldwin is very, very much into guns, and he's always going shooting. He's been waiting for a moment like this, not that he wants to get in shootouts with people, at least I don't think he does, but he's been training for a moment like this for many, many years. And he does carry a gun on him. He does have a concealed carry permit to carry a gun on him legally in Nevada, and he was carrying a gun. Presumably, these guys approaching him did not know that. So so he saw the gun, and according to BJ's story, he doesn't know who shot first, but as soon as he saw that there were two guys approaching him, one with a drawn gun, he wasn't going to wait for them to shoot first, and that he started firing at the one holding the gun. And he and that guy holding the gun got in a battle, but that since BJ is a much better marksman, that he pumped the guy full of 10 bullets and the guy died. Now, what do you think they did at that point, Trader Ruski? Do you think that they called the police? I would hope so. Well, they didn't. Did they just bail? They did just oh bail. They did just bail, but now not permanently. But the, So a dead guy is lying on the ground with 10 bullets in him. The second guy who didn't have a gun, or at least didn't have it out, ran off. So they were no longer in danger, but they did not stay there and call the police. They just left the dead body there, got in their car and drove off. And went to Daddy's house, went to Bobby Baldwin's house. 
and BJ, remember, who's 40 years old. This was like an 18-year-old just had this happen. It's a 40-year-old man. Oh, wow. Went, I pictured like 18. Yeah, wow. no, no, no. He's 40. So he, he he ran back to daddy's house. He says, daddy, 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 I, I just killed a guy who, who, who had a gun at me in and out. So Bobby said, okay, hold on. Tell me the story. We're gonna, I'm going to call a very, very good attorney, and we're going to call the police together. So they did. They called the police. They called the attorney. And uh, there were some questions about this. So sure enough, the police went there. There was a dead guy there. They uh, identified him. And eventually, so they uh, they were looking into this, and there was a lot of skepticism. Why did BJ not stick around? Why, why go back to his dad's house before calling the police? Uh, why did these two guys approach them like this with a gun drawn at the In-N-Out parking lot at 1.45 in the morning? Was it possible that this was some kind of drug deal gone bad? And that's why they were actually in the parking lot at one forty-five in the morning of a closed in and out. Is that possibly what really happened? And then uh, gunfire broke out and then uh, he didn't know what to do and didn't want to stick around with with the uh, drugs present. So he took the drugs away or anything else suspicious, uh, drove it, uh, then went to his dad's house and they called the police from there. So there's a lot of question about it. There's a lot of suspicion that perhaps – because this is the son of a rich and influential casino executive and that the victim is just some random black guy who probably is a criminal, that uh, they're going to sweep it under the rug, even if BJ was a lot more culpable than it turned out that that he's claiming he was. So that was the initial suspicion. There was a lot of uh, controversy about this in Las Vegas. It wasn't a gigantic story, and somehow it didn't even make it anywhere into the poker world. It should have, but it didn't. And this was a month ago. This was on April 22nd, and it was already reported in the media a few days later. So it's not like we're just hearing about this now. We heard about this on April 26th. I read about it on April 26th, uh, but I uh, forgot about it. There, there was a lot of questioning of the situation. And let me tell you something. Uh, ignoring this exact situation, I will say that there is still plenty of corruption and backscratching going on in Las Vegas. It's no longer run by the mob. And there's a lot of things that don't happen anymore that used to happen in the 70s and 80s in Vegas. But there's also some things that still go on in Vegas that wouldn't fly in other cities. And even though Vegas has changed tremendously since the 1980s, in other ways, it's still the same place. So I have long suspected that the justice system in Las Vegas is sometimes not always fair and that there are ways out of problems there if you have the right connections so it did not seem far-fetched to me that perhaps bj was more culpable and they gave him a pass because the victim was unsympathetic the the victim probably was committing a crime of some sort when this all occurred the victim probably shot as well and this this was uh something where they just decided Let's sweep this under the rug. I didn't think that's necessarily what happened, but that was my suspicion might be the case. And that was going to be the way I was going to post about it in late April. But because I didn't cover it in late April, some more has come out since then that makes this story a lot different. See, B.J. Baldwin got some vindication and his story was verified, but not from the source you'd ever expect. The two men who approached BJ and his girlfriend, were brothers. One was named Kevin Smith, but uh, not the 
portly guy who is an actor and director. And Joseph Smith, and not the founder of Mormonism. But Kevin and Joseph Smith, Joseph was 43, Kevin was 40. They were the two who approached BJ and his girlfriend. Joseph was the one who had the gun out that BJ shot dead. Kevin was unharmed. Kevin ran off. And I don't think Kevin had a gun out when this was all happening. The police eventually picked Kevin up and said, okay, what happened here? And they expected Kevin to blame the whole thing on BJ and defend his now deceased brother. But he did the opposite. Kevin admitted that he and his brother showed up to the parking lot that night looking for trouble and that BJ acted completely in self-defense. Wow. And then he drove off in his new Mercedes. <laughs> well, that, that's, we're going to get to that. <laughs> so he, he said that. He said that what happened was that earlier in the day, Kevin and Joseph went to a gun store, which is located in the same mini mall as this in and out They tried to buy a gun. They were denied the gun. Whatever, for whatever reason they were denied. Maybe they failed a background check. I don't know. But they were not allowed to buy a gun. Both got mad, had an argument there, and left. Uh, then they came back and threw a rock at the window of the gun store to get revenge. I don't know if it went through the window, but they threw a rock at the window. This is a, Kevin told this story. Well, Joseph said, that's not enough. I, don't, I, I think we should do more than just throw a rock in the window. I want to go back there and, uh, and cause some further trouble. Kevin said he didn't know what Joseph was planning. He didn't know exactly what Joseph was going to do, but he thought he was going to do something stupid, but nevertheless, he went back with him. So they went back to the scene late at night after everything was closed. Last thing open there was in and out, but that had already closed 15 minutes prior. And that when Joseph came there and saw BJ and his girlfriend sitting there eating a hamburger, that he drew his gun and that uh, he fired first. He said that he smiled at BJ's girlfriend and then started firing at BJ. That he just decided that what he's going to do is, is spontaneously kill someone in the parking lot. Well, BJ jumped behind a trash can for cover, drew his gun, and fired at Joseph, hit him ten times. Joseph went down. Kevin ran off. And he said it was all self-defense. That he, that it was, While BJ told the police, I don't know which one of us fired first, I just saw the gun and acted. Kevin said, no, uh, Joseph actually fired first. They also found Joseph's girlfriend, or I guess she came to them, because uh, Joseph was found with no gun on him. Later on, Joseph's girlfriend gave the police the gun that Joseph was using that he fired at BJ and said that uh, after Joseph was killed, that uh, Kevin contacted her and told her what happened, that she came over, took the gun, and left the body there. And uh, that she thought better of it later and decided to turn it into the police. And she admitted this. So given all this information, obviously BJ wasn't charged. The DA ruled it self-defense. And that's that. BJ was allowed to have that gun on him. He was legally carrying it. And from all the information that came out, it looked out, looked like this was a legitimate good guy with a gun story. And that BJ and his girlfriend would likely be dead if he weren't armed at the time. Despite his cooperation, Kevin is charged with conspiracy to commit robbery, attempted robbery, and assault with a deadly weapon. 
Now, you may wonder, why is that if he wasn't the one who was firing or had the gun out? Number one, it's possible that Kevin also had a weapon on him and just didn't ever pull it. And, and second, sometimes when two people are together and, and come somewhere to commit a crime, the second person who is knowingly there with him to commit the crime can be charged for it even if they're not the ones actually uh, physically doing it. So that's possible. That's why they're charging. But Kevin is being charged, so uh, they didn't just let him walk off. The NRA has seized upon this story because talk about a, a perfect story for an NRA commercial, the National Rifle Association. That This was a guy who had been training with guns for many years just in case something like this ever occurs. Sure enough, uh, a madman pulls a gun and, and just for no reason tries to shoot him and his girlfriend – and with his training, he's able to jump out of the way and put 10 bullets into the guy and take him down. If, if there's not a better reason to have a gun and carry it around than this, I can't, I can't think of one. So here's the commercial that they have up on YouTube, on the NRI YouTube channel, about this story. This is... Two weeks ago, an armed attacker approached me and my girlfriend in this parking lot, willing to end our lives. That's BJ. But he didn't know in two seconds... I would be ending his. They're showing various montages of him uh, shooting. And by the way, the very beginning of the video, they show him standing in front of the In-N-Out, like kind of a blurry In-N-Out arrow in the background. And he's actually in that parking lot where it took place. And now they're showing like a montage of him shooting in various ways that was definitely staged. My name is BJ Baldwin. I'm a championship off-road racer. More importantly, I am a father of two, and I am a defensive pistol practitioner. And I have always been a longtime proud member of the National Rifle Association. And at 1.46 a.m. on April 22nd, I found myself and my girlfriend in an unfair fight for our lives. After a long day, my girlfriend and I decided to get some fast food at In-N-Out, get a couple burgers. After we finished eating, Tori and I both got out of the car. We were checking our text messages and emails and getting back to people. I was getting back to people from work. Um, and I heard Tori whispering in distress, trying not to be heard, but she was saying, beachy, beachy, beachy. And I looked around to her last known location. She was just to the right of me, and I, I couldn't see her. I could hear her voice. It sounded like she was in distress. Um, I, as I scanned the parking lot, I saw two men uh, way off in the distance, about 80 yards. I could not see what they looked like. I just saw two shadows as the, the, the parking lot lighting was on a timer, and all the lights had just gone out. Both of them had their hoods tied up over their faces like they didn't want to be identified, and one of them had a gun, and it was pointed directly at Tori, and they were walking as fast as they could in her direction. It was clear that her life was in danger. It was at that moment that everything slowed down. When I say I was in an unfair fight, it wasn't unfair to me, it was unfair to him. He turned the pistol towards me as soon as I saw him, and said, what's good, and turned back to Tori, and it was at that moment that I realized that that was my opportunity and I was not going to get another opportunity. I had to act as quickly and as proficiently as I possibly could. He should have never took the gun off of me. 
He took two shots at Tory, six shots at me. He didn't get a single hit on either one of his targets because I got all of my hits. All now, that, when he says you should never take the gun off me, that may confuse you. They're not, he's not saying that the guy grabbed his gun. He's saying that he shouldn't have caused me to have to draw my weapon and use it on him. Ten. Nine in the chest, one in the central nervous system. And that's what it took to neutralize the threat and save both of our lives so that we can make it home to our families. No matter what gets in my way, I'm going to make sure I'm there to walk my daughter down the aisle, to make sure I'm there at my son's graduation, to make sure I'm there for my family. I don't care who gets in the way or who puts me in danger. I will fight to the death to make sure I make it home and that I'm there for my family, no matter what cost. And that's why I put so much effort into my training so that if I'm ever in danger and somebody ever tries to put us in harm's way, it's an unfair fight in my favor. As soon as I started engaging the first person, the second guy realized that I had a firearm and I was there to fight to make sure I made it home to my family. That struck fear into his heart and he ran as fast as he could in the opposite direction because he wasn't there to get in a gunfight. Getting in a gunfight was not on his to-do list. Thankfully, I had my firearm. Thankfully, I had a concealed carry permit. And thankfully, I was trained. This person that attacked us had their own challenges in life, and I'm not one to judge. But it's my belief that had I not had my firearm with me, this person would have put a bullet in my girlfriend's head just to see the look on my face and probably killed me as well. Joe Biden and Beto O'Rourke are totally comfortable with my girlfriend and I laying face down dead in a parking lot as long as it doesn't interfere with their gun control agenda. And the simple fact is, a good citizen with the ability to defend their lives and defend the lives of their families, they are a tremendous asset to society. Criminals are not interested in getting in gunfights. They're interested in preying on the weak and the defenseless. And that's what this person thought I was, and he was definitely surprised to find out that I wasn't. Now, that part's actually true. Um, I've mentioned this before, but in the follow-home robberies that have occurred from L.A. card rooms, they're almost always perpetrated against victims who are least likely to be able to defend themselves. They usually go after small women or very elderly people. There we go with victimizing the elderly again, but... Uh, that's, that's who they go after. They, they don't go after guys like me because they'll, they'll see some tall middle-aged guy and they go, no, I, you know what? Yes, I could probably handle him, but wh why take the chance? Let's, let's go for the victim that's most least likely to defend themselves. So the, the 95-pound Asian woman walking out, uh, go after her. The, the, the old person who, who can barely walk to his car, go after him. That, that's who they go after. So he's right that they, Unlike the criminals you see on TV who uh, relish getting in big gun battles with, with, with other tough guys, that's usually not how it goes. Usually they do look for the easiest target. Use my story as an example of how important it is to continue to fight for our rights. It's more important now than ever to join the fight to preserve our rights so that we may ensure the safety of ourselves, the safety of our family, and preserve the right to do so. My name is BJ Baldwin, and I have always been a longtime proud member of the National Rifle Association.
Okay. So you, you see that uh, the NRI was very happy to have this story. I don't know if they paid him for this uh, video they made, this five-minute video that they put up on uh, YouTube. So there's some questions still, even though this has been cleared by the DA, even though he will not be facing any charges. There are still some skeptics who believe that there's some questionable elements to this entire situation. A poster named Manny Perez on Real Grinders, I I posted this over on Real Grinders, which is a much diminished group since Ray Davis has been in jail since September. Also, they moderate all posts, which uh, slows things down a lot. But uh, if if I have something that I'd like people to read that I post on Poker Fraud Alert, I, I post it over there. So I posted this story over there, the link to the Poker Fraud Alert story, and there was a response from Manny Perez saying, um, okay, the girlfriend of Baldwin is never named in an article and only has six characters in it. I don't know what he means by that. The girlfriend of the dead guy magically shows up at the scene, picks up his gun, which she hides in her vehicle only to tell police about it because she sat there waiting for them to arrive. The brother gets picked up and throws his own dead brother under the bus without getting any kind of deal. The dead brother, who, by the way, tried to buy a gun earlier in the day and was denied, but somehow has another gun later that same day to get revenge on an empty store? Cough, cover up, cough. So I'll tell you what is the most odd part of the story, and that is how Kevin Smith just completely backed BJ's version. In fact, more than backed it, said things that even BJ didn't say in his own defense, like he said that... uh, Joseph shot first, where BJ is like, I don't know who shot first. I just saw the gun and I started shooting, um, which you're allowed to do, by the way. So if some stranger approaches you in a parking lot with a gun drawn at you, if that's really if, if that really is what happened, then you are you do have a right to defend yourself there. You can reasonably conclude that your life is in danger. If someone just walks up to you in a parking lot with no gun drawn, then you can't shoot them. But if someone's walking up to you with a gun pointed at you, they don't have to shoot first. You, you, you do have a right to pull a gun and shoot them. But uh, but he's saying that. That's not even what happened, that Joseph just started firing at them. Uh, but that Kevin just completely gave a version of the story that backed BJ doing the right thing and asked for him not to be prosecuted, despite the fact that it was his own brother who got killed, and despite the fact that they went there together to do this. This wasn't like some brother he hated. They were hanging out and going to commit these crimes together. And that he still didn't get any kind of deal, that he still gets charged with, with all these uh, serious felonies. It's not even like they let uh, Kevin walk away. Okay, Kevin, you tell the truth. What happened here will uh, uh, will ease up on you. <laughs> they still threw the book at him. So that that part is a little bit weird. And uh, and of course, BJ going to his dad's house right afterwards instead of calling the police right on the spot. And this again, this is a forty year old man, not uh, some kid who's just out of college or just out of high school that's technically an adult but has very little life experience. This is a guy who has been training with guns for a long time. And has obviously thought about, like, what happens if I have to use it? And others are saying they've seen him in videos where it it seems like he almost wants something like this to happen. Like, that he's been waiting for the opportunity to get into a gun battle. Not like he's going to just go kill people, but like he's been almost hoping that some criminal attacks him so he can do something like this in response. I don't know if that's true, but people were saying in his videos that's the way he comes off. So, So if that's true, then why run home to daddy? Why not call the police and then also call your dad and say, hey, dad, can you come down and bring a good lawyer for me because uh, something just happened? So these are these are legitimate questions. However, 
And and I'm no Bobby Baldwin or B.J. Baldwin fanboy by any means. In fact, I have criticized Bobby Baldwin in the past. I heard that he was one of the people responsible for allowing the Aria to run those private games, which they weren't supposed to do, which would shut out certain poker players. You know, anyone's supposed to be allowed to sit in any poker game at any time as long as there's an open seat. And Aria pulled all kinds of shenanigans, and that got a lot of people angry in the high and middle stakes communities. And... Uh, Arya at first was denying it. Eventually, they just kind of came forward and admitted it and said, hey, we can do it. We have technicalities in the law we can use to back this, and tough luck. But there was rumors that Bobby Baldwin was the one who first okayed this being done. So I have my criticism of him, but I will tell you this. I think there would have to be a lot going on here for this to be some kind of conspiracy to get B.J. Baldwin off for this. Let's look at a few things. First of all, presumably, there really was some incident at the gun store earlier that day in that same mini mall. So uh, that happened earlier. And presumably, since this was in the news and very public, if the gun store owner came forward and said, hey, this didn't happen, they're making all this up, that probably would have gotten out somewhere. But it, it has not been said anywhere that this incident at the gun store where they had a big argument with the owner or the management there that they want to buy a gun they're not allowed to and that a rock was thrown out the window none of this has been denied anywhere so before this occurred these two guys did cause an incident at a gun store in that exact same mini mall so that does take away the drug deal type angle because what would be the chance that these guys would make a drug deal with B.J. Baldwin in the same parking lot that they just threw a rock through the window of a store they were angry at earlier that day. You'd think they'd want to be far away from there if they're going to do something like that. So uh, that, that would seem to indicate that they really were coming back there in some way related to what happened earlier in the day. It is possible that what Joseph wanted to do was further damage to the gun store that he thought the rock wasn't enough, that he wanted to go there and really screw it up or maybe break in and ruin everything. Who knows what? Like, he, Maybe he had plans for the gun store and then just something snapped inside of him when he saw two people just sitting there eating and uh, just like in a rage decided to rage kill innocent people. Um, it's also possible that Kevin just got this wrong or is trying to say what the police want him to say is to, to get himself off of uh, – to, to get himself a lighter sentence, to make him look ultra-cooperative. So let's say the plan was to show up and screw with the store further, like when everybody's gone. And they pro- maybe they didn't even know about the in and out. Maybe they didn't think about it. They just thought, okay, well, if we come at 1.45 a.m., it should be late enough that nobody's here. So they come at 1.45 a.m., uh, everything's dark. Uh, the in and out has lights off, but they pro- and they probably didn't know that it just closed 15 minutes beforehand. And uh, oh, there's two people sitting in the parking lot. So it's it's possible that uh, Joseph thought, okay, well, let's rob them first. Maybe uh, because you, you can't if you're going to commit crimes at the gun store, you can't do that with two people watching you. So maybe they had to change plans and Joseph just decided, okay, well, if I can't rob the gun store because these people are not, if I can't screw with the gun store, I can't rob it because nobody's there. But if I can't break in and, and do further damage because two witnesses are here, screw it. I'll just rob these, rob these two witnesses. So maybe he pulled the gun, thought he's going to rob them. 
And then BJ whipped out his gun and started firing. And then the gun battle happened. And then BJ killed him. And Kevin ran off. And then when he picked up Kevin, um, Kevin basically said what they wanted to hear. Or maybe they kind of implied to Kevin that uh, if he goes along with the story that Joseph shot first, that uh, they'll give him a better, uh, a lighter sentence. They'll go easier on him. And that's kind of a small detail. As I mentioned, if, if Joseph was approaching them with a gun out to rob them, even if he hasn't actually said anything yet, BJ does have the right to shoot him dead. And he deserves to be shot dead. If you just approach strangers pointing a gun at them in the middle of the night, you deserve, you deserve to be shot dead. That's the truth. You shouldn't do that to other people. That's, that's the risk you take when you point a gun at someone. <laughs> you, you don't just walk up and point guns at strangers. If you do, you risk getting killed yourself. And if you do, tough luck. And I have no sympathy for you. But, but it looks cleaner for uh, BJ if Joseph actually shot first. So maybe they, they talk Kevin into saying that it was Joseph who shot first. Maybe Kevin said, I don't know. Or maybe Kevin said that BJ did. And he was like, are you sure? Because I'm hearing that Joseph shot first. Uh, and, you know, it would look a lot better for you if he did. Uh, oh, yeah, I think he did shoot first. It could be something like that. It could be something like they just told Kevin, just out with it, tell the truth. And if uh, if you're completely honest with us, then we'll go much lighter on you. So it's possible they, they led Kevin into saying additional things that make BJ look even better. And that allows them to close the whole thing cleaner. The more of a of an unsympathetic villain Joseph looks like, then the cleaner this whole thing closes. Because if Joseph just shows up and just starts firing, well, then nobody could question about firing back. Like there, There's no world where you can say that someone who has a gun on them can't shoot back if a stranger just shows up and starts shooting at you. Every single person, even someone who's uh, the strongest gun control advocate there is, would admit that if you have a gun on you and someone, some stranger just starts shooting at you for no reason, that you do have a right to pull out the gun and shoot back at them. So maybe that's what they were leading to when the truth was that he hadn't shot yet and he was just kind of, he was planning to just pull the gun on them and rob them. Because the first plan to to further vandalize the gun store didn't work out because they were unexpectedly there in the parking lot. If I had to guess, I'd say it was something like that. There's just too many things to get. There's the, the thing about the girlfriend with, with, with getting the gun. I was thinking the girlfriend of Joseph. Uh, there's there's Kevin's whole story. Uh, there's the fact that a lot of people could get in trouble if these unreliable people like Kevin and, and, and uh, Joseph's girlfriend ever speak up and say, oh, by the way, uh, I was bribed to say this. Like that could really, really look bad for Bobby Baldwin, for BJ Baldwin. I think there's very, no matter what you believe, I think there's very, very, very little chance. There's about no chance that this was like BJ Baldwin murdering someone. I think at the very worst, there was something happened. Like, I, I still don't think it was a drug deal gone bad, but I think like at the very worst, it would be something like that where it turned violent and the guy started shooting him and he shot back and killed him. So something like that where BJ wasn't as innocent as just being there eating burgers, but, uh, but, but he wasn't killing somebody in cold blood. But I don't even think that. I, I really think that he saw them approaching with this and uh, they just didn't expect him to have a gun. And uh, 
it didn't end well for the ones attempting to rob him. And sometimes that happens to criminals. When I was in college, and I, I went to UC Santa Barbara, which is a it's a it's a safe area. Like uh, Isla Vista, which is a little town right next to college town, right next door to UC Santa Barbara. It's pretty safe. Uh, there was some crime there, but it was mostly property crime. There wasn't much violent crime anywhere in the area. But uh, there was the occasional incident. And uh, late at night, one night, uh, a guy opens the back, the open back door of a car and pulls out a knife and tells the two guys sitting in the car, give me your wallet. The driver said, okay, hang on. Let me get my wallet. Reaches into his jacket and pulls out a gun and shoots the guy dead. Turned out this idiot who was looking to rob someone jumped into an undercover police car and tried to rob them with a knife and was shot dead. So definitely not what he was he expecting. <laughs> so that was uh, no no one felt sorry for the guy, but uh, that was pretty bad luck uh, to choose for victims. They were they were undercover cops on a stakeout. So similarly here, they thought they're going to rob someone probably, and uh, they ran into a trained shooter who had a gun on him. It's understandable why there's question about this, especially with some of the weird parts of the story. One thing that isn't common is where. Uh, Someone just shows up and just starts shooting. And we have it. We, we read about it in the news about these spree killers. But this, to me, it just doesn't feel like a spree killing. That's the one part of the story I just don't think I believe, that this guy Joseph just had the gun and just decided when he sees them, he's going to just start firing. And even BJ himself said he didn't notice a bullet fired at him first. He said he doesn't know. So I think that part may have been massaged. But the... Possibility that they were about to be robbed, I think that's a very high possibility. I think that, that's much more likely. That, that, that happens all the time, where you're sitting in a dark parking lot and two shady characters show up and they have a weapon and they rob you. That happens constantly. This is one of these cases where they went after the wrong people. So I don't really believe the conspiracy theories. A slight modification of the story was done, but really kind of an inconsequential one. I don't care who shot first. It doesn't really matter. On Twitter, someone else responded to my tweet about this. And Drop, I don't really have a problem with him going to his dad's house. Because, I mean, if he's at some some closed business, two brothers came up with guns, he got in a shootout. He doesn't know if more people are coming or what, you know? It's not like there was a big crowd of people and he just bailed. Yeah. I, I understand that. Actually, I can't find the uh, – someone responded on Twitter, but I can't seem to find it anymore. I've, uh, there's a lot of responses to some other tweets I made about like the Perkins thing, so it kind of got lost in that. But someone else on, on Twitter responded that they were also very critical of it and they didn't believe it. Like they didn't believe the story. They didn't say what they thought did happen, but they were saying that there's a lot here they think is BS and there's a big cover-up here. But I don't think so. And I understand what you're saying about the – going to the dad's house I still think the right thing is you call the police right like if you're if you're afraid that you're vulnerable and that that they're going to come after you or if you want to go to a safe place you want to you want to stay on the scene for that other guy to return and get in a gun battle with you again or return, right. return with his friends that makes yeah sense. I mean that's a good explanation though that hey I'm in the, here you know again it's two in the morning and I, I mean, I'm assuming it's like a dark place. There weren't other people there, right? So he didn't know. Or at least that's what he could say. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's understandable why he wanted to get out of there. 
especially with one person running off, you don't know if he's going to come back with five friends and you just killed some friend of his or turned out his brother. So I, I can understand getting out of there and not just waiting for the police to show up. But uh, what I would do is I, w- I would get out of there and then call 911 as I'm driving and say, I, I just shot someone in self-defense here. But one of the two people who was attacking uh, was was there, ran off. So I don't want to wait for him to come back and get me. But there's a dead body there. And as soon as you're there, I'm, I'm happy to come back and meet you there. Something like that. And, and if... I guess it's not completely outrageous that he went to his father, because that's just kind of a safe place he normally runs to. If you th- if you think about it, you know his, his dad has probably uh, been supportive of him through his life. So, like, if you're going to go to someone, go to your dad. Makes sense. But uh, anyway, that's the story. I don't. I my conclusion is I don't think anything that shady occurred there. I think this probably was a legitimate good guy with a gun saves the day story. So the NRI would definitely approve of this segment because I'm saying that sounds like he's mostly telling the truth. And I think that the people who were approaching uh, really were at the very least looking to rob them. And if you don't believe me, if you say, oh, come on, this this doesn't there's no way it could be what it appears to be. OK, then explain what happened at the gun store earlier that day. Explain why that exact place before any of this happened with BJ way earlier in the day. How come it just happened to be in that same parking lot? where these guys caused the disturbance at the gun, gun store and then came back and threw a rock through the window. Like, wouldn't you th- say when they come back a third time that it's again to cause trouble in some way and then they happen to see those two? Like, what? again, if it's, a gr- uh, if it's a drug thing, there's no way they would choose that parking lot to meet where they had just caused trouble early in the day. That would be the dumbest meeting place ever. So that the, the gun store story is what really convinced me. And I, I really would have a hard time fitting that into any kind of conspiracy. I mean, I guess if they got the gun store owner to go along with it and pretend there was an incident when there wasn't and get the employees there to go along with it. But I mean, you, with any of these conspiracies, once it involves more and more people, it becomes less and less likely because there's just too many people who have to be silenced and one eventually spills it. So you really where there's some kind of cover up, it, it's it's easier to do when there's fewer people involved or when all the people involved are kind of on the same team, like a, a cover-up within a police department. Okay, that's believable because they all have each other's back. But uh, but not here. There's so many different parties involved who have nothing to do with each other that all would have to be lying about this. So it just wouldn't make sense. Okay. I'm going to move on to the next topic. You can read the uh, Las Vegas Review Journal about this. There's there's a lot of mainstream articles about this if you're interested, but I've pretty much told you the whole thing. Doyle Brunson claims that he's had a very successful poker career and more successful than you might think. A question was asked of Doyle, which is a good question, by a member of the Poker Fraud Alert Forum and someone who has co-hosted this radio show before, China Maniac. And he tweeted to Doyle asking if he has always won in poker, if he's had a winning year every single year that he's played poker. And, of course, Doyle's played for many, many years because he's very, very old and he's been playing poker since he was young. So the question is, how has Doyle done year after year? Have there been bad years in Doyle's poker career? Trinomaniac asked, are you still winning in Bobby's room consistently? Doyle Brunson said, I have had one losing year, 64 winning years. 
I had a serious operation the year I lost. I lost $6 million at the World Series that year, courtesy of my best bud, Chip Reese. So obviously this is a while ago, because Chip has been dead, I think, since 05 or 07, something like that. I think it was maybe 07. But uh, Chip Reese has been dead more than a decade. So Doyle had some operation. I don't know what year it was. I presume it was sometime in the 2000s. And he claims he lost $6 million at the World Series that year. He didn't say how much he lost that whole year, but that that was his only losing year. All 64 other years he's played, he has won. Now, China Maniac was really just asking, are you still able to beat the game in Bobby's room, which is the high-limit room, the nosebleed room in Bellagio? That's, that's what China Maniac was asking. And Doyle gave more of an answer, giving the history of his entire career year by year. Do I believe that? Answer, no. I don't believe him. Now, props to him for admitting he lost that one year and that he lost $6 million. He didn't have to admit to that. He could have said, yeah, I've won all 65 years. And that's kind of hard to disprove. And Doyle's been known as a really good player. And maybe you can believe that his skills are timeless and that even as he got old and had to face tougher and tougher competition, that he was still able to hang with them and at least be able to win something. But he admitted that he did lose one year and lost a lot. The question is, is this true? Like, is this possibly true? I'll tell you why I don't think it's possibly true. Number one, who knows if he's really keeping very close tabs on exactly what he's winning and losing. I know Doyle has invested in a number of things over the years. I know Doyle has other income besides poker. And... It's possible he just goes and plays and doesn't really count whether he's winning or losing. It's possible he thinks he's been winning all but that one year, which is very memorable because Chip Reese killed him. So uh, it, it is possible he thinks this, and he's not lying. I've known people who think they are winning poker players but are losers. Now, if they're huge losers, they know. But let's say a guy who makes a lot of money also plays recreational poker. And sometimes he wins and sometimes he loses. And let's even say that he has a few really bad sessions. When I say he, I'm talking about this hypothetical guy I'm making up. But he has a few really bad sessions. But aside from those, he kind of trades wins and losses and maybe overall wins a little bit more than loses. But that when he's losing, he sometimes really tilts and has some really horrible sessions. So those horrible sessions are what drags him down from being a slight winner to actually a uh, substantial but not huge loser. Well, what he remembers is kind of session versus session. So he thinks about it and thinks, okay, it kind of feels like I've won yeah, maybe 60% of my sessions. So let's say the number for him actually was uh, 53% of the sessions. He just is exaggerating his mind. But he still really has legitimately won 53% of his sessions. But if you add up all the wins and losses, this uh, hypothetical guy is a good deal down that year. And pretty much every year is like that for him. That guy would probably think he's a winner, as long as he's not losing enough to where it really puts a dent in his bankroll. If he's just kind of taking money out and playing and then putting it back in when, when he's done, it, it's kind of hard for him to tell if he's winning or losing unless he really puts effort into tracking his results. Now, if you're tracking results carefully or if you're just consistently winning to where you don't need to track, you know you're winning a lot, or if you're consistently losing and you don't need to track to know you're losing a lot, or if you're having a lot of financial problems because you're losing so badly, then you know that you're losing a lot. You don't need to track that to make that statement. But for Doyle, uh, who might have a lot of money, and probably has a box at Bellagio with a lot of cash and huge chips sitting in there. 
that uh, he probably doesn't keep a running total, a running track of what's going on. He may actually believe he's winning. That's the first thing. Second, I just don't think that his skills have kept up with some of these very, very best players who play in that room. Now, yes, there's some fish who manage to get into those games, and the game will sometimes run around those fish, and you don't have to be the best player in the game. You can be the sixth best out of seven players there and still end up winning if only the fish is losing and everybody else is winning. I understand that, but I'm saying that I think Doyle has played in enough lineups where he's an underdog overall. I don't think he is near the best of any of those players that he typically plays with. I think a lot of them are a lot better than him by this point. I think Doyle tells the truth when he talks about how he he didn't have books to learn from early on. That He was one of the people who was quicker to figure out the optimal strategies in these games. Or not, not totally optimal, but mostly optimal strategies in these games. That it came to him a lot quicker than others. And it's not like today if you want to learn a game, you just buy a book. And, and, and read about it or go on a website even and just read some, some uh, advice on what hands to play pre-flop and, and what to do here and what not to do here. Like th- that stuff didn't exist for a very long time during Doyle's poker career. So he really did have to learn these games by feel. And I, I do believe that he had the ability to learn these quicker than others and come up with strategies that were uh, discovered later to be the correct strategies or, or close to the correct strategies. But today is a different day. Today's a different era. It's been a different era for quite some time. This isn't a new thing that developed last year. This has been the case for quite some time that you can learn it. You still have to put the time at the tables to learn it, but you can, you can learn it a lot quicker than before because of all the training resources out there. And your opponents got a lot more practice than they used to because of online, that people got to play a lot online, play a lot more hands than before. There's so many different ways to get good and get better quickly compared to before. The game is analyzed a lot more than it used to be. And I I know Doyle plays a lot of uh, mixed games too. So uh, that's where, like, in No Limit Hold'em, you could say that some people may have a strategy that's timeless. Any big bet game. And we've been talking about that a bit with with Phil Galfond recently, that he actually went back to his 2010 strategy because it works for him and it was hard for anyone to beat and decided to stop emulating the, the kids today that have learned from solvers. He says, screw the solvers. I'm going to play my own style that's, that's worked for me. And, and sure enough, it has been working since he started doing that. So uh, similar to that, um, you know, any big bet game, a PLO game, a, a no limit hold of game, you could, you could have a timeless style which can be very hard for anyone to counter if you do it very well. But at, uh, at mixed games, at limit games, uh, you, you really do have to you, – you can't do that. You, you can't just have a timeless style. You have to evolve with it. And I've had to do that in Limit Hold'em. My Limit Hold'em style today has a lot of differences from even just 10 years ago. And because I had to evolve, I started seeing my opponents doing some things which were effective against me. And I said, well, I can't continue playing the same way that was working before. It's, it's not going to work anymore. So I have to adjust to their adjustment. And some of my adjustments are to emulate what they're doing. And some of it is to counter what they're doing. To think, okay, well, they're doing this, so how should I adjust now to best counter what they're doing there? It's a combination of both. And I assume they're constantly doing that against me as well. 
the good players. So you have to do that. And, and I'm sure Doyle sees that as well and tries to do it. But the thing is, there he's against such tough competition. And there's another big factor that they're not ancient like he is. And as I mentioned earlier in the show about the elderly being vulnerable to scammers, the elderly also just lose mental sharpness. Doyle has already admitted that he quit the World Series of Poker because he can't do that for the entire day. Now, he was more referring to the physical uh, the, the physical demands of having to sit all day at the tournament. And that does get harder and harder as you get very old. But he's also admitted that he is not the same player that he was before. He admitted at one point that he is uh, 80 to 90 percent what he used to be. That, that's what he tweeted at one point. Actually, he said that not in a tweet. He said this to Poker Central in 2018. He said in an interview, at this point, my mind is still 80 to 90 percent of where it once was. And this was two years ago, by the way. I enjoy poker. I still win. That's my barometer. I still feel great. I feel like I'm 30 years old, except for my body. My body's breaking down, which I guess is normal. It'd be nice to win another bracelet. I just don't have many more opportunities. In fact, this might be my last tournament ever. So even he admits his mind is like 80 to 90 percent what it once was, which means it probably less than that, because people always tend to overestimate what their mind can still do compared to before. That's one of these things that just everyone does. People never want to admit, oh, my mind has declined. I'm nowhere near the same person I was. No, even when people start getting very senile, they don't want to admit that. So if he thinks he's 80%, uh, then he probably is more like 70%, 60%. Is Doyle senile? No. But does he have the same sharpness as before? No, even he admits this. If he thought he was... If he really was 80%, he would really think he's 100%. Because there's something you just don't notice. Other people notice more about you than you notice about yourself when your mind isn't quite working the way it should. So uh, I, I have a feeling that he just doesn't quite have the sharpness necessary to play in these really tough games and beat them. Why does he still play? Because he enjoys the challenge. It's something he always did, and He's also stubborn and doesn't want to quit because he's old. He's, he still thinks he's capable. He probably still has his winning sessions. Probably still has times where he's proud of how he played. Proud that he can still hang with these young players. And he doesn't want to give up. Because if he does, what's he going to do? That's Poker's been his whole life. What's he going to do? And that's something he probably won't quit until he really feels he can't play anymore. Like the tournaments, he's finally quitting because his body can't take being in the seat all day and, and not taking breaks. Like he just, the, the breaks you have in tournaments are not long enough for him. He just can't handle the, the physical demands of the tournaments, which is kind of funny. You don't, you don't think a tournament poker is a physically demanding game. And, and for the typical younger middle-aged person, it's not. But for an elderly person, it is. It's a lot harder to sit in one spot for the entire day than it appears to be if you're that age. So uh, I think he's losing now. I think he's had a number of losing years. I've heard rumors they even will sometimes build games around him, that he's actually the fish in some games. But uh, he won't admit it. He's not going to say, I'm still playing even though I'm a fish now. 
I think he, in his mind, there's that one brutal year he had. He's blaming it on the surgery. The truth is he probably just was outplayed by Chip Reese, who was great. And now he probably doesn't lose a fortune. He probably loses some and just kind of deludes himself into thinking he's still winning. That's what I think. And that's not to take anything away from him. He is very old. He has uh, a lot of accomplishments in poker, and he was able to hang in this game for all these years. Yeah, I haven't heard stories that he's the live one. He's he's awful and thinks he's good, and that they're just all crushing him. I've, I've just, from what I've heard, he's not a winner in the game anymore. But that's only kind of a semi-recent development. And I think that's why China Maniac asked him the question, because China Maniac suspected that was true. But, you know, there's a time to hang up everything in your life. There's a time that you just have to say, I'm too old to do certain things as well as I used to. And in very competitive things like poker, sometimes the right thing to do is is quit. Maybe he knows he's losing now and he's okay with losing because he has a lot of money and he still wants to play. And he can even rationalize it and say, hey... I may lose now, but that's only because my mind isn't quite where it is. If these guys were all 80 years old like me, then I'd crush them all. It's not a fair fight at this point. But I'm going to play anyway. Trader Risky, do you believe he's won 64, 65 years? Well, you know, I was thinking about it. I mean, certainly up till like... The mid nineties and even the early, you know, in the late nineties, it was so bad. It was so easy for him to win. And there were always the new players coming to the game. So I think that part's realistic. Yeah. You know, in the later part, I didn't hear the conversation, but he's probably considering when he was getting paid by Doyle's room or whatever, you know, during all the hype of the high growth in poker, what he was making and, you know, and the wins he had to. You know, I bet he was counting all of that as money he made at poker. I'm agreeing. I agree with you too, Jeff. I mean, what records did he keep? And, you know, but I think with a year like in the mid, you know, late 2000s when he was getting sponsorship money and everything else, I'm sure he counted that as a win, even though if he may have lost maybe some in poker. Yeah, that's, that's a good point that maybe he's counting anything he got from sponsorship as part of poker. And that that technically makes him a winner. That's that's a good point. That right. It's just if his network. I mean, I knew, yeah, I don't think he'd count sports. I mean, I know he bet a ton of sports and everything, but he said poker, not gambling, right? Yeah, he just said poker. There, yeah, but not. But I bet he would package in that other stuff because he was winning that from poker, really. Yeah, and it's possible he's not even really in his mind breaking that out. He's just kind of looking like, okay, well. I have more this year than I did that previous year, so I guess that means I won. And so who, who knows? Exactly. Yeah, anyway. I mean, back then, Trust, I mean, it was like he was always ahead of it. So there were just always new players coming to the game. And it was, I can see him just crushing back then. Oh, yeah, I'm sure back I mean, then. Before he did very you well. played, you know, yeah. like the Mirage and the Limit games, it was just like easy money. Well, and, and he was much younger then. He was, he was under 60 in those days. Yeah, true. So he probably wasn't much older than you are now, and not much older than I am now. So that's sure. that's that makes him seem a lot less old in those days. I know, so young. 
I hate when I, I'm watching TV and there's like some character who's like playing the grand, old grandfather, and then I look up and it turns out the actor was like 56, and I go, oh, "Crap, that's not even that far from how old I, I know, am." Now. Right? <laughs> I go, they're all calling the character like old man this, and I'm going, "Crap, the actor's 56," and they didn't even like try to make him look older. He just like played him his normal look there, and I go, "That sucks." I'm getting close to that age. I know, although I have seen people lately where they're like 52, 53, they look way older than me. So. Yeah, I see that too. Like see I, that, that right, I, I'll, I'll see that like in news stories, like some guy that uh, looks ancient and then he'll say he's 47. I go, what? That guy's a year younger than me? Right, like gray hair, balding. I'm like, what? that guy's got to be like mid-60s. So yeah. Like, you know, yeah, I'll see that 52. too. <laughs> yeah, I'll see that and I'll go, wow, okay, that, that makes me feel good to see guys like that, that they're that age. Because I, I look at the pictures, I go, oh, he's got to be way older than me. And I see they're younger, I go, oh, wow. Okay, I want to give an update on a story we talked about last week. And I love when I predict things correctly. I love when I try to analyze something, and it actually comes out extremely close to what I thought. And then I look like a genius. And this is one of them. So, of course, I have to gloat here. Remember last week, I talked about NFL players Quentin Dunbar and DeAndre Baker, how they robbed what was called a party in South Florida, and that uh, they were denying it, but it looked like they did. And I heard a rumor at first that it was a poker game, but then the rumor was updated that it was a an illegal blackjack game. I said maybe that uh, Raisner could have been running that game, but I said, still, why would they rob it? Why would NFL players who are making good money, why would they go commit a robbery are they really that desperate for money it just doesn't make sense even if they knew the game was going on and they knew there's cash there why would two nfl players two young nfl players that have a career ahead of them why would they go rob a game and i go the only reason and i said this last week the only reason that i could think is that if they thought they were cheated that they thought they were going to get their money back turned out i was right it was not a party it was a game and they did think they were being cheated and they came back to, quote, rob it because they felt that they got ripped off. The only part I was wrong about, it was not a blackjack game. It was a dice game. And that has since come out. And it uh, has been updated that this was an illegal dice game in Miramar, Florida. And uh, there were three men involved, two of whom were NFL players. And that they came back to rob it after believing that they were cheated in the dice game. They believed that the dice were loaded. And that uh, that's why they came back to do it. The uh, interesting thing is that, and we also discussed this last week, that the story, that all of a sudden the, the witnesses got much less cooperative. And we were theorizing, well, that would also make sense because it's, an illegal game, an illegal gambling game, and maybe those who originally called the police about this said, oh, shit, why did we do that? We're running an illegal game here. We don't want focus on this, especially with NFL players being involved. Like, what are we doing? We're going to put all the spotlight on our illegal game. We'll never be able to run it again. We we better calm this down. So very quickly, everybody recanted their story. And that's that my theory why the people were recanting their story was because this was an illegal gambling game. I thought blackjack, but close enough, a dice game, and that they wanted to protect it. And that looked like exactly what happened, that uh, since it's an illegal dice game, it's not hard to guess why 36 hours later everybody changed their story. Unfortunately, it's not up to the victims as to whether these people will be charged. 
the the it's up to the uh, local jurisdiction if they want to charge these guys. It doesn't matter if the victims change their minds and say no, we don't want to press charges. Baker faces four charges of armed robbery with a firearm and four counts of aggravated assault with a firearm. Dunbar faces four charges of armed robbery. And the teams are waiting to see what happens through the legal system. But uh, that is the update to this story, that it it, uh, looks like that this really was a return to the game for revenge against the belief they were cheated. Do I think it's possible they were cheated? Yes. Do I think sure they were cheated? No. They could have just been unlucky. Since it was dice, that makes it a little less likely. It's just because they were fish. At, at dice, it's it's harder to lose money just from being bad. You can make bad bets in dice, but uh, you uh, it's much more likely it's something like blackjack where you're just awful uh, strategy-wise. I think they either just were very unlucky and decided it was loaded dice, or maybe it was loaded dice. Remember, this is an illegal game, and these are guys who come in there with a lot of money. And as I said, if you have a lot of money to gain, then you are willing to take more chances as far as cheating people. So it's very possible. They thought these are just two dumb NFL players. They'll just think they were unlucky. So maybe they were cheated. But then again, maybe not. No way to tell. Either way is believable. And uh, they probably were so mad when they walked out of there and thought that they got ripped off that they decided to come back and take revenge. And now the whole thing makes more sense. I could never figure out why. Why would two NFL players, two young NFL players, go and and rob a game, even if they knew there was a lot of cash there? It's just such a weird thing to do. It has to be motivated by revenge. And that's what it was. So... uh, we will see. Um, the NFL's conduct policy does uh, account for circumstances where uh, the uh, a, a player avoids uh, conviction. So if, if they're accused of something and then they're not convicted, then they can get out of it as far as uh, being released because of conduct. However, if they were to plead guilty, then it pretty much uh, ensures that at the very least they're going to be suspended. That's making it less likely that they're going to plead guilty for that reason, because that pretty much uh, throws away their career, or at least uh, their career for the moment. Then the NFL can take action much more easily. What about a contest, Ruff? Because I know in the court of law that some are kind of like guilty, but they can negotiate a little more. But I don't know if the NFL would consider that a guilty plea. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that's uh, it, what the NFL would look at that. That's an interesting question. And they uh, both made bond, by the way. Dunbar paid $100,000 and Baker $200,000 to post bond, which obviously wasn't hard for them to do. And they were released. So they're currently not in jail as they uh, wait to see what happens. The fact that the victims and witnesses all refuse to cooperate now is going to make the case much tougher for the district attorney. I have a feeling this isn't going to go anywhere. Now, it's possible the victims will change their mind again and decide to cooperate now that this 
thing is blown up everywhere. Maybe they recanted because they uh, were hoping it would keep this whole thing under the radar, and now this is not under the radar. They may just say, screw it, we're going to go full speed ahead. It's also possible they were guilty, and that's the reason they recanted. Like, if they really did cheat these guys, they may have said, what the hell are we doing? Why, why do we report this to the police when we just cheated these guys and they came back with guns and robbed everyone because we cheated them? Uh, why did we just call the police again? That wasn't very smart. We should have just let this go. So that's, uh, that may be what happened, that they don't want this looked into too much because maybe it'll turn out that they were cheating people there and they're going to go to jail too. So not just running an illegal game, but running an illegal game and cheating people. There's something weird going on in that game for sure. And I, I don't even think it's a matter that they're being bribed by anyone to recant. I think they're recanting for their own good. So we'll see what happens with this story. But I'm so glad that I got this just about correct. Now, yes, I was tipped off that this looks like it's a game and not a party. But it was my theory that this was done out of revenge and that this wasn't just two guys deciding to rob it. I'm, I'm proud of myself for that, that I got this whole thing almost exactly correct when the media was just totally wrong about this they were at the same time i was reporting that it was some kind of game where they got cheated and came back and took revenge and robbed them and then everybody recanted because it was an illegal game and they didn't want to get in trouble uh the media was still saying it was a party that's why you should listen to poker fraud alert for stories like this and not read the mainstream media we look for the real story okay well here is a real story about bet online that is probably going to disturb you a little bit on behalf of somebody you probably don't know. It's it's a very tough situation, and I can only imagine how this guy felt. Now, Trader Risky, I know you're an online poker player sometimes. Have you ever had some really, really painful disconnects where you've got a great hand and then you lose connection and it auto-folds you when you would have won a lot of money otherwise? Yes, or or just with this with this um, app, it'll just freeze, and I can't, you know, it won't recognize me clicking on, you know, call or all in. Yeah, and, so and, it's very aggravating. And and you have a, a, a tremendously good hand. You've got the nuts in a, a huge pot's developing. You can't get the money in, and it auto folds you. I mean, that's just a such it's a frustrating, s- such a frustrating feeling. The worst one I ever dealt with was many years ago on this terrible software on Interpoker that was so bad that it would not let you check behind if you get disconnected. So on the river, heads up, in an $11,000 pot, and I had the nuts. I had the ace-high flush, and there was no possible hand that could beat the ace-high flush. So I had the nuts. It was checked to me. I click bet. Nothing happens. I click bet. Nothing happens. I, I check. I'm connected to all their websites. I just cannot connect to the Internet Poker software. I have been disconnected. I'm the last one to act. So it, if the software was decent, it would just check me behind and I would win. The software was not decent. What? And it fo- Get the fuck out of here. It folded me. It folded me. What? Yes. So I was furious about this, and I went to complain and I, I made such a big deal about it, and they compromised and shipped me back like 4K, which is what I had put into the hand. So I ended up not losing money, but I didn't. I lost about 7K out of it because they only gave me back 4K that I put into the hand. And the the, the other guy, he got a free 11K out of this. Like they gave me the 4K oh, out of their own yeah. pocket. Right after this, they actually had the nerve to put out an advertisement that they just modified the software to where now it always checks you behind in position when you're disconnected. 
Isn't that nice? What a great idea. I know you know what happens to me on Bovada a lot too. Like I'll register for a tournament as I'm going in, and this is what happened today. Like it's it's already past me, but it put my ante in. It shows what cards I would have had, but the betting's already past me, so it auto four. Oh, that's weird. I mean, I guess I should expect that for the app. Is that normal? Is that on ACR like that? Well, I've, I'll tell you what I've seen on, on Bovada and cash games. I'll see it where the wrong amount of money, when someone comes in and posts, I've seen the wrong amount of money that's in front of them as far as their betting. So, like, I'm playing a 30-60 limit hold'em game, and some guy sits there and posts 30, and then he raises, or, or like, someone raises to him, and then he three bets. It should be, he, he should have $90 in front of him. Instead, right. it shows like 105. I saw that yesterday. I was playing on there yesterday. It actually oh, showed 105. Instead of, I'm like, what? How, how does it 105? Like I, I'm pausing for a second. I'm like, how could it possibly be 105? Is there something I'm missing? Was there like someone all in? The only way you can get something like 105 is if uh, someone's all in. And I go, no, nobody's all in. I go, what the hell? I go, no, it's just got to be 90. So, because like I'll have that. It'll be like in the big blind where I'm willing to call 60, but I don't want to really call 75. And, and, and I go, oh, yeah. No, it's right. Like, but was it, uh, was it just a small blind that was included? Is it 1530? It's, it's 1530. But, the but blinds are 1530. Yeah, yeah. But, oh, but, yeah, right. yeah. but, but the, the 105 was just wrong, and it wasn't in the pot. It was just in mm-hmm. front of him. It displayed oh, 105 God, for some scary. reason. I've seen weird things like that happen. So anyway, the reason I'm bringing all this up is that there's a guy who had a disconnect, which is probably the worst disconnect I've ever seen, the worst time disconnect ever. And for him, for sure, it's going to be the worst disconnect ever because he is a low-stakes player. He is not someone who's going to play $11,000 pots like I have. He is someone who will never play $11,000 pot in his life. He ended up having a disconnect that cost him far more than $11,000. He was at a bad beat jackpot table. I bet you don't you know where this is going already. At a a bat beat jackpot table, when a certain type of hand, really good hand, beats another type of really good hand, and both whole cards are used, then the bat beat jackpot, which keeps rising with time because there's rake taken out of every pot specifically for the jackpot, uh, when that hits with a huge hand beating another huge hand, the bat beat jackpot is split up in a certain fashion that uh, goes to players where they get a whole lot of money, even if the player at the table they're playing at, if it's a low-limit table, it doesn't matter. So the, these really attract a lot of people who are have a fantasy about winning big money. It, it's very rare that it happens, and it's even rarer that you're going to be the one who loses the hand and gets the biggest share. And each casino does it differently as far as the requirements to hit it, the requirements on bet online. Quad queens are better. Quads are better. Oh my god, that's ridiculous. Yeah, it's called Queens. Uh, I'm going to play you the guy's video. Do you have to be there till the river? Or did he get locked out? Yes, you have to be in the hand, you have to be in the hand till the end. So that's, that's the problem with online poker, where in live, you're in the hand if you don't fold. In online poker, you get disconnected, it auto folds you. So the question is, what if you have a bad beat jackpot hand that for sure you would not have folded? Let's say you have the nuts on the turn, and it folds you somehow because of a disconnect then should you get the bad beat jackpot? So the bad beat jackpot at this time was was uh, 340... Wait, they know... Sorry, Jeff. They know before the flop it's a bad beat jackpot. Uh, Maybe. Oh, it's a hand. Okay, I got you, I got you. Oh, so he disconnected? Oh, my God. Yes, so this is what happened. Okay, so the bad beat jackpot was $349,000. Now, that's not what he was going to win if it hit. They they distributed pretty stupidly on BetOnline. 
it's distributed as follows. The player who comes in second in the hand gets 20% of the jackpot. The winner of the hand gets 15%. Usually it's 40 and 20, but the winner of the hand gets 15%. 12.5% is the table share, which is split among everybody else at the table. 12.5% goes to everybody else at bad beat jackpot tables, which I think is stupid. 35% remains in the bad beat jackpot. It's called the reseeding, which I think is too much. And then 5% is taken by the house. So it was $349,000, but uh, by the way, the jackpot would have been split up. It would have been as follows. The guy who won the hand, the one who ended up being disconnected, which I'll explain shortly, he would have won 52500 approximately. The guy who would have come in second would have won 70000 The four players at the table would have split about uh, 10500 each. And uh, about $43,000 would have been split among all the other Bad Beat Jackpot tables. I don't know how many there were, but obviously much less for each player than these other players were talking about. It was a six-handed game. After this happened, what the guy did is he played the replay on the Bet Online software and then narrated it on a YouTube video. So he was not narrating this as the hand was happening. He was narrating this after he got disconnected and ended up not winning the bad beat jackpot. So he narrated this as documentation in case BetOnline refuses to pay him, which I'll explain shortly if I think is going to happen or not. All right, I'm recording for proof just in case they say it didn't happen. So we hit the bad beat jackpot at this table, one, two, but it disconnected me when I called the $11. Okay, so what he's showing here is uh, the flop is king, king, nine. There's two spades. He has jack, ten of spades. So you know what's going to come on the turn. It's going to be the queen of spades. So he's in on the flop, and he called the flop. I call 11 bucks. I hit my straight flush. I see it. I get disconnected. So there it is, the queen of spades on the turn. So right now it's king, king, nine, queen, with a king, nine, and queen of spades, and he has jack, ten of spades. So he's got the straight flush, and if someone has pocket kings there then this would be a bad beat jackpot. Obviously, nobody would fold in this spot, no matter what they have. They have the kings, or they have the jack-10 of spades. There's no chance any sane person, or even a semi-sane person, could fold here for any amount of money, especially at a bad beat jackpot table. So he's saying he gets disconnected as soon as the queen hits. It doesn't give me a chance right here. I'm trying trying to to click. I'm trying to click. Nothing works. All right. And it it showed in the replay he paused. It actually does – I'm surprised the replay shows this. Usually the replay just shows it quickly, but the replay actually shows that his opponent in the small blind bet out, he's in middle position. It actually kind of flashes for a little bit like he's just waiting for him to act. Then his hand disappears, the straight flush, and then the button calls. It disconnects me. I come back into the hand to see them all in on the river. Quad kings versus full house nines, nines over kings. And just got scammed. Bad beat jackpot at the top, at the table. I'm on the phone with support. I'm still playing the table. Um, but I got a feeling, obviously, these sketchy online websites, nothing's going to come of this. But just want everyone to know that this happened. And hand history numbers right there. I have proof of everything. This guy got ripped off the worst because he would have been the loser of the hand and won the majority of the bad beat jackpot. Yeah, so that was uh, a player named uh, S.H. Karina. Hopefully it's not Karina Jet. S.H. Karina. 
was the winner of the hand, or the loser of the hand. The, where, I guess he won the hand technically because uh, this guy got folded, but he would have been the second place guy getting the 70k. And uh, the guy narrating the video who would have won the hand with a straight flush, who's plays on there is Dev Owned. This is his uh, YouTube channel. I'm playing this from. He would have gotten the 52 and a half k. I was uh, absolutely, absolutely livid. Obviously, I'll update this when support gets back to me. We'll see what happens, but. Good luck to us, I guess. Fucking crazy. Yeah. So, wow. Quad queens are better as to get beat, and, and they actually did. Pocket kings with two kings in the board lost to a straight flush. The wonder these jackpots get so high. That's, that's the worst requirement I've ever seen. Quad queens are better beat. Wow. And then you hit it, it disconnects. I mean, these greedy motherfuckers, you know? So there's some conspiracy theorists who thought that he was disconnected on purpose. I think that was just incredibly bad luck uh, with the disconnection. However, um, it is true. They, they have to look at this with common sense. You have to look at this with common sense that it's not like he folded the flop and you can reason, okay, yeah, he had a straight flush draw, but it's one out. And maybe for whatever reason, he was afraid that he was drawing to one out, so he folded. Like, it's not an automatic call when you've got jack-10 of spades, and it's 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 king-nine-king king on the flop with two spades. It's hard to make someone fold. Most people won't fold, but it's not a, it's not an outrageous fold for jack-10 of spades. Because really, it's the only thing they can hit that they're confident that they're going to uh, be able to put a lot of money with is that queen of spades. But how much was the bet? Well, it, it, was, it was only eighteen. It was only eleven dollars, and he called, and that call went through. It was on the turn when he hit the queen. He hit the straight flush. Oh, he had right. the nuts. He hit the queen, so he yes. was already in. So but that's my point. So that's my point is that he already had it when he disconnected and folded. So this wasn't like, oh, I always would have called that. He did call it. He made it, and he had the nuts. So how could they possibly claim he would have folded there or that even if they want to say the disconnect, that's just what happened, that's just the way it works, that's the breaks. You have to use some common sense and say if there hadn't been this disconnect, 100% he's calling that. There's no world in where he folds this. There's no world where the the kings fold. So this was going to get the showdown no matter what, and this was going to be the bad beat jackpot hitting no matter what. So once he called that flop, it was destined to go that way, and just because he technically had a disconnect, what they need to do – is put this out there and say that they're honoring it because the player made it to the point in the hand where he hit the straight flush. If he hadn't made it, I would actually agree with Bet Online not to pay him. You can't go down the slippery slope that if somebody folds and claims it was a disconnect, that if they would have gotten there, then they should get paid. Because then people can angle that all they want. But you can't angle if you're folding a straight flush. <laughs> Clearly, he's not folding a straight flush at a bad beat jackpot table or, or ever. Why would you ever fold the nuts? So uh, they should pay him. They should just manually award this. It's not like somebody else hit it and they're going to go, oh, crap, what do we do? Now, have they manually... Well, and everybody that was playing at that time, right? I right. mean, everybody's out. There should be hundreds of people. Man. Right, and, and here's what's ridiculous is that they can... Because nobody else has hit this, and I know this because it shows on their page. I'm looking at the Bet Online page right now, and they're showing the Bad Beat Jackpot is up to 371000 So it's gone up actually 22000 since then, which means nobody has hit it since then. So why don't they stop right now? Pay pay it what it was at three forty nine thousand as exactly as they would have paid at that moment, and then whatever was accumulated since then, put that back in. Of course, don't pay the twenty two thousand that's accumulated since then. They don't deserve that, and it, nobody gets hurt by this. 
because nobody else has hit it. If somebody else hits it right now as we're speaking, then they've got a problem because then you have someone who can claim they were only playing because at the jackpot table because they saw it this high and they hit it and now they don't get paid and that's a big problem. Then they have to honor it, but or, or they should honor it. But right now, the only people that can claim slightly that they're hurt if they go back and pay this is that well I wouldn't have paid these I wouldn't have played these jackpot tables if I had known that it had been reduced back down to thirty five percent of what it was. But yeah, too too bad. Tough luck on them. The right thing to what do. What time is, of day was it, Russ? Uh I don't know. But but the, you know because because I, I think too sorry to cut you off but I just think like if they did do it I'll bet a lot of the regular players have been chasing this and were probably online at that time so then everybody's going to get a little taste and everybody will be happy well and that, right and that's the other thing is that yeah uh, because they're people are just going to wake up with money in their account every single person at a bad bot bad beat jackpot table will wake up with money in their account if this gets done. And very few people are going to complain because no one is losing money out of this. You're not taking – it's not like where the wrong person wins a pot and then they wake up and money's out of their account. Nobody is going to wake – let's say they do this overnight, okay? Nobody's going to wake up tomorrow and say, oh, crap, my account has lost money for no reason. Like my account is less money than what I went to bed with. Everybody will wake up with either the same money in their account or more. The only thing reduced will be the bad beat jackpot itself. So all they have to say is that uh, due to a malfunction, they had to manually award the bad beat jackpot that hit uh, and explain it. Explain it was a disconnect. Explain that the person – that they reached the point where they hit the straight flush and that they've made a, a decision to pay it and, and uh, take that amount of the bad beat jackpot out from that point and everything accumulated since still stays. And I doubt there will be anyone complaining. And if there is, they can just tell them F you. Uh, to, to not pay this, and, and this was posted on 2 Plus 2. This was posted on uh, May 22nd at uh, 11.32 p.m. So this is only a day ago, unless it happened uh, a longer time ago. But this person seemed like they ran over to 2 Plus 2 to post this. Uh, the thread is pretty short on 2 Plus 2 because they locked it. And they locked it because this guy asked them to lock it. Because what happened was uh, Boba Fett, who's a mod on 2 Plus 2, and I, I like Boba Fett, by the way. I'm not bashing him here. But Boba Fett was saying, hey, I get why you're upset, but uh, maybe you shouldn't run over and post this that they're going to screw you when they haven't yet. Give them a chance to do the right thing. So then the guy's like, oh, yeah, you're right. Okay, can you lock this, please? And Boba Fett's like, oh, okay. So they locked it. But that kind of sucks for the rest of us because the thread is locked and people can't give their opinions. Now, I think this guy would have been smarter to leave it open because you want as much pressure on bed online as possible. And this guy was getting a lot of support on 2 plus 2 that they should pay it. It's not like everybody was against him. It's not like that guy on Bovada that uh, tried to multi-account using his, his wife's account. And then they closed the account and everyone, and then he lied to everybody there and the whole crowd turned against him. This guy was, was in, in the few responses there were, was getting a lot of support that, that Bet Online would be really scummy not to pay him. Which I agree. I agree that Bet Online should pay him. So. And, and how, how much do you think the word got out to other players that were playing at the same time? I don't even think it did. I think very few people know, right. except for those that read the 2 plus 2. Right. So, so I mean, but, but they had to be transparent about it. Like they, I mean, I guess they don't have to be. They don't have to do anything. But I would, if I were in charge here, I would pay it and then uh, I, I'd post somewhere. I wouldn't go send an advertisement about this, but I would uh, I'd post somewhere for the results of this, wherever they post the results, that this was one and that um, 
I guess, I guess you don't have to. Maybe, maybe they could just not even announce what they're doing. Just just take take the bad beat jackpot and uh, do it fairly. Take the amount that it was at the time, pay that out, and then the amount that's accumulated since, add that to the current jackpot, and then just act like it was hit and be done. I don't think people are going to even question yeah, and, and you know what they should do, Draft, because it would be such a great PR move right now with COVID and everybody's stuck at home and everybody's playing poker. And to say that somebody just won this, you know, the 350K was just paid, and then it would already be at, all right, it wouldn't be 350, it'd probably be what, 250. So then it already has 140K in it, right? Um, I'd have to figure 22 out. 22 yeah. plus a third of 350. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, so, right. I mean, if they want to publicize it or they don't, now I can see if they don't want to publicize it because. They may be afraid this is going to encourage anglers who – I know there's no way to angle this once you've hit it, you've hit it. But but what about anglers who uh, start claim, disconnecting – claim that you got disconnected because they see a, a jackpot would have hit had they not folded. And like people will start pulling things like that and they can say it's not the same but it may look bad. So maybe they don't want to advertise this happened and that's fine. But how about just paying it and saying nothing? Just do it fairly, say nothing, and if really their feet are held to the fire about it, then they tell the story about what happened and no one's going to question it. I think I, I think very few poker players are going to say they shouldn't pay them or they or they do something wrong, even at this point. Even right now, if they were to go fix it. The, the, but the longer they wait, the more they're risking someone's going to hit it, and, and th- then they're going to be and, screwed. But, Drop, I do, but wouldn't you feel like if you're the marketing department at that poker place, when this gets hit, like you, I mean, how much does it normally get this high? Maybe I don't know. I don't know. I don't watch, but it did go up like twenty two k in the last day. So maybe it does get hit a lot. Maybe they just have active jack bad beat jackpot tables. Yeah, then they better do something. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They, they, they if this gets hit, then this the fate's going to be sealed, and that's a. I think they're dragging their feet at the wrong time. So I feel bad for this guy. And I mean, can you imagine how frustrating you hit that? You first of all, you have the straight flush and can't do anything, and then it disconnects you. And you're like, oh crap, this guy better not have quad kings. They're going all in. Fuck, he has quad kings. Oh my god, can you imagine? So sick. I can. I can't imagine how I would feel. And keep in mind, this was a low stakes game. This is like this is like twenty five cent, fifty cents, or something like that. It was a very low stakes game he was playing. So this isn't even like a high stakes player. We're we're getting. Cheated out of 52K sucks, but he plays for that amount every day. This is a guy who's never going to see 52K in poker. That's got to be really, really frustrating. Really, what really is, is bet online primarily Europe? It's, you can't play that in the US. No, I can't. Right? I can't. I'm not sure. They're on part of some network. I, I'm not sure which network they're part of. I can. I have a bet account, a bet online account to play sports with. I, I gamble on sports there. I don't ever play poker on there. Oh, they're on the Chico Poker Network. Okay. Chico Loco Network. There's a number of different Chico skins, but the only two you can play from the U.S. are Bet Online and SportsBetting.ag. So I guess Bet Online is probably the more reputable of the two, believe it or not. Also, I wonder, since this is probably network wide, I, I wonder if Bet Online can even make the decision. I wonder if this, it's the network that has to make the decision. That might make it even tougher. I didn't even think of that until you brought up, like, what is Bet Online poker? Yeah, and that'll be hard. Yeah, that'll be it. That, that there's a whole wrench in it. Well, I guess all the players would be positively affected, though. Yeah, so that's that's the only thing. Is maybe this, not. This is really the type of thing where the players who gain from it will be very happy, and those that uh, lose from it 
because it's not a real loss, it's just the bad beat jackpot they thought they were playing for but didn't hit anyway was less. I don't think anyone's going to complain. Right. Like, like, well, unless, unless, draft, if it was at like three in the morning and people have been grinding this for months trying to hit it, but then just a few people were on then, then well, maybe not. Well, I, I can see a, a potential complaint that because there's an extra rake at these jackpot tables, you can have people saying, I was paying this extra rake for the last few days because I thought the jackpot was 371K, and if it's much less than that, I wouldn't have been at these tables paying paying this rake and give me my rake back. But I I just don't see that many people saying that. It's just it's too just too little amount of money to complain about, I think. And if they do if it's only a short time if it's one for months like this, I'd understand. But um given that well, right. been- and again, those are the same people who I guarantee are getting paid something ninety percent of them are probably online at the same time. Yeah, some of them may at the same time, that's true. Someone will get paid. And then they could anyway. even give a bonus to everybody else. Yeah, they should just pay it, but who knows if they're going to do the right thing or, or be smart. No, but you're re- right, Jeff. If they don't do something soon, they're going to have a whole other drama on their hands. Yes, yeah, they are. And and I think this guy's going to keep trying to blow this up as much as possible because it's such a large amount of money, and, and, and he knows he, he really won it. But why, Which is smart. He should come on the show. I invited him on his YouTube. I actually invited him through the comments, and he said that he's considering it. He just wants to wait until they say no first. And if they say no, then he'll do it. If they say yes, then he won't. So he doesn't want to bash them, and I said, "Okay, well, I'll, I'll, I'll come on tonight and I'll bash them." <laughs> so uh, they need to act fast. I mean, regardless of what they ultimately do, they need to act fast because if they don't, and it hits, he's not getting his money. Yeah, and I, I think too that they should. It's so clear he's got a videotape of it. People could see what's going on. Everybody's had that thing happen to them when they play poker. And I think if a, if, a, if the site I was playing on, I'd see that as doing the right thing for the player. Yeah, and it's so easy, and, and I don't think many are going to complain when they do it. Like, this is like win-win-win to do the right thing here. So they'd be foolish not to. But it wouldn't surprise me if the poker site does something stupid and they just uh, they act like stickler for rules. Nope. You have to technically be in the hand when it goes to showdown, and you were not because you disconnected, and you broke the rules. Look at the terms of service. Not our fault that your internet sucks. I can see them being stupid, especially at the network level. And part of their shit software, too. Yeah, it probably is. That's what I hate. I hate when my connection is blamed when it's their software. Thank you, Jeff. Sorry. I got an email from Bovada because I I registered for this, uh, you know, the Sunday $165 one. And then it said ID require. When I tried to go to the table, I couldn't get back in. Then the ladies like said, you know, then I get a reply that it's my fault, but they're going to refund me the money. But you know, just oh. this one time. Oh, uh, that's good. You got the money because I, uh, I, I, if usually if you complain about any disconnect thing, that it, it's always your fault. Always. That's Bovada always does that. And I actually, I, I had a complaint. I had a very legitimate complaint. I don't know if I ever talked about this on the show. It happened probably a month ago. I was on Ignition, and the weirdest thing happened. I sit down. The software is supposed to automatically wait for the big blind. That's how it works now. You sit down, and you don't have to do anything. You It will just automatically wait you until the big blind and then post you. Okay? You can select not to do that, but I, I never select that. So I sit down in a six-handed game, and it posts me behind the button, which sucks. In a six-handed game, that's not worth posting behind the button like that because there's not many many hands to wait till the big blind. But fine, it did. I thought maybe, maybe there's a small chance I accidentally clicked the wrong thing and selected to sit in right now. Okay, fine. I wasn't going to complain. Until 
the next hand I'm dealt in, and it doesn't deal me any cards. <laughs> I'm not sitting out. It doesn't say sitting out. It just deals me no cards. Next hand, deals me no cards. Next hand, oh my God. deals me no cards. Next hand, big blind, deals me cards. I looked at the... Did, I did you at, win the hand you posted? No, that's the worst thing. I didn't win the hand. I, I actually flushed, uh, flopped a straight, an open-ended straight draw and missed. So, oh, I, so I called them up, and I told them this. And they supposedly understood. And they said, uh, hang on. And they came back, and they said, uh, yes, uh, unfortunately, we don't give refunds for disconnections or for uh, the malfunctions of your internet. I go, oh. Did you hear anything I said? This was not a disconnection. I was never disconnected. And look at your own hand histories. It does not show me sitting out. It just didn't deal me cards. And she says, I understand. Okay, so what do you mean you understand? I posted under the gun, which somehow happened. I have no idea how. But you see that, right? Yes. You see the next hand. Does it say sat out? No. What cards was I dealt? Well, we don't see any. Okay. Is that a problem? Um, yes, that's a little bit weird. It's a lot weird. I, I, I paid for those cards. I'm not sitting out, but somehow it doesn't give me cards. Yet I had to post under the gun. I had to post behind the button. How's that possible? I don't know, sir. Well, that's what happened. I got. I said what I want back is my thirty dollars. The rest I did myself. I did not have to call the raise for another thirty. I did not have to call the subsequent streets chasing the straight draw that didn't come. That was my decision, which resulted in lost money, but I could have won money. But I was forced to post that initial $30 and then did not get the free hands I was supposed to get after that. So you owe me that back. She said, hold on again. Put me on hold. Said, okay, I just spoke to my software department and we're going to give you a one-time credit of $30. But uh, I just want to let you know this was not a bug. I said, well, you can do what you want, but I want to let you know it was a bug. And the software department should take this seriously that it is a bug. And if they take a look at what happened and they see I was not sat out, yet somehow wasn't dealt cards, they will see there's no other explanation besides this being a bug. So I really suggest that you give that message to them. I don't, I don't have any control over what you choose to do with your software, but this was a bug. So the, I only care about getting my $30 back, but I really suggest you look into this. I doubt they did. It hasn't happened again since, but that, I never had it happen before. It was just this weird glitch in the software. I don't know what the hell happened there. But that wasn't a disconnect. But they even tried to call that a disconnect and tried to say that was that, that it wasn't a bug. So they, they always like to blame the player. I know this is a different network than BetOnline, but uh, yeah, Bovada is notorious for trying to worm out of giving refunds. when they And, and I get disconnected. There's so many disconnects on Bovada. There's so many times I'm disconnected, and I, I check, and I can connect to everything else but them. Yeah, no. I mean, I get that, too, in the software, and then I have to, like, quit it real quick, clear the clear the uh, cash. Oh, I never have to do that. Jump back in. I've got four tournaments going. <laughs> I, I, I have, fortunately, most of my disconnects, not all, but most of my disconnects, it actually recovers. It does this thing where it says trying, 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 and then it goes try number one, try number two, try number three, try number four, and then when it drops back to, like, try number zero – you know that that means it's it's reconnecting, and and it and it does, and then I'm back, and I don't lose anything. 
But uh, once in a while, it, it does one of those happens, and I just don't come back. And and now I will admit, I've gained from it. I've I've had it where my opponent disconnects, and I'm like bluffing the whole way. And then they, instead of calling my bet, they just disappear, and I win the hand. So I can't say I'm unhappy right, when that happens. Exactly. But so so when I do lose, like I have lost money in those situations where I believe I have the best hand, or I believe I have the best preflop, or I, like there's times where for sure it costs me money those disconnects. But then there's other times I know I gain money from it. So. Um, I probably am not down on that because I haven't had that many hard disconnects where I absolutely don't come back from it, and I'm, my opponents often do. I mean, I don't have a control over that. That's the way it goes. But uh, So I try not to get too yeah. mad. I try to say, well, it all kind of breaks out. But it's it's still they, – they do have a lot of disconnects on there, and it's it's not because we all have terrible internet. I know. Yeah. And even I just have – I don't know. I play on my, I, on my MacBook. You, you play on a PC, though. I play, right? I play on How a does PC. It work? Yeah. Does the software work pretty well? Well, it works fine except for the fact that I get those disconnects. But as I said, it seems to recover in most of them, but I do get them, and it's always stressful too, especially if I'm in a big hand yeah. or something and I, I, nothing happens. I go, oh, crap, and it goes, retrying, uh, try number zero, try number one, try number two. I go, shit, please come back, please come back. And it goes, try number zero. I go, okay, that means it's coming back, and then it pops back. And like I've had, I've had some close calls and big pots where I'm about to like really get furious that I'm going to be disconnected, and then it pops back. Okay, I want to talk about Ray Davis, and we'll update the story, by the way, the bet online story, and hopefully get that guy on if he does not get a good response. Remember Ray Davis? Remember uh, he's facing a criminal case for inappropriate behavior with a minor, with more than one minor, actually. We've been following this. He's been in jail since September. This was based upon alleged behavior in uh, 2016. And yet he was not arrested until April 2019 due to some severe incompetence on the police's part, even though they knew exactly where he was. They somehow thought he was out of state, didn't even bother to do a Google search and see that he's very public about where he is at all times. And they incompetently didn't arrest him until he got into a traffic stop. And then they looked up his information and saw there was a warrant out for his arrest and arrested him. And then... uh, kind of in and out of jail during uh, that time. And then in September, they brought him back, and he's been back ever since. He's not seen the outside of a jail cell since September 2019. He was offered a plea deal at one point where he'd have to register as a sex offender. Otherwise, uh, he, he got a pretty life sentence if he were to take the plea deal, but he did not want to do that and said no, so they're hitting him with a, a number of felonies, and he could spend uh, a long time in prison if convicted. He has tried a number of legal maneuvers, but they have all failed thus far. Well, he tried something else that's only would be uh, it only matter in the short term. It wouldn't do anything for getting out of being convicted, but uh, it would help him in the short term. And that was uh, something that's been happening around the country is that prisoners have been released because of the coronavirus that they state that they are afraid of the danger of the coronavirus. And in some cases, they are released, especially if uh, some reason is uh, found that this person is more vulnerable to the effects of the coronavirus. But they've also released some who are not more vulnerable. Like they've released some in, like I I know in New York, they released someone who was like 20 and he went out and committed a murder. So uh, that... uh, it depends on the jurisdiction of how strict they are, but I I disagree with this. I think that's insane. 
There's all kinds of dangers when you go to prison. It's not just the coronavirus you have to worry about. There's a lot you have to worry about in prison. And that's just the way it is in prison. That's why you try not to do things that will land you in prison. But for some reason, the coronavirus is considered different. You know, uh, rape, prison rape, okay. Getting shanked in the uh, yard is okay. Uh, getting beaten up by other prisoners, okay. Coronavirus, not okay, even if you're young and not that likely to get that sick from it. For some reason, that's a huge civil rights violation to be in jail where you could get the coronavirus. And anything else that can happen to you there is just part of being there. I, I don't understand what the difference is. So they've been releasing all these dangerous criminals. Well, but I, well, Jeff, but I think, first of all, I think the difference is I'm not defending it at all, but they're, they're set up to supposedly be able to protect them from the shame. You know, things get through, but they're supposed to be set up to stop that. They're not set up to, to support what's going on now. Well, I, and I think especially but... somebody like Ray Davis, I mean, he's not, he hasn't been, Convicted. Well, so that's what I was going to say. You know, they've it, got him in jail for months. It's they have a huge bail. I mean, it's bullshit. And now he's got this other help. Like I think somebody in his situation, they should let out. Okay, right. right. So I was going to I was going to get to that. That I think with this, they need to look at it on a case by case basis. And when I talked about this on a previous show, I said that anyone who's accused of uh, a, a truly nonviolent crime, not something that actually is violent, but that is. Uh, classified nonviolent somehow, but something actually is a truly nonviolent crime. If they want to let them out with some kind of ankle monitor or whatever, and, and uh, for their safety from the coronavirus, fine. Someone who is uh, not convicted yet and is just accused of something and isn't considered a threat to reoffend with uh, what they are being accused of. If they want to uh, release them, that's fine. Uh, so, so Ray Davis his case is not as obvious with uh, should he get a coronavirus release than others. Uh, Looking at this, he hasn't been convicted yet. He is accused of something pretty bad, and that is uh, having sexual relations with uh, minors, not uh, little children, but with uh, minors under 16. And he's way, way, way past that age. He's not like he's 20. And, uh, and, And people who are convicted of these type of crimes tend to reoffend often. Uh, however, um, he doesn't have any previous conviction for this. And uh, furthermore, uh, looking at all the facts of this, especially because he hasn't even been uh, convicted yet of this, I would say the chance of him reoffending would be pretty low. I would say that if you released him with an ankle monitor, I think he probably wouldn't be breaking any laws just uh, from observing this entire thing. I don't think he's going to run out and try to find uh, another 14-year-old girl to, uh, to to have any kind of uh, sexual encounter with. I, I, don't, I don't see that happening. I see he just goes home and, and lays low is what I would see. So uh, I would, someone like him I, I wouldn't think is a bad thing to release if, if the belief is that this person is not likely to – do what they're accused of or any other crime again, and they're just going to probably go home and lay low, and they haven't been convicted of anything, uh, I would be fine with them being released with some kind of ankle monitor so they don't just run off. Uh, someone who had any kind of violent crime, no. Someone who's been actually uh, convicted, 
of, of something. Even if even what he's done, if he had been convicted, I would say no tough luck. He he's, he should be stuck there. When I say he, I, I'm not even talking about Ray personally. I mean just anyone in his shoes uh, who's actually been convicted. I'd say okay, they should. Uh, uh, too bad. Since he hasn't been convicted yet, that's you, you do have to allow for that when making this decision. I don't think he's a threat to society to put him on an ankle monitor. And, and, and look, if he was that much of a threat of society, they would have Googled his name and arrested him for two and a half years, and they didn't. So uh, uh, so I understand why he put that in. And also, he's, he's like 50 years old, which is not like being 80 years old. But as I've said here, I believe that being that age, you have a fairly high chance of suffering uh, pretty severe symptoms if you get the coronavirus, including ones that can do permanent damage to you, such as uh, lung damage, even though there's not a high death rate when you're 50 and you don't have major pre-existing conditions. There's a, there seems to be a fairly high severe symptom rate, whereas if you're 30, there is not. If you're 30, you're probably going to get over it without much trouble at all. So I especially don't understand why they're releasing the young criminals back out. Like that's that's crazy because they're not even in much danger. The the middle aged and older ones uh, they should do on a case by case basis and and honestly determine what type of threat they are to society to uh, to release. So anyway, Ray tried this on April twentieth, and this is really the only significant update to his case in the last two months. But he tried this on April twentieth. And uh, I thought it actually – I didn't see this till after it was done. But had I seen it before the decision was handed down, I would have thought he had a decent chance, but it was denied. Oddly enough, in the minutes of the hearing on this, a person named Mr. Maynard argued this for him. I don't know if that's a typo or if there's a new person involved. I don't know of any Mr. Maynard involved in this whole thing. His attorney's name is Craig Mueller. Maybe they typed Maynard instead of Mueller. I guess that's it's a human typing this, so maybe there was some confusion. There is nothing anywhere in the documentation of this case that said anything about Maynard. <laughs> so I'll go, did he get a new attorney named Maynard? But no, it says Mr. Maynard, which I, I have to guess is probably just a typo. Anyway... Uh, Mr. Maynard or Mueller, whoever argued for him to get released because of the coronavirus, and it got a big fat denial, so he is still sitting in jail. He tried to appeal something with the Supreme Court. Remember, he, they were talking about the Nevada Supreme Court. He has been sending various appeals there. I couldn't figure out which one, but uh, he tried some appeal on May 13th, which then got dismissed. So he's betting zero with all of that. In fact, he's pretty much betting zero with everything. Everything he has tried has not worked. So he's he's back at square one. And that's the update on that case. Not much more to say. I wouldn't have really had an objection to him or someone in his position being uh, released with an ankle monitor given what's going on and given his age. But that's, uh, that's what they decided. I don't know the reasoning. If I had to guess, it would be because it's a sex crime involving minors and they just don't want to ever release someone with that, regardless of the circumstances. Um, and I can understand that. I can understand if they just made a blanket decision we're not releasing anyone accused of sex crimes because there there are those who are so compelled to go do things like this that even if they're on trial for it and haven't been convicted yet, can't help themselves and have this just uncontrollable urge to go do this, and then they just do. 
Right, but they had him walking around for months before, right, or years before, right? Yes, so two and a half, two and a half years they let him go. He didn't do anything, right? They, yeah, so they let him, right, and that's and that's a good point too. That he, he, this is a unique case where he had a two and a half year period from the, from the time that they uh, contacted him about that he's under investigation, or actually a three and a half year period. They contacted him in late 2015, I believe. So maybe it was, I think it was 2015. The thing happened, allegedly happened. Whatever it was, it, it was at least two and a half years, maybe three and a half years that he did not commit any kind of crime while they screwed up and didn't arrest him. I think, Yeah, I think he was contacted in late 2015, and then they, they issued the arrest warrant in October 2016. That's what it was. So they didn't arrest him for two and a half years while they were, quote, looking for him, where a simple Google search would have uh, shown them where he was. And uh, they first let him know that they were investigating him over three years before he was arrested. And during that entire period of time, it is not believed he committed any kind of crime. So, yeah, they that would be a strong argument. I wonder if Mr. Maynard, whoever it is, I wonder if he brought that up, saying, look, we already have an example. He was out for three years and uh, nothing happened. So uh, that that should be the answer right there. That That is a good point, that he could point to that. You don't have to predict what would happen if Ray is out in society. Well, we know. Once he was told he's being investigated for this, he, he didn't do anything. So I, I, I would really be very surprised if if they released him and then he reoffended. I, I think he'd just be thrilled to be out of jail for a while and uh, hope that he beats it. And if he doesn't, just enjoy whatever time he has away from the jail. That's that's I'm just about sure that's exactly what would happen if he uh, were released for the coronavirus concern. But it failed. And he is still there, still in jail. When is the uh, trial going to be? I don't know. And they should start some type of signature thing on Real Grinders or some type of... Uh... Sorry, Jeff, I'm about to pass out. <laughs> you know, I mean, to support him as a community, I just feel like he's getting the shaft. Well, he is. He has been treated poorly by the justice system, and I, I've said before, some of this is his fault. He's mishandled a lot of these things. Uh, I'm, I'm talking about forgetting the crime, whether he committed it or not. I'm talking about the legal procedures. Uh, he has mishandled a lot of things himself. He also has been treated unfairly in some way. Like, there's no way to justify a five hundred thousand dollar bail. You just can't. There's there's no way to justify in this case a five hundred thousand dollar bail. Uh, so, so that and, and, and probably some other things that have been unfair to him through this process. I mean, like if, if he goes through a trial and it's determined through the court of law that he committed these offenses, then he deserves to be in, in prison for it. And that's, that's the way life works. Uh, but, but you do have to go, everyone has to be treated fairly through their uh, legal proceedings of, of a criminal nature, whether they're guilty or innocent. And, uh, and there are some ways he has not been. Uh, the problem is Real Grinders just doesn't want to discuss this. They, they've they had no talk on there. They they still have a moderated forum, which they didn't used to, but they started doing it when people kept trying to post about this. This is a topic you cannot bring up over there. Uh, now, to their credit, they, they allow anything about Poker Fraud Alert to be posted there, including when we have episodes where we mention him. So that's I, I'm not censored in any way. Um, I, I do know they don't want this discussed over there, so I'm not trying to sneak this by and go, "Hey, everybody, do you know about Ray Davis? He's in jail." Like I, I don't, uh, I don't do that. But uh, at the same time, uh, they know that the if you Google Raymond Davis uh, 
Las Vegas, uh, the, or Raymond Davis arrested, the main result you're going to see is poker fraud alert. That's where people learn about it. So, but and and uh, they're aware of that, and yet I'm I'm welcome there, and I still uh, post whatever I want, and so they're not censoring poker fraud alert in any way, which is definitely covering the story. At the same time, they just don't want it discussed over there. And and basically, the instructions are, if this is brought up, do not approve the post and delete it before anyone can see it. So um, I think they don't want to bring it up because it's just – I don't think they're going to get a lot of sympathy from – I guess they're hoping that since it's mostly recreational players on there, that a lot of them just won't be aware of the story. I'm sure they'd love it if I deleted the story here, but I yeah, I don't do that. I, I It needs to be covered, and it's uh, uh, it's – a newsworthy thing to follow, and that's why I give the updates every so often, and that's why I'm I'm fair about it. Where I uh, I'll, I'll state what I really believe about the situation. So that's what's going on. And uh, next, we're going to talk about the coronavirus. We don't have as many coronavirus topics to talk about as last week. Uh, I've actually tried to. Cut that down a bit because it gets depressing to hear hours and hours of coronavirus talk on the show. And I, I understand that's not what this show is supposed to be about. What I am dis- disappointed about is that TMMLK never called in. He said he was going to call and did not call in. That is a little bit uh, of a disappointment. He's been posting on the forum. I wanted him to call in and bad guy to call in at the same time. Maybe we can get that next week. But anyway, about the coronavirus, we have five topics this week. I think all five of these are worth discussing. The first topic is the vaccine. We keep hearing talk about a vaccine, and then there's not going to be a vaccine, or there may not be a vaccine, or we uh, may have to do a different vaccine every year like we do with the flu, or maybe the vaccine won't be effective, maybe the coronavirus will be part of life forever. And these are all possibilities. I'm not saying any of these are wrong. We don't know yet. But the good news that's come out is that uh, a new company that hadn't really been discussed before that was uh, doing uh, coronavirus vaccine development called Moderna is claiming that they have already found encouraging results for a vaccine that uh, they have developed and the encouraging results they're claiming are that it uh hey sorry i'm trying to stop the trying to bring up a new story without this pop-up crap uh the the results i'm talking about here are involving the trial to see if the vaccine brings up an immune response the way these vaccines work is that they infect you with a very small amount of the disease, one that's not strong enough to actually cause harm to you, other than some mild discomfort. And then your body develops an immune response to it, to where when you actually catch the actual disease, your body already has the immune response ready and the antibodies and the whole thing gets wiped out before it can develop. And that's the way all vaccines work. And that's why a lot of old diseases, some of which were very prevalent before we were born, have basically been wiped out. 
Like you don't hear of people getting the measles anymore in the United States and uh, the mumps. There's a lot of diseases out there that uh, vaccinations have taken care of them. So the coronavirus is probably the most uh, anticipated vaccine in human history. And vaccines have always taken a long time to develop. I don't think a, a successful vaccine for anything has ever been developed in less than like three or four years. So they're, they're up against something pretty tough. However, right now, of course, we have the most modern of modern medicine that has ever existed. And number two, there's a much stronger effort to come up with a vaccine than for any other vaccine in the past. So there's a lot more resources being thrown at this for good reason. So therefore saying, oh, we should have to wait three years for this. That's not that likely because if one is possible, it'll probably be before that because of the massive amount of money and time and effort being uh, put into this and, and by multiple companies. So Moderna is saying that they already found that their vaccine is getting an immune response. Now that doesn't mean a whole lot yet because what kind of immune response and is it an effective one? And uh, is, does this mean that it actually will make you immune to the coronavirus? And what percentage of people will this work, work for? And how long until the coronavirus mutates and this doesn't work anymore? Or will that never happen? So it's not like they have a vaccine that works today and they just haven't distributed it yet. They, they found in their initial tests to see if it brings out an immune response that it does. And that's kind of step one. They also have to just see, is it effective? They also have to see, is it safe? So there's a lot of testing they have to do before it can be released to the public. There's been some controversy that uh, after their stock price skyrocketed, after they announced on Monday that there's promising early results for their vaccine, that Moderna's CFO and CMO, which stands for Chief Medical Officer, executed options and sold nearly $30 million of shares combined on Monday and Tuesday. And some people thought, hmm, that looks really, really shady. Because here they announce something positive. The stock shoots up. And then quickly the executives dump stock rather than buy more. Or at least hold on to what they have. What do the executives know? Do they perhaps know that this is BS or this is exaggerated? Or that uh, there's a very good chance this is going to go nowhere? Is that why they're doing Do they have some insider information? Well... It's a little more complicated than that. Their their transactions occurred through an automated plan that uh, lay out certain actions that occur automatically if the prices reach certain levels. And uh, so it happened on its own. It wasn't that they necessarily said, oh, look, the stock popped. Okay, well, we know this is all BS, so let's just sell our stock right now before the public catches on. It was something they already had set up prior to that, that if it gets to this level, if their stock for whatever reason gets to this level, sell this much. It's kind of like a guaranteed profit-taking scheme, which is fine. You can That's always allowed that you – so you don't have to watch 24-7 – of the stock, this way, uh, if, if it jumps when you're not there watching it, that you'll automatically sell because it's hit that level. Uh, so uh, 
Charles Whitehead, the professor at Cornell Law School, said that these stock sales did not appear to raise any legal red flags. He said, on its face, there's nothing wrong with these trades. It's what a 10B51 plan is intended for, that is the automatic uh, selling, assuming the requirements are met. So it's probably okay. And it's uh, it's even if they sold just because they felt like selling, it's still okay if they just hold a lot of stock and they go, well, look, we're, we're telling you the truth that these are encouraging results, but we know this doesn't necessarily mean that we are going to be the first ones to market with a vaccine. This may end up being nothing. This may end up being huge and the stock will go way up higher, but it also could be this fizzles out and goes lower and we want to get rid of some of our stock at this point because we like the price it's at and uh, we don't want to gamble further. Because we don't know either. We don't know where this is going either, and we, we don't want to gamble with this. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Now, if they're using insider information that they know that uh, this isn't as encouraging as they told the public, then they would have a problem. However, if this was really set up beforehand in a proper and legal way to sell when it jumps to this amount, and if they were truthful about their statement, if they didn't lie about the encouraging results, then everything is fine here. The stock did uh, slip somewhat after that. It popped up 30%, then fell 10%, and then fell another 6%. But it's still well above where it was. The optics of this aren't good, but uh, it looks like it's legal. Anyway, let's get back to what the claim is, though. The, the claim is that by October, they may actually have a vaccine that they can distribute to the public, which would be amazing. If there's a vaccine that is effective, even if it's not 100% effective, but it's at least somewhat effective, that can be released to the public in October, that would be amazing. That would be a real triumph in modern human medicine to the same year release a vaccine for a previously unknown virus. There are several companies racing to do this. Obviously, the one that does it first is uh, going to make a lot of money. So there's a big financial incentive to get this done. A lot of companies are trying very hard to get this done. And some companies have also received government funding for this research. If this gets released in October, you probably won't be able to get it unless you're one of our few very elderly listeners. I imagine that this will be done by priority. And I have to think that the first priority will be a combination of healthcare workers and elderly people with pre-existing conditions or extremely elderly people, no matter what conditions they have. Probably second in line are elderly people who are otherwise healthy. Third in line, probably non-elderly people who have pre-existing conditions. Uh, fourth in line, probably middle-aged people. Uh, and then uh, yeah, it goes on from there. Probably it'll be kids getting it last. Probably kids and teenagers will get this last because they're the ones who are least susceptible to the uh, severe symptoms or death of the uh, coronavirus. And that would make sense. And I'm fine with that. I'm, I, I wouldn't deserve to get this. For, I would feel guilty getting this vaccine first. I'd feel guilty if, if there's a limited number of vaccines. I would say, no, don't, don't give this to me. I, it, it should go to some old person who's got, uh, 
who, who's a cancer survivor. They, they should get that instead of me or give it to a healthcare worker. It shouldn't go to me, but it should go to me before like a 20-year-old. Like if they make it available to people who are much younger than me, who are healthy, I will be fist. That that shouldn't happen. And I hope that I hope they do come out with a priority plan that makes sense. Because I I definitely have a much higher risk than a twenty year old. I have a much higher risk than a thirty year old. But that's the plan. And uh, what what's the chances that this is really going to happen? I, I don't think very high. I don't think in October we're really going to see a working vaccine. It's something we can hope for. It's kind of a best case scenario. Uh, it's also possible that they will never come up with a vaccine that is effective, and we're just going to have to live with this. And there's all possibilities. It's the very best possibility that in October there's going to be a, a great vaccine that's super effective, and uh, and they can produce it very quick. And by the end of the year, most of us can be vaccinated, and and this thing's going to be pretty much done. And then there's the worst case scenario that none of these vaccines work, and that this is something we're going to have to deal with for the rest of our lives, and it mutates every year. So we're going to keep seeing it come again and again and again, and it may just be a new danger in life. Caller, you're on the air. Uh, I, I, I have the COVID. Uh, the, the shot should go to Tyrone Chen first and Casino Boy second after the elderly. Okay. So you so you want it to go to, to Tyrone of uh, who calls the show and then second to Casino Employees? Okay. I, he didn't – he just – that, that was his comment, and he hung up. I didn't get to follow up with him. But th- thank you for the call. All right. Uh, moving on to the second coronavirus topic. The CDC has made an announcement that really hasn't gotten enough publicity. I, this is a pretty big thing that they announced. I don't know if they're right. They've been wrong before. But if they're right, this is a pretty big thing that you should know. They are claiming now that the coronavirus doesn't really spread very often on surfaces. That most people who've gotten it have gotten it from respiratory droplets. So basically, if you touch something that someone with the coronavirus touched, you're probably not going to catch it. That's what the CDC is saying. They're not saying you're totally out of the woods or that there's no chance. They're saying that uh, it's it's pretty unlikely that if you're going to get it, it's probably from something in the air. That includes being close to someone where they're breathing as they're talking and their breath gets in, in, into your uh, into your lungs or, uh, or or where someone sneezes or coughs on you, something like that. Okay, I guess it could also happen from uh, from kissing, anything. But, but uh, as far as from surfaces, from touching surfaces that those who are infected have touched, that you're not very likely to get it that way. They did not go as far as saying that... You just don't have to worry at all. That it's just uh, no problem. Just touch everything now. Don't wash your hands. It's cool. That's not what they're saying. They're saying that it looks like the fear of this was way overblown. And that uh, it turns out that touching things isn't that bad. That it's, it's not that likely to get it just from touching things that infected people have touched. Which, if this is true, I'm not sure if I trust it yet. But if, if it's true, that's a very big thing from a lifestyle standpoint. And also from a prevention standpoint, it takes away one real concern that you would have. Because I, I've been most concerned about surfaces. Because I, I know I can keep away from people breathing on me or sneezing on me or coughing on me. What I don't know is that every single surface I touch hasn't been contaminated. 
I've been pretty good about this, and I've, that's why I'm getting things delivered to me, and um, and I, I let it sit for a while before I touch it. And I've I haven't eliminated all risk, but I've eliminated a lot of risk. But if I found out that there's very little transmission on surfaces, that would really ease my mind, and I would make me really unlikely to get it the way I've been uh, behaving. So. Uh, that's been released by the CDC, and yet there's very little talk about it. Even when I posted it on Poker Fraud Alert, nobody seemed to care, which I don't understand because that's huge news. It's really weird with this because I'll see things which I think are huge news and like it barely gets covered, and, and I'll see other things which I think are trivial and, and they get just all kinds of attention. Like, a lot of you have seen this going around this past week. This guy from uh, Florida which I'm not sure if he's from Florida or he caught it from Florida something this guy from Florida or, or went to Florida who's 43 years old was very muscular was a nurse caught COVID-19 almost died was on a ventilator and uh, lost 50 pounds in all of his muscle so he went for this like buff healthy looking guy to like really really skinny looking and it was to show, look, this is what can happen to people who aren't old and aren't sick. A 43-year-old who is very muscular, looks like he's very fit, and look what happened to him. And that went around everywhere. So first I thought, okay, first of all, what's the point? Like, What are they trying to prove here? That 43-year-olds are in danger of the coronavirus? I, I knew that. Everybody knew that. I think, uh, it's not a shock that a 43-year-old has a hard time with the coronavirus. This guy got sicker than most 43-year-olds do. I'll say that. Most 43-year-olds don't go to the verge of death. But look, it's not like it's a shocker that something happened to a 43-year-old. That's the first thing. It's also not a shocker that someone lost a lot of weight while they were in the hospital and on a ventilator for six weeks. So I don't know what they were really trying to get across. But also, he was a very poor example because, number one, it looked like the guy was probably on steroids. If you look at his body and the fact that he was 43 the muscles didn't look what you'd expect a 43-year-old who worked out to look like. And number two, the guy was gay. You may say, well, why does that matter? Well, there's uh, something that some gay people take called PrEP, which helps prevent acquiring uh, HIV, which is great they have that drug, but uh, taking PrEP can also, uh, it has some side effects. So between the prep he might have been taking, which he didn't say if he is or is not taking it, and the fact that he was probably on steroids, which definitely screws with your immune system, he is not the epitome of the healthy guy who got it really bad. If they want to show a healthy guy who got it really bad, really just show an average 43-year-old guy who, who looks fit but not like all buff and, and where his muscles look like they weren't uh, acquired naturally... Show us that guy and then show us what happened to him and tell us a story about being on a ventilator and all that. You tell us all that, uh, while again that's not giving much new information, at least that's more of an interesting story. A guy on probably on steroids and maybe on prep who got it, uh, no. Like, I, I really think, if I had to guess why he got it that bad, because he was on steroids. That's what I think. But this was not being pushed that way. This is being pushed at, wow, look at this healthy guy. Why? Because he has muscles? Having a bunch of muscles doesn't mean you're healthy. Having unnatural muscles for your age makes it more likely that you are unhealthy and just 
are muscular. You outwardly look healthy, but you're really not because you're putting crap in your body that screws everything up. Steroids have big consequences. So that was a weird story. That was going around everywhere. I mean, that was on, all over the mainstream news, that guy. I mean, I'm glad he got better. I'm not saying he deserves to die from COVID, but it's just he, he is not the typical 43-year-old. So for some reason, that was the big story, but the, the thing about the surfaces barely got any coverage. The CDC said that they are clarifying its guide, their guidance to pre, uh, regarding prevention of the coronavirus and spreading. They're hoping to clear up confusion over whether a person can contract the disease by touching surfaces that have the virus on them. And uh, they said that the main source of the coronavirus' spread is through respiratory droplets from an infected person who coughs, sneezes, or talks in cr- close proximity to someone else. COVID-19 spreads mainly through close contact from person to person. While it may be possible that a person get COVID by touching a surface or object that has the virus on it and then touching their own mouth, nose, or possibly their eyes, this is not thought to be the main way the virus spreads. Now, this is a lot different than the way the common cold often spreads, like the rhinovirus is big time on surfaces. It's also spread by uh, sneezing and coughing, but the, the rhinovirus, which causes a lot of the common cold, by the way, you may not know this, but the common cold, it's a lot of different types of viruses that kind of present themselves the same way. So they're all lumped into being the common cold. There actually are common cold coronaviruses. They don't affect you like this coronavirus does, but they are actually coronaviruses. So anyway, uh, the, I, like the rhinovirus, I know for sure, that one easily spreads on surfaces. That one, a lot of people pick it up by touching surfaces that others have touched and then touching their eyes or nose. That's why uh, poker rooms that happen so often where people will catch uh, a rhinovirus that's going around because they touch the chips that have the rhinovirus on them and touch their eyes or, or nose or whatever, and then they catch it, and then a day or two later they have symptoms. But they're saying that with the COVID-19, that's not what's happening for the most part. They're not saying it never happens, but they're saying this isn't seen to be the main form of transmission. Last month... The page on the CDC's website said that spread from contact with contaminated surfaces and objects was uh, basically equivalent to the uh, spreading in a respiratory manner. That has all been redone on the website, and this is no longer there, and instead the language of the virus does not spread easily in other ways after first listing the ways that it spreads through a respiratory respiratory manner. The CDC is a little afraid to go as far as saying you don't have to worry. They don't want to confuse people, so they've been putting out cautious language despite the fact that they've changed their website. They said this is not thought to be the main way the virus spreads, but we're still learning more about this. And they have also said that their transmission language has not changed, which is kind of strange because it kind of has. They're just trying to cover their asses is what happened there. The truth is they, they believe this now, but they don't want to go too far and have people get it from surfaces and then blame them. Now, this has been long debated and uh, it's always been a question about COVID-19. How does it really spread? And there's been a lot of different theories about it. So this is the latest one, and I'm I'm not sure I completely believe it. I'd love to believe it's true. That would make it a lot easier for me to assess my own risk and what I should do and should not do. 
But it's good news. This is good news. Because it makes it much easier to understand what you should and shouldn't do. Because if this is true, let's let's say that God himself comes down and tells us, yes, that's true, 100% true, you're not going to get it from surfaces. Okay. Well, now anything related to touching surfaces, I don't have to worry about. Nor do I have to wash my hands a million times a day. Nor do I have to let my uh, stuff delivered to me sit in a box and not be touched for a day or two. Not, I don't have to panic every time I touch something that's perishable that I have to put in the refrigerator. Or panic that uh, something I order that's perishable I want to eat now or tonight, where there's not enough time for it to degrade, the, the virus that may be present on it, that I, I have to panic, maybe I'm giving myself the coronavirus. Like If I could just know that I'm not going to get the coronavirus this way, and as long as people don't cough, sneeze, or breathe in my face, that I'm not going to get it, that would be lovely. That wouldn't be perfect. I still wouldn't want to sit in close proximity with anyone or stand in close proximity with anyone. I still would keep my distance from people who don't live in my home. But this would be a lot easier to manage and avoid if it's true. So I hope this remains what the guidelines are. I hope they don't discover, oh, we were actually wrong. Never mind, it does spread a lot. Or, well, it's it's uh, 80% by respiratory, 20% by surfaces. That would kind of suck too. Now... Let's say you're one of our listeners who's had the coronavirus and you say, wait a minute, this sounds like BS because I know nobody has sneezed in my face, nobody coughed in my face, and I still got it. Well, it is possible, there was some theory, and they haven't said much about this since then, but there's some theory that the, and this is actually part of what scared me from going into stores anymore, that the respiratory droplets, if someone does sneeze or cough, that they don't sink to a surface immediately that they can actually hang in the air. They're actually very light. They can actually hang in the air for a long time, for hours, and that you can walk right into them. Say someone could have coughed two hours ago, and you can walk into their cough two hours later in the same spot and get it. And that kind of freaked me out when I heard that. I'm like, I don't think I want to be where a lot of people are constantly walking around or were constantly walking around. I think I would like to just be at home as much as possible and away from any kind of public space where there's a lot of people indoors. And that's why I don't go to the store anymore. So we do have to still understand, if it's not on surfaces, how is it spreading so easily? And that's a good question. That is a good question. I do wonder if it really is the matter of just, you just can't be too close, that maybe it spreads extremely easily, like if you breathe on someone. Maybe it is respiratory, but like way easier to spread in a respiratory fashion than like the common cold. That might be what we discover. So just something to keep in mind. I'm not saying to just not wash your hands anymore and to just touch every surface and not worry anymore, but maybe your worry now should be less. By the way, speaking of coronavirus being colds, there is a theory, but it's, it hasn't been proven yet that if you have had a lot of colds, that you're actually going to be more protected against this coronavirus because you have had previous coronavirus and your body already knows how to fight them, and that the more coronaviruses you've had, the better your body will be at fighting them. Now, who gets a number of colds? Anybody know someone who has a number of colds? Trade risk, are you still awake? I know somebody who has a narcolepsy here on the radio. Trade risk, are you with us? I'm going to give him a second to unmute, but I think we lost him. 
All right. In his defense, he did mention he was getting tired. Well, I'll answer the question. It's me. I I don't get it anymore at this rate because I'm never going anywhere. But when I was living normal life, I was getting about four colds a year on average, which, believe it or not, is not abnormal, especially with a kid. The average adult is said to get two to four colds per year, but I was probably more along the lines of four colds per year on average. And uh, a lot of those are rhinoviruses, but uh, there were some coronaviruses in there for sure with all the colds I've gotten. And with every cold I got in my lifetime that was a coronavirus, I probably, or I shouldn't say probably, I possibly have gained some additional immunity to the coronavirus that uh, is currently threatening everybody. Now, that people ask, if that's true, then why are middle-aged people so much more susceptible? Shouldn't they have had more lifetime colds than kids who are not susceptible? The answer to that was, well, maybe this is more about uh, recent colds you've got. That if you've had a cold a long time ago, uh, you don't really have the immunity anymore. But uh, if you got the cold recently, it says kids catch more colds per year than adults do, which is true that whoever had more recent colds that were coronaviruses are protected. Now, I don't think that could be the whole thing because uh, there's just so few kids that are getting any kind of real noticeable symptoms from this that are troublesome that it wouldn't explain it. There are kids who just don't get colds, and how come they're not dying from it? So it couldn't just be that, but maybe. I hope it's true. That would be a good thing for me. So we'll see. Now, a possible bad thing for me is I have certain colds that get really, really bad, like unusually bad for what people usually face for colds. And if that is a result of my immune system being overactive, which sometimes that is what causes the really bad symptoms from a cold, and if it's the coronavirus colds where my body does that, then that is bad news for me because that will mean when I get this coronavirus that my body will overact the same way And that is what's thought to be killing people. On the possible good news front, I'm still taking a lot of aspirin, even though they're saying that those uh, NSAID medications are not good for you if you have the coronavirus, and that does include aspirin and Advil. But aspirin is also a blood thinner, and there is a theory now that the blood clots that seem to be present in most people who end up with severe coronavirus symptoms, like very severe coronavirus symptoms, like 70% of them have blood clots of some sort, that aspirin may prevent that. And that the fact that I am taking so much aspirin because of my chronic tension headaches that I've had for over 20 years, that this could possibly help me. It was noted that, number one, this hasn't been researched yet. And number two, even if this is true, it's not recommended that you just go start taking aspirin regularly because there's many people who can't handle aspirin well and it may cause stomach issues or uh, other ailments that would not be worth doing this. But for me, it's fine. I've taken aspirin for a very long time with no issue. So I don't have to worry about like, oh, what will happen if I start taking regular aspirin? Yeah, I've been doing that for a very long time and I'm still here. That I'm not worried about. I just hope that the aspirin could be helping me. Of course, as there always seems to be with the coronavirus, there's also concern that aspirin causes trouble and that if you're taking regular aspirin, that you're more susceptible to bad effects of the coronavirus. So who knows? Who knows? It's hard to know what the hell to do these days. I want to talk about a study related to how dangerous is the coronavirus to you versus the flu, because there actually was a study done about this. Now, we're not going to focus on 
the statistic of how many people actually get uh, very sick from it, which is often ignored, and it pisses me off when there's discussion of deaths, and only deaths, but they don't talk about uh, severe illness and permanent damage to your body, which can't be ignored. So for this discussion, we are going to ignore that. We're only going to talk about deaths. Why? Because that's all this study did, and I still think it's important to know. There was a study that was done on each age group and whether the flu is more dangerous for that age group or the coronavirus is. I wish I had traded Ruski on because I would ask him which age group is actually worst off compared to the flu. We know which one is worst off total, and that's over 85 years old. That's obvious. But compared to their risk of the flu, which age group is worst off? It's actually not the over 85 group, even though a lot of them are dying from the coronavirus, because a lot of them are also dying from the flu. So since the flu kills a lot of them and the coronavirus kills a lot of them, the coronavirus is more deadly than the flu for them, but uh, not as much comparatively for other age groups who don't die from the flu very often at all. On the flip side, with kids, obviously it's different. The flu does kill kids. It does not kill uh, the, the coronavirus does not kill kids very often. Now, keep in mind, these numbers are for all people in the age group. It does not matter what subgroup they are within the age group, meaning it doesn't take account into account about uh, people with pre-existing conditions, people with obesity, whatever. Like it, it's, it's just everybody in the entire age group, no matter what condition they're in, average together. It turns out that if you are under 25 that your risk of dying from the coronavirus is actually less than dying from the flu. Which isn't surprising if you think about it, because kids aren't dying from this very often. If you are an infant under one, so all you infants number one listening to the show, there are some, you may laugh at this, there actually are infants under one who listen to the show. Not a joke, there are. I've seen pictures of them listening to the show. If you're an infant under one, your chance of dying of the flu is 17 times higher than dying of the coronavirus. 17 times higher. But wait, there's more. If you are between one year old and four years old, the chance of dying of the flu is 20 times higher than dying of the coronavirus. 20 times higher. What about 5 to 14? Now, that's a pretty big range. And as you see, 1 to 4 is 20 times higher for the flu. 5 to 14, keep in mind here at uh, 5 to 14, uh, the flu deaths go way down. So that's it, it's not that COVID becomes uh, more dangerous for them. It's just that you, you have a lot fewer flu deaths once kids hit 5. And that's why that's why I don't worry that much for Benjamin. He gets his flu shot, but I'm not work, walking around worried every year the flu is going to kill him. So really, once the kid gets to be five, they uh, they're they're mostly uh, protected from the flu. Still more susceptible than adults, but mostly protected from it. Anyway, if you're five to fourteen years old, still it's about seven times more likely you're going to die of the flu than the coronavirus. Seven times. Between 15 and 24, it starts to be about even. You're 1.26 times more likely to die of the flu than the 
coronavirus. So it's very, very close. In fact, I'd love to see this broken out because uh, maybe at 24 and 23, it starts to be more the coronavirus, maybe because it's 15 to 24. I don't know. We'll just uh, ignore that for right now. But it seems about roughly equivalent with a small edge over the, for the flu to kill you from 15 to 24. So bottom line is, uh, if you're not afraid of the flu and you're under 25, you shouldn't be afraid of the coronavirus because you're more likely to die from the flu. However, at 25, it changes. 25 to 34, which again, I wish they broke this down by five years instead of 10 years, but that's what they did. 25 to 34, you are 2.18 times more likely to die of the coronavirus than the flu. This is where the coronavirus starts to be more dangerous. 35 to 44, exactly three times more likely to die of the coronavirus than the flu. 45 to 54, I'm right in the middle of that. 3.63 times more likely to die of the coronavirus than the flu. 55 to 64, this is where the peak is, 3.85, almost four times more likely to die of coronavirus than the flu. And that's where it peaks. 3.57 times if you're 65 to 74 for the coronavirus, 2.59 times if you're 75 to 84, the coronavirus versus the flu, and 1.71 times if you're over 85. Now, remember, as you get older, your chance of the flu, when I say older, as you get to be elderly, your chance of the flu, the flu killing you goes way up. So that's why, even though it's mainly killing the elderly, the coronavirus, so is the flu. So that's why the numbers aren't as high for that demographic, whereas uh, 45 to 54 and 55 to 64, there are not that many people dying of the flu in that age group, and yet there are some dying of the coronavirus. Not all that many compared to the elderly people, but you still see if you're middle-aged and you say, oh, it's just the flu, it's no big deal. No, it is. It's a four times chance that you're going to die with COVID versus the flu. And truthfully, uh, it's much worse than that because it's not just about death. The chance of you having a very severe version of the coronavirus that harms you long-term is much higher than having a severe flu that harms you long-term. So as I've been saying, if you're middle-aged, watch out. Don't just think because you're not old, you're not susceptible. But if you're young, don't worry. You're probably going to be okay. It's not worse than the flu. And that's what young people are realizing. They talk to each other. Hey, do you know anyone with coronavirus? No. Well, I think I know a guy who had it, like, but it barely did anything to him. Like, like he lost his taste for two days and that was it. And yeah, I, I know a guy, he like he was kind of like tired for a week, but that was about it. Like that, that's, that's what these kids say to each other. They, they don't know anybody who had it bad their own age. And yet people my age, you know a lot of people who've had it and it's been pretty bad. I don't know anybody personally who died yet of it, but uh, I, I know people my age who had it and it was pretty bad. And know very few my age who had it and it was not that bad. We actually have one listener who goes by uh, Fergie72 and he actually uh, delivers, he's a, a postman. And he told me that he had it and it was pretty mild. And good for him because he's the same age as me. That's what the 72 is in reference to. So, I mean, that's great news for him. He's the only one I've heard from that's my age that know they had it and it wasn't bad. He felt it, but it wasn't that terrible. So this chart, what this shows is that uh, there's a lot of people saying inaccurate things. The people saying the young ones are in a lot of danger, they just don't realize that they're full of crap. 
the ones who are middle-aged who are saying, oh, it's just the flu, it's the same thing, they're, they're full of crap. <laughs> this graph shows both. And I believe this graph, by the way. This, this is kind of what I thought would be the case. If someone asked me to make a graph like this, I'd probably make one kind of similar without having the numbers. But wow, 20 times likely, more likely a kid from 1 to 4 is a flu death than a coronavirus death. 7 times more likely 5 to 14 flu versus coronavirus. This is why I keep telling people, don't worry about your kids. Even with the Kawasaki syndrome, don't worry about your kids. If you're not panicking about the flu, don't worry about this for your kids. Because uh, the flu is much more dangerous. 5 to 14, 7 times as much dangerous as the flu. That's also something that hasn't gotten that much attention, but I thought... Uh, I would read on the show. Okay. Well, knowing that, here's the question. Since they're reopening a lot of states now, most states are reopening in some way. Unfortunately, where I am in California, they're very slow, too slow. And that bothers me because there's some things I, I, even though I've been avoiding a lot of things, there are some things I'd like to see reopened. Like, for example, the dentist. I'd, I'd like to go to the dentist. I know there's a chance, but it's a one-time thing. I, I want to go to the dentist. I actually have some cavities to fill that I didn't get to be filled. I thought I'd have time to do it. And now I've been sitting for months and not doing it. Uh, I don't want to wait till they become a root canal. I, I, I also want to get a cleaning done. Like I want to go to the dentist. And there's, there's other things like that that I would like to do. And the longer we wait, the longer the backlog will be of people who need to do these things. So it'll be hard to get in. It's time to use some sense and open things up. I also would like to get a colonoscopy for the first time in my life. I'm to that age. I don't want to sit and wait and wait and wait and find out I have colon cancer because I didn't uh, catch this soon enough. So I, I meant to do that this year, and I was all ready to schedule an appointment, and then this came up. I cannot get one right now. It's not legal to do in California. So they need to reopen a lot of these things. And, and it's stupid because they're actually laying off hospital workers during a pandemic. Isn't that crazy? They're laying off hospital workers because there's not enough COVID cases coming into fill the hospitals, which is good, and they can't take elective surgeries, even necessary elective surgeries, and that's bad. And therefore, the hospitals are not full enough. They're not making enough money. They can't justify keeping these people on. They're actually laying off hospital workers. That's, when you see that's happening, you know it's time to reopen the hospitals for elective surgeries. It's just it's some insane policies keeping things closed. But uh, let's talk about seeing family and friends. You have to think about it. And you have to try to assess the risk. Now, so you may be seeing family and friends already, in which case this uh, probably doesn't matter to you, but maybe you want to hear anyway what I feel your risk is. I have not done this. The last time I saw any family or friends was in mid-March. And then everything started shutting down and that was it. And then I started to, I started to really take it more seriously around then, and I, I started to get nervous in the store, and I, I just really changed my outlook. I was never one of the people dismissing the coronavirus. That's why I quit playing live poker very early on in this, before there was even a confirmed case in the United States. But at the same time, uh, I, I only really started taking this seriously around mid-March, and, uh, and then I took it even more seriously in early April, and I started doing the ordering for uh, everything to be delivered here. And, and that's the way I've stayed. And I, and I stand by that decision, and I think that was correct, and I'm going to continue doing it that way. However, I have been thinking about this, and I realized that I have to find some balance here. I can't just wait an eternity for everything until 
there's a vaccine and the vaccine is effective and I feel like completely safe to see other people or I'll be waiting a very long time and maybe forever. In addition, I have parents who are not young, as you might guess, because I'm not all that young myself. And fortunately, I I have two parents who are alive and healthy right now. Uh, Neither of my parents had this when they were my age. My dad lost both of his parents, uh, I think, by age 37. And my mom lost one parent when she was in her early 30s, and the other lived until she was uh, in her mid-50s. So they, they both weren't 48 with two parents, not even close to that. And uh, I would not, I would feel so awful if I didn't see my parents and then one of them passed away and I knew I could have seen them for the last few months and just chose not to. Or even if they didn't abruptly pass away, but they got very sick and they, you know, that would be the last way I see them. Now, you may say, well, I'd be putting my parents at risk. No, believe it or not, um, it's actually the other way around. I've been so careful here, there's no way that I have it. Like, I'm just doing nothing. I'm doing nothing to put myself even at the slightest risk, and same with everybody else in the household. And we're very safe here, and my parents are both very uh, confident in that. They know if they come see me, they're not going to get it. The question is, would I get it from them? (laughs) So. Which is funny to think about, but the truth, they're, they're not showing the same, they're not doing the same things I am. They are still going to the supermarket and stuff like that. So um, they said that they actually would feel bad coming to me with all the effort I'm putting in to keep the coronavirus out of this house and then bring it to me. They don't have it. They don't think they have it, but there is that period of two to three days of being asymptomatic. So we discussed this and, and I finally said, you know what? I, I I'll take the chance. I will take the chance. Even even though they're not showing the same level of caution I am, they're not being reckless. They're just not showing the same level of caution I am. But even that with that, it's not like I'm seeing them every day. So on the day they come to me, it would have to be in this very small window where they would have it and be asymptomatic which, of course, is much less likely at their age anyway for them to be asymptomatic. They would be for the first two or three days, but it's, it's unlikely they would be sitting there for a long time asymptomatic at their age. So they'd have to have it and be asymptomatic while they see me and get me sick. So I, I talked to them about it, and we decided that, yeah, we're, we're going to see each other again, and we'll just keep distance, almost like... And we've, we've kept distance before, like when someone has a cold. Like they've, they've seen me before, for example, when I have a cold, and I'll, I'll warn them. I'll say, maybe you don't want to come over because I have a cold. And, and sometimes they'll say, okay, you're right, we won't come over. <laughs> and, to, and sometimes they'll say, okay, we'll come over, we're just going to keep our distance, we're not going to hug you, we're not going to sit too close to you, and I understand. And, and it's been vice versa. They've also come over and they have a cold, and, and I just keep away from them. Now, of course, get, getting a cold is, is no big deal, and, and uh, getting the coronavirus is a big deal, especially if you're their age, but uh, we're going to treat it that way. No one's going to hug each other, no one's going to get too close, but it. It's not going to be the situation anymore where I just don't see them. It's It's been now uh, two and a half months, and uh, I, I'm going to see them soon. And I, I decided that's the right thing to do, and uh, my girlfriend's going to do the same with her family. She hasn't seen them either. She's going to take the same approach there. And as far as seeing other people, uh, 
you know, we'll, we'll assess from what they've been doing and uh, how badly we feel we need to see them. We'll assess that risk and, and go from there. So what I suggest to you is, is just assess each individual person's risk that can come see you or that you can come see them and decide whether you want to. Yes, it's an additional risk seeing anybody else who doesn't already live with you. It is. There's no way around that. But uh, depending on how often you see them and what you do when you see them and how close you get to them, it's, uh, it, it can be a very small risk. And it might be worth it. Everything you do in life is a risk. And when I go uh, get in my car and, and drive five miles away, it's a risk. I, I'm safer being at home than in my car for five miles. Am I panicked when I get in my car? Did I drive uh, five miles each way that there's a chance that someone will hit me and kill me? No. Is there that chance? Yes. Does it happen to people that they go five miles away from their house and get hit and die? Yes. Not even on my mind when I go drive. Not even on my mind when I drive to Vegas, uh, it's, uh, 300 miles away on, on, on the highway with people driving crazy. It's, it's more on my mind then. Occasionally I'll think of it, but but I, I'm not terrified getting in the car to go drive to Vegas. I'll go on long road trips. I don't think about this very often, about uh, that I'm exposing myself to a much higher chance of uh, auto accident, severe injury, or death. Why? Because uh, what I'm doing is, is worth taking that small chance. So... You have to look at it that way and decide what to do. And you should find out from that person what they've been doing. The more they've been doing, this, likely they would get the virus from somewhere. The more cautious you may want to be about seeing them at all. So someone like me is very safe to see. If you came to visit me, you wouldn't catch the coronavirus from me because I'm not doing anything to expose myself, especially if you're not getting it from surfaces, which I'm being very careful with as well. But if there's any way I could get this by any kind of fluke, it would be because of a surface that uh, um, something was delivered to me and, and I opened it too soon or it lasts longer on the surface than people thought. Something like that. But other than that, I'm not getting it because I'm just not seeing anyone. So I'd be very, very safe to visit. And then it ranges all the way to people who just don't care and just go live their life normally and hang out with a lot of different people and you know that's uh, – and, and get up close to them and just act like it's normal life, uh, those people are most dangerous to invite over or to go to their house. So that's that's why you have to assess whether you see family or friends and you have to judge your own risk against the fact that you're not seeing people. And It, it is kind of crappy. Like I just sat there. Sometimes I, I, I try not to think about it. I, I try to focus on what I can do and what I do enjoy that uh, rather than thinking about what I can't do. So I'll think about I, I still go out and hike. I enjoy that. We, we took a day trip last week. I enjoyed that. Uh, I can still go on the internet all I want and play internet poker, which is actually uh, more active than it used to be. I enjoy that. Um, I can still uh, talk to people on the phone. I can still text with people. So it's not like I have no social contact. I just uh, don't see them in person. So I, I, I can still watch TV. Like There's a lot of things that I was doing in normal life that I can still do. I can still hang out in my backyard. There's a lot of things I can do that uh, I was doing before. Some things that have even improved a little bit, like online poker over before. So I try to look at, like, day-to-day life isn't miserable. If I said that, I'd be lying. When day-to-day life was miserable is when I had my psychological issues a, a year and a half ago. That was, that was a, a miserable day-to-day existence. That was awful with no quality of life. This is not. I have quality of life now. 
Now, if I sit around and think about what I can't do, it gets depressing. I think about how next week I would be going to the World Series of Poker, which I would have been, and I'm not. That's depressing. If I think about that I before this I was going to commerce every week and doing well there, and I can't do that, that's depressing. If I think about uh, the trips I already had to cancel this year, including an international trip, that's depressing. If I think about that I can't plan a summer trip, that's depressing. If I think about the fact that this is not ending anytime soon, it's depressing. If I think about the fact that I'm at risk to get this and who knows what will happen to me when I do, that's depressing. So I try not to sit there and think about these things. But uh, when I do think about it, one of the things I thought was depressing is that I haven't seen anybody else socially except for my family that lives with me here, including my parents. I have not seen them. And I thought, okay, that that's depressing and that's something I can reconsider. So I reconsidered it and maybe you should too, if you've been like me. Okay, final coronavirus topic. Florida and Georgia have done the most reopening and there's been a lot of controversy about this. There's been some belief that they just uh, are doing it because they don't care. All they care about is the economy. They're just reckless. They're in denial. They think it's just the flu. They think this is a hoax. There's, there's been a lot of accusations against uh, the people and the government of Florida and Georgia that they don't know what they're doing. It doesn't help that uh, there's Republicans in charge of these two states so that makes the media especially willing to attack them. What happened? They've been open for a few weeks now. What has been going on in Florida? Have they seen a tremendous spike in cases? Has it become a disaster there? Answer? No, it actually hasn't. There's been a slight uptick in cases in Florida and Georgia, but uh, actually much less than expected. There were, there were dire predictions about what's going to happen, and... It actually has not turned into a catastrophe. It looks like there's a slight rise in cases in these places, but slight. It's, it's actually much less than expected. And if this is as bad as it gets from reopening, then it's not a huge deal. And in fact, they made the right decision. So uh, the, the real concern has been that, that it's going to cause a coronavirus catastrophe. They were going to have a terrible second wave and that uh, we're going to be sorry we ever tried to reopen. In Georgia, Governor Brian Kemp actually went against the recommendations of the White House and against the recommendation of a lot of local officials and he lifted the stay-at-home order on April 24th. It looks like the cases have risen by about maybe 10%. That's about it, which is not a big deal. And this includes a lot of people who have been reckless. This includes a lot of people who are not doing the social distancing and who are just uh, abusing this and, and getting too close to one another and just uh, assuming there's not a problem. And Even with all of that, the cases have gone up at like, like 10%. Now, there was n never the belief that there would be no increase in cases or deaths if they reopen. But the concern was that it would be a new problem that it will overwhelm the hospital system. It'll cause all kinds of death that could have been avoided. Not that there would be a slight uptick in cases and deaths. And keep in mind, a lot of the people who 
are getting it and dying now would have gotten it later is a good chance and, and died then. So it's not like these people would have been saved for decades. These are people who, uh, if they were susceptible now, they were probably susceptible uh, at any point they were to catch it. And the theory is that a lot of people are going to get this thing eventually. It's just a matter of time. But you, you always have to weigh the costs of keeping everything closed for the economy and and all the other issues. There, there's been a huge increase in suicides, a huge increase in depression. Uh, there's a, a lot of consequences of this shutdown and economic consequences that are going to cause such despair that uh, we have a lot going forward that is not even fully understood of how bad it's going to be. So it's one of these things where the shutdown, death and despair could be worse than the coronavirus itself. And you have to be very careful that you don't do that because the coronavirus is hard to control. The economy is a different story that you have a lot more control of. So if you can reopen the economy for the most part and have only a very small uptick in cases, then you've made the right decision. There's no question. There are some who are saying that this is misleading because we're headed into summer and that for a long time there have been predictions that either from the heat or from the sun or the humidity or all of those things combined that this thing does not spread as much in the summer but that once winter comes it's going to be a disaster. But who knows how much that is going to matter. And also maybe by the time winter comes we'll have a vaccine or be very close to one. But we're, we're approaching the summer now. We're in May now. We shouldn't be thinking about what do we do in the winter. The winter's not even close right now. We should think about what's the smartest thing to do right now. So the Georgia and Florida thing has been successful. It is true that Georgia and Florida are hot and humid at this time of year. It is true that the sun is up much longer every day. We're less than a month away from the longest day of the year in the United States. So maybe that has to do with it. Maybe it doesn't. But I think they did the right thing. And I think a lot of the panic about this was overblown. And really, I think this ultimately needs to come down to each person assessing their risk. Remember, originally the shutdown was about flattening the curve, and that was done. It was not about keeping everybody closed in their house until there's a vaccine. So what we should transition to now is leave it as a personal choice. If you think that you're willing to take the risk to get it, then go out. If you don't want to take that risk, then don't. And nobody will expect you to. And for those who are most vulnerable that have the problem where they can't go back to work because of fear of getting it, you can give those people some help until we get a vaccine. But don't shut in everybody. Don't 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 shut everything down. Don't shut down all the businesses. Don't keep young people home when they're not uh, the problem. That they they're really not susceptible to the severe uh, impact of this for the vast majority of them. It just doesn't make any sense. And I think people are starting to realize that. And every week that passes. There's more and more public support for reopening as much as possible. And that's not even saying that the original shutdown was a mistake because 
we were dealing with something we hadn't seen before. And it's better safe than sorry at first, especially with the fear that the hospital system would become overwhelmed. So at that point, we needed to shut down to figure out what's going on, what hospital capacity we really need, what hospital capacity we can quickly expand to in the meantime. And once we're confident, we're not going to uh, go past that. Once we're confident, we can have enough hospital beds for everybody and supplies for everybody and machines for everybody even if it spikes up, then we need to think about, okay, now where do we go from here? We've accomplished that. Now what do we do? And unfortunately it has evolved to, now just let's force everything to be shut down uh, until we say so. But there's there's no real goal stated. And and these, I, I hate these stupid metrics. Like we have to wait until uh, the deaths are at this level and the new cases are at this level. It's so stupid. It's either here or it's not. It's it's one thing if they want to say, okay, let's wait until uh, we see the cases spiking up. Let's let's until it stops spiking up, until it flattens out. Let's uh, let's not uh, reopen anything. Okay, I can understand that, but not not where it's slowly decreasing and we have to hit some kind of artificial number of of cases. I mean, it's meaningless that that number. That number is meaningless of of uh, what number we're looking for, what benchmark we're looking for. It's it's stupid. It's 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 either it's still here. And just kind of present and and consistently here, but not shooting up or, or or falling way down, or it's spiking up, or it's it's going down to about nothing. And it, it's it's like in the middle of that. It's 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 going down, but it's it's uh, it's kind of like flat down, kind of a slow move down at the moment. Okay, that means it's not spiking up, and that means we need to move to the next phase. It's that simple. With that said, you're not going to see me in a casino anytime soon. They've reopened, and they're doing very well. I haven't talked about this much, but the casinos that have reopened, which have done so in many states, including the Indian casinos, I mean, they're they're jammed. We talked about it last week. The, tons of people want to go to the casinos. But it made sense. I, I predicted this. I knew that with everyone shut in for so long, they just they want to go out and do something social. They want to go and return to something like a casino. It seems fun. When you've been trapped in your house all this time, of course you want to go out to a casino. Of course it seems fun. Even if you're not a, if, even if you're not someone who's always going to casinos, if this is something that's reopening, yeah, you kind of want to do it. Especially with a lot of other things not available right now. Can't go to a sporting event. Can't go to a concert. Casino's open. Not in Vegas yet, though. Vegas, uh, right now looking towards uh, early June for reopening. Be interesting to see if there's a spike in cases of people going to casinos. If it really isn't transmitting through surfaces, that's a huge win for casinos. Then all they have to do is keep people apart, but they don't have to worry about them touching common items. That'll be huge for poker, huge for the table games, huge for the slot machines, and they really don't have to panic about cleaning as much. Even very big for hotels. Imagine if you know you can go to a hotel and not have to worry about the person who was previously in your room. That would be huge. So that could be a big part of an economic recovery if that turns out to be true for some reason that's not a big story though for some reason the big story is a a gay guy who does steroids who who got the coronavirus badly i don't know why that's something we should care about more than uh the cdc announcement but that's the way the news is these days okay i'm going to move and talk about the towers casino the towers casino is a casino in california 
that is really more of a card room. And they attempted to reopen. And they attempted to reopen when the state of California had not given permission to them to do so yet. Uh-oh. On May 18th, they reopened and they posted pictures of their poker room. And there were uh, people sitting at a table normally, no additional space between them, a nine-handed poker table. Only difference is that everybody's wearing a mask. Every player and the dealer were wearing a mask. But that's it. That's the only precaution. (laughs) So that did not go over very well for uh, the authorities in California. Towers Casino is located in Grass Valley, California, which is in the greater Sacramento area. It is not an India casino, so they can't just do what they want. They have to follow California state laws and regulations. And the State Department of Justice came in on the same day they were open and shut the game down. Here is a video taken by a guy named Matthew Boyle, who was in the game. Uh, the place is being closed down, so we're going to shut the, shut the game. So I'm sorry. Uh, Let's just hold off on that, okay? Let's just wait for a second. There's action. Just hold off for a second. Yeah, just, just hold on to what you have right now. Yeah, the Cal game is going to start closing those down. So, I mean, are you looking to close this down permanently then? Or? Yeah, no, California Department of Justice. Oh, okay. No, it won't be a permanent closure. Uh, this is what's called like an emergency closure. Uh, just because they opened ahead of basically when they're allowed to be open. But that, that's all it is. Okay, so that was the video. There's a second video that was posted. So the people who were speaking to them were agents of the California Department of Justice and were shutting it down. They wanted to complete the hand and they wouldn't let them. Oh, there's action here. (laughs) Nope, you guys got to stop. They just, they're telling them, keep what you have and that's it. Referring to whatever chips you're holding in front of you right now, we're going to let you cash out, but do not continue playing this hand. They they, had cards in front of them, but there, there actually was not a pot yet. I think they had just been dealt the cards and they hadn't played yet. Here's another video that was taken. Same guy. They're closing us down for tonight. I haven't seen any orders yet. This is what's happening. This is what's happening in California right now. We were given authority to open. Somebody called. And apparently the commission, the Department of Gaming, decided to come in here with force. Total abuse of power here. And they decided to close us down. They've been notified we were opening. I was not contacted. This is an employee there, presumably the manager. I was not phone called. I was not emailed that there was a problem. They came in here with their muscle to close us down. Total against our constitutional rights. I did everything I was supposed to do. I was contacted from the Nevada County Health. I like the background music. They're playing sharp and dressed man in the background. <laughs> it's just a, it just doesn't fit with this rant. Department. I logged in to a seminar. I have all the documentation up, posted. They're closing us down for tonight. They sent an order out here. Apparently, somebody higher up called them to have us closed down. This is an outrage. Absolute outrage. 
I hope you guys got that because I was so upset I forgot to hit record. Thank you. All right, guys. It's not these gentlemen's fault or ladies' fault. This is out of my control. This is out of their control. They're just doing their jobs. But I was not given notice that I should close down by anybody. Nevada County Police Department. The Grass Valley Peace Department requested that I close down. I denied them. That was it. Nothing from the Gambling Association. Nothing from my bureau staff. Nobody contacted me, and they sent in one, two, three, four, five, six, six officers. How many people are in this building? Occupancy rate, 182. There's less than 20 people in here right now, less than 15. This is unconstitutional. Okay, let's, let's stop for a second. Look, um, first of all, you have a nine-handed game, which probably isn't very smart. Like, you can't have a nine-handed game when it really seems like the way this is being transmitted is respiratory. You just can't. It doesn't matter what the occupancy is. It matters uh, how close everyone is to each other. Also, whether you agree with the regulations or not, if the state says you can't open and you do, then you're taking the chance this happens. I, I understand why she's frustrated, but uh, I think they knew what they were doing. I think they knew they're opening and just figured, oh, who's going to care? We're a small poker room in Grass Valley. I'm shocked, and I apologize to all of you, and we'll figure out some kind of solution when we're back in business. Can we play tomorrow? We'll see. Right now, no. I ha- I have- Can we play tomorrow? This guy doesn't get it. They're shutting the whole place down. Uh, can we come back tomorrow? This is only for tonight, right? The coronavirus is better tomorrow, right? Like, like things are going to be different in the morning. This is the first I am hearing about it. The absolute first I'm hearing about it. So I'll cash out my chips last. You guys can do them one at a time. So the manager or maybe the owner, she's playing in the game? I mean, I guess you can. It's just kind of weird. That's what she said. I'll cash out my chips last, and she's sitting in front of a chip stack. This is just absolutely appalling. Are you still rolling? Oh, yeah. Ten years in business. Ten years of business. What? Not one violation. Yeah, rolling. It's all your fault. The gaming commission decided to close me down tonight with zero written notice and a show of force. It's always my fault. Just to intimidate Towers Casino because we were the first card room in California to stand up for our rights. It's been 62 days. Well, okay, that's that's it right there. You're the first card room in California to stand up for what you think are your rights, and you reopened. You think they all don't want to open? They they want to open, but they can't. They're not doing it because they don't want to be in business. They they are not opening because they're not allowed to open, and you just decided, okay, well, we'll be the only one in town, and we'll get all the business, and we're going to open because we want to, and we don't care if nobody else does, and we don't care if it's allowed. Again, if, if you don't agree with this, this doesn't mean you can just go do it. That's that's what she's not getting here. 63 now. There has been zero cases of coronavirus in Nevada County in over four weeks. <laughs> I don't know if that's true about zero cases in that county, but it is funny. There have been zero cases in Nevada County in the last four weeks. <coughs> Someone, the guy the guy is recording it coughed. That couldn't have been a worse timing. See, this is a healthy place. (laughs) Four weeks, no cases. There's no pandemic here. I was cleared. Nobody has told me to shut down except the gaming commission. Okay. I've heard enough of this. That's a very angry woman. That happened to Towers. I don't think they'll be back open until everybody else is allowed to be open. It doesn't look like they're – it was said that it's a soft shutdown, meaning that they weren't closed permanently. 
but that they were just closed for the moment. Basically, they're told, you can't continue. We're shutting you down for the moment. And uh, when we determine it's okay, then you can reopen. So I have a feeling when everybody else can reopen in California, they can too. I don't know. She'd be setting a better example if she opened and the tables were not nine-handed. That is what really sits the worst with me. If she were to reopen and then say, look, look at all the precautions we're taking. People are sitting far apart from each other and we're doing this, we're doing that. This is why we're not worried and there's been no new cases here. We're doing everything right. And so, you know, we don't appreciate being shut down. She'd have a better case there, though I still wouldn't agree. You can't just say, well, we're just going to violate the law. We're just going to violate the regulations. And... The reason you can't do this is because you have competition who is following the law, and that gives you an unfair advantage over them. And I've I've used this example many times. I hate when those that break the law to get a competitive advantage gain from it. They shouldn't. They should be stopped because everybody who's following the law is getting screwed then. So if every card room in Sacramento is not allowed to open, they shouldn't be either. It needs to be fair competition. It's not fair that if uh, if Towers is willing to break the law, then they get a monopoly. Even if you disagree with the law, it has to be fair. It has to be equitable. And that's what she's not getting. But if you're going to do it, at least do it responsibly. To have a nine-handed table shows you really don't get it. All right, final topic. I'm sorry the show's not going to be eight hours. Sorry it's not going to be seven hours. It was long, though. It was still longer than it used to be. Still going to be clocking in at, what, like six? Final topic, Caesars has decided that in the face of all of this, they are not scared. They are going to continue expanding. And Caesars had the opportunity to do so in the state of Virginia, and they put in a bid, and they won that bid. So there is going to be a Caesars casino coming to the state of Virginia for the very first time. This means if you are a Total Rewards member, you'll probably be happy about that. Now, you may not be so happy to hear that this probably won't be open until 2023, because that is when it is scheduled to open, and who knows if there's further delays because of the coronavirus. It could even be 2024, though 2023 is far enough away that I think that they should be able to open by then. Fortunately for them, it does give the country plenty of time to either control or completely eradicate the coronavirus. It's possible by 2023, this will no longer be a concern at all. It's possible the virus will be totally history by then. Or even if it's not, we'll have a much better handle on what's going on with it, and people will also be used to it. That's another thing. But uh, here's what happened. Caesars has kind of a shortage of properties in the southern in the southeastern US. They have the two Cherokee properties in North Carolina, but both are on the western side of the state. And uh, then they have Baltimore, which isn't really the southeast, but parts of the southeast can drive there if they don't want to if they don't mind driving some distance. Then uh, there's Harris New Orleans. And they also have the uh, Biloxi property. And they have some others in uh, Louisiana. But where they kind of have a hole is in the uh, Raleigh-Durham area. So even though they have North Carolina properties, it's still quite a trek to get from uh, Raleigh-Durham over to those Cherokee properties on the west side of the state. 
They are going to open a property in Danville, Virginia, which is just 50 miles from Greensboro, North Carolina, and 82 miles from Raleigh, South Carolina. And uh, that's the market it's going to primarily serve. They are not going to be that appealing to tourists because there's not really any uh, tourist attractions in that area. Most people don't come to the greater uh, Raleigh-Durham area for tourism reasons. This is really mainly to serve locals in those markets. This will give them more of a presence in the southeastern U.S. They still have no casino in the Georgia or Florida areas, but this is a step in the right direction. Uh, I had a listener text this to me and said he was quite happy about it because before he had to drive all the way to Cherokee if he wanted to go to Caesar's property. For people that like playing the World Series of Poker, this is especially useful because uh, it's a pain in the ass to try to accumulate uh, tier credits to get uh, diamond status, if you want to do it that way. I've given you ways to get diamond without gambling, but if you want to get through gambling, it's a pain in the ass if you don't have a casino that's uh, somewhat nearby that's uh, easy to get to. So this now serves a market where they didn't really have access to. They are going to get uh, additional properties from their merger that is still going to take place with El Dorado Gaming. El Dorado does have some properties in the south, but this is definitely going to help them. And uh, soon enough, they will uh, have much more coverage between the merger and this and any other uh, properties that they either acquire or build. So... uh, Looks like Caesars is not afraid of expanding even during the worst period of time they've ever had business-wise where everything just absolutely shut down. So that's uh, showing that they still have a positive outlook on casinos for the upcoming future. There is a Florida casino that uh, they're going to have, but it's... uh, it's not a really a major casino. That's when they had to do the merger. The Isle in Pompano Park, Florida. But I don't think that's really very... Uh, I don't think it's going to matter very much. <laughs> uh, really, there is still a hole in the southeastern U.S. even after this merger. If you look at the map for both properties, they just don't have that many in that area of the country. Nothing in Georgia, that one little thing in Florida, which is pretty uh, inconsequential, that El Dorado has, and that's it. So adding this, even though that's still going to be quite a drive for those in uh, a lot of Georgia, and especially Florida, to get to this uh, one in Danville, which is in the uh, southeastern portion of North Carolina. That's why South South Carolina, like Raleigh-Durham, can get their with an 80-mile drive. It's still a step in the right direction. And to be honest, I actually am happy whenever I see Caesars properties opening up around the country because uh, I do maintain at the very minimum a diamond status, and I'm very familiar with Caesars properties. And I do like to travel, and hopefully one day I'll be able to do that again. And I like to have that option that I can use it as a base to stay there and, and at least get some good rates. And, and of course, yeah, if my diamond status can help with things. 
And um, <clears throat> even if there, there happened to be a good game there, then I can also uh, play the games as well. So since I am a frequent Caesars customer, I like to see when they expand to other areas of the country. So uh, when I travel around the country, those are available to stay at. Not quite as good as it used to be because I don't have seven stars anymore. When I have seven stars, I could stay for free. But I'm still happy to see they have a presence there, even though this won't be until 2023. And even though I probably will not be in that area. And I, I, I was looking around like, what might I like to visit there? Because I don't just go to the very, very major tourist attractions. In fact, I like to find more of the off-beaten path tourist attractions that are still interesting, but just people don't know about. And so I'll just sometimes look at a region of the country that I have an interest in visiting and just look at a map. I'll really just open up Google Maps and start zooming in and see what's there. Especially at like natural features. If I see there's a big area, a big open area where there's uh, very few uh, properties built or no properties built, like okay, what is this? Is this a state park? Is it a natural par- a national park? Like what is this here? Is it something I might want to visit? I'll zoom in even more, and then I'll start googling and see what some of these things are if I'm not familiar with them. So that, that's sometimes I'll make decisions on travel based upon things like that, and then plan a trip around it, and. Then when I'm planning the trip around it, I've got to see where to stay. And uh, what's good about casino properties is uh, they usually have some minimum quality to them. They're usually not total, complete dumps. Occasionally they are, but usually not. And, uh, and also, if it's one where I have any kind of status, I can get them at, at a good price. So that's, that, that is what's good about staying at a casino, even if you're not planning to play. Because sometimes a lot of these out-of-the-way places where there's things I'd like to see as a tourist, the hotel selection sucks, either by price or by just availability. Sometimes just what exists there just sucks and is expensive. And I can tell you, it can be very frustrating planning trips when you really know you want to go somewhere and every hotel option you look at is either sold out or sucks. (laughs) <laughs> and is expensive. Then you go, oh, do I even want to do this? Do I want to pay 200 something dollars a night for some total piece of crap? You, you start going through this and questioning if it's even worth it. And Sometimes I'll even shift the dates of my trips just to avoid that. If I notice I happen to be running into an expensive weekend or something, then I'll shift dates around. So uh, It's better, but then I only have so much flexibility because Benjamin's in school. So... Anytime I see a Caesars property opening somewhere else that it didn't have much of a presence, a little part of me says, okay, I'm happy to see that. Even if it's somewhere that I'm not going to go very often or ever. I also like to see it on behalf of other players because I know that for some people it's infuriating to uh, not have a Caesars property and uh, to where it's harder for them to earn status there and then they send me questions like, oh, well, which one should I travel to because there's none around me and I kind of feel bad for them. So I kind of feel better for the people in that area who want a Caesars Casino to go to that now they can. This almost sounds like a Caesars commercial. They should be paying me for this. But I'm just telling you honestly how I feel when I read news about uh, a new Caesars property opening somewhere. When I was at Seven Stars, I just wanted to see as many as possible because they were free. So I felt like I could just take vacations places around the country and they would foot the bill for my stay but those days are over now i just get uh 
reduced rates if I'm lucky. At least I don't pay resort fees. But right now I'm not paying anything because I'm not going anywhere. And who knows when I will next. We got some texts tonight. In fact, I should have read these earlier. They would have been helpful during the Bill Perkins segment. From the 516, Druff, Joey Ingram just made a quick video on Twitter alluding to this being about poker apps. Looks like Perkins may have gotten cheated for big money on an app. Hmm, very interesting. From the 916, about a different subject, Traderuski, I disagree. Baldwin should have stayed at the scene and called 911 instead of going to his dad's house. That's about the BJ Baldwin story. I can understand both sides of that argument. From the 951... Hi, this is Pescado Libre reporting from Morongo Casino, one of a few casinos that have opened this weekend. Only three players are allowed in each blackjack game, masks required by dealers and players, smoking has been banned inside the casino, poker room remains closed, social distancing on slot machines isn't really being enforced. People are playing right next to each other, a few machines are turned off but not many, more updates to come. Some updates said that some uh, some douchebags said they waited three hours to get into this dump. Wow. <laughs> From the 773, what is preventing an earlier show? Um, because I've got a family and I don't want to waste the whole day and night on this show while they're still awake. So I'm starting a little bit later. From Kevin Davis, who texted me as he was listening... He said, you guys are way off with your speculations. Bill Perkins wouldn't have come out with that if he didn't have credible info. Well, I didn't say he would be coming out with just info that isn't very credible. I'm just saying that there's a number of possibilities, including that he believed he was cheated when he really wasn't. But the more I'm hearing, uh, I'm starting to believe that it's more likely that He's correct with his accusations than not, but we'll have to wait till more comes out. It does sound like it's about an app. From the 716, it was clarified by Chad Holloway. This person sending me a screenshot of Chad Holloway, a tweet that he put up. I asked Bill Perkins if it involved Triton. His response is no online. That's, that is no comma online, like he's saying no, it was online. He also said, no more questions, so it looks like we're just going to have to wait for him or others to release more information. Amazing the power of a single tweet can have on the poker Twitterverse, writes Chad. Yeah, that's for sure. From the 505, I bet it's related to these private online games. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) He got it without even seeing that tweet, so good guess there, 505. From the 651, related to... Christopher Mitchell's Martingale system. He said, one thing about this Martingale banker Baccarat system that hasn't been brought up is the fact that the banker has a 5% commission. That is, if you bet banker and you win, you have to pay a 5% commission. You don't win even money. So using your $100 example, if the sixth hand is a $3,200 bet and you win, then the commission is $160, which doesn't even get you back to even. That is really a good point. So the Martingale doesn't even do what He's claiming it does if you bet Banker and Baccarat. That's a great point. So what he's trying to say here is if you bet six in a row and you lose the first five and on your sixth bet uh, for $3,200, then uh, instead of losing, you manage to win. Instead of winning everything you lost and your original $100 bet, you're actually still down $60, which isn't catastrophic, but 
the whole point of the Martingale system, you keep going bet, 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 bet until you finally win one. And then once you've won one, it's like you won the original first bet and all the other stuff didn't happen. That's not even true with this. Why that makes it even worse. That's it. Others sent me that same thing about uh, what Chad Holloway said regarding Bill Perkins. But it looks like Bill Perkins is going to go silent for a while, at least so he is claiming. So we will have to wait and see and hope he comes out sooner than later. Or maybe Jason Kuhn or someone else who is involved will come forward with more information that they know. I am really curious about this, and I have a feeling that you are too. In the meantime, we will see over the next week whether the coronavirus news that comes out is bad or good. But who knows? One thing you have to say about these days is that you never know what's coming next, worse or better. And I've pictured scenarios in my head that this could get better a lot faster than anybody expected. We could be in a much better spot than anyone would imagine, both disease-wise and economically. Disease-wise, a vaccine could come out a lot sooner than we thought, and it could be effective, and then herd immunity could develop and this thing could just vanish and just never be seen again. Economically, we could have people returning to businesses in droves just because they haven't been able to do things. They've just, everything kind of gets shifted where, yeah, people weren't going to the businesses when they're closed, but now they're just mobbing everything now because they just want to do everything they haven't been able to do in months and everything catches back up. Uh, It could be like that. It could be that the economy roars back so strongly when people can do things, that it will make up somewhat for what happened here. And that's something that maybe people aren't considering. We're seeing that with the casinos when they reopen, with these uh, massive crowds going there. So maybe the economic activity when we reopen will just be so tremendous, especially once the coronavirus gets really under control, that this will undo a lot of the damage that has been done. So there's that possibility. It's a possibility that the disease will get better faster than we thought it will. Then there's the other side, that the vaccine will never be effective. We're stuck with this forever. Every year it mutates and people are in danger again. A lot of people die every year, especially old people from this. This is a new danger people have to live with. Uh, Old people are going to just start hiding out from everybody because they know that this is going to get them soon enough. Like, I, this could totally alter life forever so it could go many ways and i've learned not to expect too much on the bad end or the good end and just to watch as things happen and try not to stress out too much about it and as i've mentioned on a previous show i did learn somewhat how to handle this from what I went through a year and a half ago. And I say, as long as I can go through day-to-day life without it being miserable, then it isn't all that bad. And that's the way I'm looking at it. Because when you went through every day for two months that was miserable, then compared to that, this is a picnic. So I'm just trying not to think about the downsides to this, of which there were many. Wish I could go to a Dodgers game. Wish I could go to Vegas. Wish I could be at the World Series next week. Wish I could travel. Wish I could go to restaurants 
It's a lot I wish I could do, but I'm learning to live without it. And I'm hoping it comes back. Alrighty, what is going to come back is the show. That will be next week. Around the same time. Should have Dutch Boyd next week. I decided between that long interview I knew we were going to have with Kevin Davis and A. Hoosiere and Rick Lee, I knew like a second long thing with Dutch Boyd. I just didn't feel like I had the energy for it. Plus, I wanted to prepare for it. I've got a lot of things to talk to Dutch about and ask him about. And he even said he'll be nice enough to promote his appearance on the show. And he's got a pretty good following. So that, that'll be interesting to have Dutch on the show. And, uh, yeah, we've had more guests on here lately. Hasn't really been on purpose. That's been the way it's happened. But if there's a, a guest you'd like to see on the show, please let me know. Uh, Dutch was actually suggested by Vintage One, but I can't give him all the credit because before Vintage One even said anything, I was considering contacting Dutch because he had messaged me in the past, not even that long ago, and given me his phone number and said he'd like to come on sometime. So uh, this was something that had been discussed before, but uh, Vintage One kind of pushed me to do it because Vintage One said, you know who we should have on here? Dutch. And it turned out they talk. So uh, we arranged it. It's going to happen next week. But if there's somebody you'd like to see on the show who you think would say yes, if I asked them, you don't have to be sure they'll say yes. Just think there's a decent chance of it. Then definitely what you should do is tell me, contact me, 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. Text me. Don't, don't call me. I, I don't answer that number. Some people have tried to call me on that number when the show's not on. And I see that they tried to call, but it doesn't ring on my end. I only turn that on to ring during the show. Otherwise, people will just bother me all day and all night with phone calls, and I don't want that. So you can text me, though. The good thing about text is you can't bother me with it. I can check them when I want and not check them when I don't want. So text me, 775-372-8355, if there's someone that you think that you'd like to hear on the show that you think there's a good chance that they would agree to come on. Someone I, I think I'm going to ask to be on soon is Mike Mattisau. We've always had a good relationship. He's been on here before. Maybe it's time to check in with him again. Uh, anyone who is promoting something at the moment, like Houston Curtis was with his book, or anybody who I've said before I have a good relationship with, anyone you remember like that uh, has a much higher chance to come on the show than just like some random player you'd like to hear from. Though it's possible the random might also. Uh, some celebrity who's famous outside of poker is unlikely to come on here. Uh, someone who's a big name in poker that doesn't really know me is not that likely to come on here unless they're promoting something. But uh, like someone who does know me, they might. There's a good chance they will. If you have some suggestions, feel free to text them to me and I will consider it. No promises, but I will consider it. And that is it. That is it. We are done. Thank you, Trader Ruski, for co-hosting. Thank you, Kevin Davis and Rick Lee and Lee Bradbury, a.k.a. A. Hoosier A, for coming on for that segment. And thank you to those who donated for the free roll, such as Eric Benzmokin and Beer and Poker and Daily. Thank you to the three of you. If you are wondering when the show's on it's every saturday night starting around 8 30 to 9 usually pacific time and then we're on for most of the night 
Typical show length is six to eight hours. This week it fell on the shorter end, about six hours, but other weeks we've had eight hours. One week we had eight hours and 22 minutes. One week we had eight hours and 22 minutes. That was our record. It's better for me it's closer to six, because my voice can't handle it. No breaks. I just did the whole thing all the way through. A little bit easier for me, because... I had, during the beginning of the show, that long interview where there were a number of people talking. So I wasn't the one talking the whole time. Made it a little bit easier. But I still talked most of the time. Well, another show in the bag. We will be on May 30th, the fifth show of May. A five-show month. We don't have many of those, but it's a five-show month, the way the calendar fell. May 30th should have been a day I was at the World Series. I think I would be getting ready to play, or actually would be playing the 08 event. I'd have to look it up, but I may have been scheduled for the 08 event that day. I don't know. It's kind of weird this time of year, late May, to not be thinking about the World Series. Well, that's the way things are. Hope you're all doing well, coronavirus-free, or if you had the virus, that it wasn't that bad for you. I'll be here for you every week, providing you content to at least take your mind off this crazy world we're living in. Good night, everybody. And, shalom. Shalom.